Thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. I think we've got the old software back. I did a little cleanse of the computer, gave it a colonic irrigation. I think we're going to be able to do some of the stuff we used to do. Well, this is still the pre-show. The show has not started yet. Did you see uh, The Masked Singer? You think Rudy Giuliani sang on The Masked Singer, wait until he finally gets before the Manhattan Grand Jury. Little pre-show joke, not necessarily funny. Just, you know, warming up here. Uh, by the way, before the show, I always listen to uh, Frank Sinatra. I finally cracked the song parody for I've Got You Under My Skin. Uh, try this at home. I've, I've got my nuts under your chin. It's Cole Porter, little song parody. You might want to turn the show off right now and go practice. I've got my nuts under your chin sung to I've got you under my skin. This is still pre-show. I, I am not responsible for anything that comes out of my mouth or goes into it. This is pre-show. Show has not started yet. Uh, I'm just, I'm starting it. I'm warming the, I'm warming the show up. I'm making sure the engine is running, uh, making sure the seat warmer is set to grandma. Just warming it up, turning off my notifications. Just turned on the seat warmer. It's set to grandma, my, my seat warmer. They have seat warmers now. When I was a kid, if someone had automatic windows, they were, you know, like the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers. We, growing up, had to roll our own windows down in the car. Now they have heated steering wheels and something called memory seats. I don't even know what a memory seat is. I rented a car at Enterprise and it had a memory seat. I, I don't know what a memory seat is. It doesn't sound good. Is this sort of some some kind of canine technology where you know you sit down and the car knows exactly who you are by sniffing your butt and then it adjusts the heat accordingly? Uh, I guess that's all a dog needs to know, right? One nice whiff of your seat and the dog knows your whole life story. And maybe that's where memory seats come from, guard dog technology to cut down on car theft. That's the only explanation for a memory seat. It's guard dog technology to cut down on car theft. If uh, I think that's what a memory seat is. The car will not start unless it recognizes the way your butt smells. And then one day the car doesn't start, you get it towed. The mechanic says they can't figure it out. I, I, we don't know why your car won't start. Uh, it, uh, we have no idea. And then you take it to the dealer and the dealer says, well, the, the memory seat doesn't recognize your butt. That's why the car won't start. And uh, have you, have, did you recently get a bidet? Is that, perhaps that's why the, the dog technology doesn't recognize. The show has not started yet, by the way. I'm just... Not even, haven't even, I'm just drinking some coffee, warming the, I'm warming the show up right now. The show is not ready. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have a feeling that's what memory seats are. And <laughs> the car doesn't turn over if uh, guard dog memory seats. 
car doesn't turn over unless uh, you stay away from bidets. Show has not uh, started. We're still in pre-show mode. Well, it looks like uh, the podcast is idling smoothly, right? Time to put it in reverse, back out of the garage and run over an old lady in a wheelchair. Welcome to the mop-up for January 34th, 2022. What does it say on the, does it say January 33? That's wrong. It's January 34th, 2022. People often say to me, David Feldman, why do you look so young? That's my secret. I always add a few extra days to the calendar. And over the course of a few decades, it wipes away years. That's how I have this youthful glow. I've been sneaking in a few extra days to each month since I was in my 20s. And I'm telling you, try it. It's how you stay. It's how you stay young. Anyway, it's January 34th, 2022. Happy Memorial Day. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature is stay indoors. That's the temperature. It, it, we're another blizzard. Another blizzard. ABC News just suspended Whoopi Goldberg. I'm not making that up. ABC News just suspended Whoopi Goldberg. Think about that sentence for a second. I love Whoopi. I do. But think about this headline for a second. ABC News just suspended Whoopi Goldberg, apparently for what she said about the Holocaust on The View, which I believe uh, was the original name for, for The View, the Holocaust. Uh, so what more do you need to know today? ABC News suspends Whoopi Goldberg. America is a news desert. We are ill-informed and we are not safe in this country because of sentences like ABC News suspended Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, seriously, Whoopi's an employee of ABC News. The, the idea that the market will provide a public good like the news better than, say, our government or government funded news is absurd and it's made evident by the sentence abc news just suspended whoopi goldberg i mean the bbc the cbc al jazeera these are government news organizations for the sake of news and that's better it's more trusted than news for the sake of profit when you rely on the market to deliver news you end up with sentences like ABC News suspends Whoopi Goldberg. This is, this is how you end up with Americans believing COVID isn't killing us, but the Taliban is. The view is not news, but ABC News says it is. Somehow the view is under the purview of ABC News, Whoopi Goldberg opining on race and its relation to the Holocaust is not news 
unless you're doing a story about the decay of news in America. I like Whoopi, and I think I actually might agree with what Whoopi said. I don't know if you've been following this, but Hitler made the Holocaust about race. And I'm not sure Jews are a race. I'm not sure race is even a real thing. I'm pretty sure the idea of race was invented to justify slavery. I'm pretty sure dividing people into race is a pseudo-scientific 19th century conceit designed to justify attributing intelligence and or personality traits to people who look a certain way or who come from a specific place. I think Whoopi's right. I'm pretty sure use of the word race is racist, I think. So for somebody to say the Holocaust was about race is to perpetuate the lies told by Hitler to justify the Holocaust. Hitler said the Jews were a race. I went to Orthodox Hebrew school. Uh, I grew up surrounded by survivors of the Holocaust. I always assumed Judaism is a religion, not a race. If you believe, I think, Jews are a race, then you believe what Hitler believed, that Jews look a certain way, sound a certain way, think a certain way, and they share not just physical, but intellectual characteristics. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure Whoopi is right. Race is a social construct created by racists. Race is racist. And to say the Holocaust, I think, to say the Holocaust was about race is to pretty much parrot Hitler's thinking and even much worse, perpetuate it. I think it's dangerous to call the Jewish people a race. I think it's dangerous to call any group a race, especially when we're finding racism on the rise here in America. Whoopi's last name is Goldberg, and she's black. From day one, she pretty much signaled to the entertainment industry that by traditional racist standards, Judaism isn't a race. It's a group of people. Sometimes I think they're we're dangerously inbred. That's a that's a whole that we're I'm not gonna say we're dangerously inbred. Occasionally I've said that about my people, but we are a group of people who share the same religion and would rather die than convert. I think a lot of Jews uh would rather die than be made to convert. Uh, that's not a race. That's a neuroses. Uh, it's not a race. If you put a gun to my head and said, if you don't convert, I will shoot you. I like to think I'd say, go ahead and shoot. Because then you would hear from my lawyer 
And oh boy, are you in trouble now? That's what I would say. Uh, I think a lot of Jewish people would rather get shot uh, than be forced to convert. So I'm not sure Judaism is a race. I think it's a choice forced upon us by tradition, by nurture. Uh, and I'm also pretty certain that the term race is racist. I, I, I may be wrong, but as far as I can tell, Jews are a people, not a race. We all don't look the same. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God Jews don't look the same. Did you ever see the Nazi propaganda leaflets? Could you imagine if we looked the way Hitler said the Jewish race looked? We don't all act and think alike. Two Jews, three opinions. We do not agree on anything. And we're not all from the same place, unless you want to say the Middle East, but we're all from the Middle East. So that's not saying anything. I'm pretty sure that the Palestinians and I are part of the same race. If you want to go by geography and the way and language and how some of us look, I'm pretty sure uh, Judaism is not a race. And if it is a race, then I think the Palestinians are part of the same race. I don't know. I think this is, you know, look at the people from Israel. They have black Jews, white, all types of Jews. And I'm just not getting race off Judaism. The same way I don't get race off Anglo-Saxons, Caucasians. I'm not getting race. Uh, when it comes to Judaism, I'm getting a strong and proud belief in the Torah, a, a belief in the promise of justice for the here and now, period. But the most important thing, uh, ABC News, they, they could tackle this subject. I happen to think they're way more important topics. ABC News should be tackling this subject with geneticists and anthropologists and professors and scientists, not Whoopi Goldberg, not Joy Behar or Megan McCain or whomever they have on the show these days. Uh, again, I'm jumping ahead. I Maybe you don't know what Whoopi said. Whoopi Goldberg said she drew backlash on Monday morning when she insisted that the Holocaust was, quote, not about race, unquote, but rather, quote, man's inhumanity to man. And uh, she they want her fired for saying that, that the Holocaust was not about race, but rather man's inhumanity to man. Again, I grew up surrounded by Holocaust survivors. Uh, there are two things I was raised on, the Holocaust and the Kennedy assassination. 
if I don't pick up another book about the Holocaust or the Kennedy assassination, it will be too soon. Uh, a day doesn't go by that I don't think about the Holocaust. I believe the Holocaust not just can happen again, it is happening again, just not on the grand scale that the Germans were able to pull off. The Germans perfected genocide thanks to our friends over at IBM. The Germans perfected genocide thanks to our friends over at IBM. The Germans got up close and personal with their genocide. We drop bombs. We don't dirty our fingers when it comes to wiping out people. That's unseemly. But the Germans, they rolled up their sleeves and they were hands-on with their genocide. Uh, so Whoopi is in trouble. She should not be in trouble. She said it wasn't about race. With all the mass slaughter that's going on right now, this is what ABC News is getting hanged up on. Whoopi Goldberg saying the Holocaust wasn't about race. Really, this is the hill you're going to die on. Whoopi said the Holocaust wasn't about race. It was about man's inhumanity to man. Oh, the inhumanity of such a statement. Oh, the inhumanity. She said the Jews are not a race. Cancel her. Fire her. She, what, trivialized the Holocaust by saying it was about inhumanity and not race? You want to suspend Whoopi and fire her because she didn't parrot Adolf Hitler's talking points? Race isn't real. Stop it. Race isn't real the same way ABC News isn't real. Just stop it. It's 2022. We should be grateful that nobody on The View yet is denying the Holocaust. We're only a few clicks away from Holocaust denying and uh, talking about the IQs of people of color. Let's just be grateful that they haven't gotten to Holocaust denial, denying and uh, the, the IQs of people of various races. Uh, you know, wake me when The View is arguing over whether or not the Holocaust actually happened. What does any of this have to do with the millions of Americans who don't have enough food, who are being evicted, 40 million Americans have what is called rent insecurity. What does this have to do with the millions of Americans who don't have access to health care or drinkable water or education or feel secure enough so they don't have to worry about their kid getting hit in the head by a stray bullet? That's what news is. That's what news is. But that requires actual reporters and not comedians turned actor turned pundit. She's she's not a professor. There's not a single professor on The View. You have lawyers like we need to hear from lawyers. We don't have any more. It's not news. It's not news. Uh, well, speaking of. Uh, stray bullets. 
I was talking about a kid getting hit in the head uh, by a stray bullet. How many innocent civilians are killed by American drones? See, that to me would be a good conversation to have on a, a real news show. Uh, how many innocent civilians are killed by American drones? It's hard to find out. Uh, the, Pen the Pentagon doesn't keep an official count of the number of innocent civilians who they kill. You would think with all the trillions we spend fighting a global, global war on terror, we would keep a, a tally of civilians we are killing. Because again, I am not uh, a general, but I do know when you kill civilians overseas, that plants the seeds for more terrorism. I'm pretty sure the dirty, dark secret about terrorism is when you kill innocent civilians, uh, you create terrorists. Pretty sure that's how it works, because uh, it's common sense. I mentioned this because today, U.S. Special Operations in Northwest Syria killed Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Qiyashi. He uh, was the leader of the Islamic State, and uh, they killed him during a, a pre-dawn raid. And there are reports that at least 13 people were killed in that raid including women and children. There are reports so far that we killed 13 innocent women and children. So that takes care of that. They, they got the leader of ISIS. He's dead. Biden went on national television to announce that they, they got him. They got the leader of ISIS. Of course, we killed 13 women and children, but that's the end of ISIS, because if history has taught us anything about this never ending war on terror, when you kill the head of a terrorist group, the rest of the terrorists get in line. They they fold up shop. They wave the white flag of defeat and they say, that's it. I'm done being a terrorist, especially when you kill their women and children that that then they just up. Ah, God bless America. You set me straight. We got the message. Message received. Don't be a terrorist. Uh, we will never try to get even with you for the deaths of our women and children. Because women and children, when they die, people around the world respond so well to women and children getting served up as collateral damage. So that's good news. ISIS is done. President Biden went on national television on Thursday. He said after the attack, quote, this should serve as a warning to innocent children all over the world. Today's attack with our imprecise precision rockets is a testament to America's ability to accidentally kill innocent children anywhere in the world. I, I may be misquoting him. Uh, he went on to warn do not mess with me, Joe Biden. My poll numbers are in the toilet and I will start killing brown babies with my bare hands if that's what it's going to take to get Americans to start liking me, unquote. Again, 
uh, that may that may not I may be mis I may not be getting it all. It was pre-dawn, and I hadn't had my second cup of coffee. The point is, we like our presidents killing innocent civilians overseas. But let's be honest about this. It makes us feel safe when our president, quote unquote, accidentally kills innocent civilians overseas. Remember Thomas Friedman saying after 9-11 that we need to go to the Middle East with our sticks and put some heads on sticks and say, you want a piece of this? We mess with you because we can. That's what Thomas Friedman from the New York Times said. We like the collateral damage. We do. It makes us feel safe. Remember Wag the Dog? It's a quaint movie from a simpler time when in the movie, a president tried to boost his polling by invading a small country. But nowadays, an American president no longer needs to do that. He just needs to phone in an airstrike and kill brown civilians and Americans will rally behind him. We've seen this in the polling numbers. It's uh, unfortunately, it's not the killing of the terrorists that make Americans feel safe. It's the killing of the civilians. That, unfortunately, is the point of these airstrikes. It, we like that a commander in chief has the cojones and is willing to kill innocent civilians because that's why he's the commander in chief. He's willing to do what we can't. Ordinary Americans, normal Americans, couldn't sleep at night if they knew that a decision they made led to the deaths of seven kids. But we respect a president who's willing to make those decisions so that we don't have to. You know that's true. That's how we respond to most police shootings of unarmed citizens. What we do overseas, we do to ourselves. We respect the police and make excuses for the police when they shoot an unarmed civilian because deep inside, we believe that sending a signal, do not mess with the police. It makes us feel safe. As long as you're not African-American, as long as you're not a person of color, as long as you're part of the ruling class, as long as you don't have one or two outstanding warrants. So yeah, Biden ordered another military raid and today 13 civilians are dead, including women and children. Does that make you feel safe? It shouldn't. It makes you feel good makes you feel proactive, makes you think that we're writing history instead of responding to it, but it's not making us safe. And uh, the military, of course, has a different version of today's events. John F. Kirby, the Pentagon's chief spokesman, today was asked about the civilian casualties and said, quote, to the degree there's loss of innocent life, 
It's caused by Abdullah and his lieutenants. Abdullah is the nickname for the this ISIS leader that they killed. And uh, they claim, the military is now claiming that he blew himself up and that's what killed all the innocents. We've been here before and we'll be here again. You right, uh, rightfully remember Pentagon press spokesman Kirby from about a month ago telling us that not a single member of the armed services will be disciplined for last August's drone strike in Afghanistan that President Biden was so proud of. That big drone strike that killed the terrorist who attacked Kabul airport, taking out 13 American soldiers. And then we found out through the New York Times, not the Pentagon, then we found out we killed the wrong guy. Turned out to be a pretty good guy. And seven children. Bad intelligence, we were told. Uh, we ordered a 20-pound Hellfire drone strike on the wrong guy and killed seven children. And of course, the target, who turned out to be working with international aid agencies. And we killed him, along with seven children. Do you feel safe? Does that make you feel safe? No. Uh, at best, it makes you feel good. Your lizard brain is saying, that sends a message, do not mess with us. But it's an invitation to become a terrorist. His name was Zamari Ahmadi, an aid worker with a group called Nutrition and Education International. He was killed by a Hellfire missile, your tax dollars at work. He was killed transporting water, bringing drinkable water to uh, the people of Kabul. And we killed him because our drone operators had mistaken him for a terrorist. Seven children, two adults, plus him, dead. The water he was collecting, they thought the water was part of some kind of explosive he was building. And so he's dead. And so are seven children. That was uh, in August. And uh, we still don't have a tally of innocent civilians who we have killed fighting this 20-year war in Afghanistan and Iraq. They won't tell us how many civilians we've killed. 20 years in Afghanistan, the Afghani people did not attack us on 9-11. I will keep repeating that over and over again. The Taliban did not attack us on 9-11. The official story is Al-Qaeda attacked us and they were Saudi Arabians hanging out along the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. Osama bin Laden was killed in Pakistan not Afghanistan, because Afghanistan and the Taliban had nothing whatsoever to do with 9-11. Neither did Iraq. Neither did Saddam Hussein. Nothing. Zip. Nada. Zilch. Now, 
I'm going to keep repeating this on this show. People accuse me of being repetitive. Uh, I'm going to keep repeating this fact until it's settled law, until it's it's accepted by everyone. Iraq and Afghanistan had nothing to do with this, with 9-11. And since 9-11, we have killed more innocent civilians than all the innocent civilians who were killed on 9-11. Think about this 20-year war on terror that continues today we saw that it's still alive, uh, but a million are dead, at least. Uh, we created ISIS by invading Iraq. Uh, the trillions, $14 trillion over 20 years squandered. We spent 20 years bringing up, I mean, it goes without saying, talking about the, the thousands of American soldiers who died and came home wounded and, and ruined the families that have been ruined. We, we spent 20 years fighting two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan based on a lie, several lies. Uh, the complete and utter fabrication that Afghanistan and Iraq attacked us on 9-11. Wow. Let that sink in for, for a second. Think about this. 20 years, $14 trillion that we know of, thousands of American lives dead, perhaps a million, as much as a million dead in Iraq, a couple million refugees uh, from Iraq, lives ruined, and Americans sat passively back and allowed this to happen. And if you can get the American people to sit back and shop and buy things and raise children while this crap is going on overseas, you can get Americans to believe, to do, and permit anything in their name. It's remarkable. It, it really is remarkable that uh, we allow ourselves to be lied to and we lie to ourselves about this, I guess would be 21 year war on global terror that continues. And we still have frightened Americans who believe that the Taliban is coming for us, uh, but not the white militia guy who's shooting up the shopping mall with an AR-15. Wow. Wow. It, it must be the handiwork of Edward Bernays's ghost to be able to manipulate us this way, to get us to be this uncaring this confused and this stupid. Think about this. The war still, the war continues today. Our global war on terror continued. We, we killed the head of ISIS and there wouldn't be an ISIS if we had stayed out 
of Iraq. So is it that big a leap to get Americans to believe anything? Is it that big a leap? Is it that heavy a lift to get Americans to believe that you can pay for all these wars by cutting taxes? Yeah, you can. 20 years, $14 trillion, millions of refugees from these wars, perhaps a million dead in Iraq. That's what Lancet says. Most Americans can't, can't even name the prime ministers of Iraq or Afghanistan. They couldn't name the prime ministers of Iraq or Afghanistan while we were still sending our troops over there. Uh, so how big a leap is it to convince Americans that Medicare for all is just a pipe dream. If you can fight a phony war on terror for 21 years now and get away with it, you can do whatever you want. You can tell the American people to believe whatever you want. You can convince Americans or a good number of Americans that this is, we have the greatest health care in the world. Fewer and fewer Americans believe that, but uh, not enough to want to get rid of our health insurance companies. I mean, more and more Americans want Medicare for all, but you can lie to the American people like we do, like both parties do, and say, sure, Medicare for all is a good idea, but it just can't be done. Of course, it can't be done. We, we can carry on a 22-year war against people who are no threat to us, uh, but Medicare for all on pay, you know, of course, we'd like to give everybody free health care. But how are you going to do that? Feed every American child? Of course, I believe in feeding children. But how do you do that? Free tuition at all public universities? Of course. But it's impossible. Can't be done. They say it's impossible that it can't be done. It must be true. It must be true. We can have a 22-year war. There's close to $20 trillion available to fight two fictitious wars based on lies that make us less safe. There's plenty of logic behind that, but none for making sure that America provides free health care to all its citizens. That's illogical in America, not, not in Canada, not in Europe, not in any of the industrialized countries in America, feeding everybody, housing everybody, and making sure they have health care and free education, it's illogical. But what makes perfect sense is bombing innocent civilians in Iraq and Afghanistan. That makes perfect sense. But homelessness, very complicated here in the United States. There are, so the, it's hard to count, but there's an estimate of about 170,000 homeless Californians. Well, there is a simple solution, build homes for them. But that's illogical, that makes no sense. That's childish, because we all know the money isn't there. Plus, I have, degrees, I, I've, I've worked for foundations. It's more complicated than just building homes. It won't work. Uh, 
It's about mental health. It's about personal responsibility. It's about taking care of our veterans. It's about mothers not having children when they, they're not ready. It's about everything except the real cause of homelessness, which is there aren't enough homes. And the truth is, and again, I will keep repeating this over and over. The reason there is homelessness is the people who own apartment buildings and homes do not want the price of their homes to plummet. The truth about homelessness is they have made it complicated to obfuscate, to hide the truth. And that truth is a shortage of housing makes your property incredibly valuable. That's the truth. No one wants to ad admit that to themselves, especially if they own property, if they own an apartment building, or if they invest in real estate. Nobody wants to say that I'm the cause of homelessness. So they pay think tanks. They pay politicians to say it's complicated. It's more than just a shortage of homes. No, it is a shortage of homes and apartments because a shortage of homes means people who own homes have a valuable, more valuable asset. A shortage of apartment buildings means landlords can charge as much as half a month's salary for rent. In America, as manufacturing went overseas, as we deindustrialized this country starting in 1974, home ownership has since doubled. Why? Well, we got free money, we got credit uh, in lieu of jobs. We got uh, home ownership, which is really credit, a mortgage, in lieu of income. That's what they gave us, home ownership. It doubled. And what we have now are Americans who don't work for a living. A lot of Americans don't work for a living. And they amass wealth by living in their home. Their home is their job. Your house is your job. You don't work for a living. You live in your work. Just by living in your home, you are working. Think about that. There are too many Americans who live that way. They, they're, they, that's where their income comes from. They, they have a house and they don't work. And every time the, the value of the house goes up, they take a second mortgage and borrow against the house. And it's... Uh, the interest on that is deductible, but they're not using that second mortgage to fix up the house and add value to it. That's how the the more the second mortgage is sold to the bank. They live off the second mortgage. And as long as the value of that house keeps going up, they can borrow against it. The last thing anybody 
in America with the, the deindustrialization de of America since 1975, the last thing an American who owns a home, who's lucky enough to own a home, the last thing they want is more housing, supply and demand. More housing means the price of real estate goes down. More housing means there are more apartments available to rent, which means you can't gouge people for rent. But when you when you discuss this, uh, you're told it can't be done. I, uh, all this stuff is uh, impossible. It's impossible to build housing in America. Can't be done. Very simple questions uh, that, that a child asks uh, uh, make perfect sense. Like, I've asked this. Uh, wouldn't we be a lot safer if instead of dropping bombs in Syria today, we dropped food and medicine? Now, that's something a, a, a five-year-old would ask and has asked. Uh, and since I have the mind of a five-year-old, I've asked that question. If you're trying to prevent terrorism, then you want people to stop hating America, right? Wasn't that what the Peace Corps was about? Wasn't that what USAID was about when George McGovern was hired by the Kennedys to, to feed the world? Wasn't that the whole idea behind the Peace Corps and, and feeding the world that when you saw, when Amer America will get more allies and be more loved if we're feeding, educating, and uh, providing uh, medicine. Now you're told that's a, that's what a five-year-old would ask. You know, why don't we drop food, water, blankets, books, bedding, medicine, teachers instead of bombs? And you're told, what are you, what are you, five? Yeah, I'm five. What are you? A monster? What are you, invested in Boeing and Raytheon? The response I get from politicians is, well, how do you do that? I don't know. You're the one who wants to hold elective office. Should you be holding elective office if you can't figure out how to drop medicine on third world countries instead of bombs? Maybe you shouldn't be holding elective office. Ask your congressperson about dropping food, blankets, and medicine on the people of Syria. And they will say, yeah, but how do you do that? And they're serious because it's too simple. Anyone like a five-year-old could figure that one out. So where's the value in that simplicity, in that common sense? It, it must be, if a five-year-old could ask that question, it must be more complicated. It must be because we spend a trillion dollars each year on weapons that kill people. And there's money to be found in those weapons. If it was just a matter of feeding the world to end terrorism, don't you think we would have tried it already? That's what they say. No, I don't think we would have tried it already. We, we can't even try it on ourselves. Why would we try it on the people of Syria? 
Why would we say, you know, instead of phoning in an airstrike or getting commandos to go in and kill the leader of ISIS, supposedly, and having innocent women and children die as collateral damage, how about we just give them food and medicine? How about we love them in, to death? Why don't we end terrorism by loving these people? Uh, but people do philosophical gymnastics to explain away anything so they can keep what's theirs. I really try to figure out why people, including me, are so, so evil, uh, why the American people are evil. Because we, we do a lot of evil in this world. And uh, a lot of us uh, don't deserve it. We don't deserve the, the, the pain and the suffering that's going on. Most of us don't. But we are bullies. And like typical bullies, when bad things happen to us, we uh, curl up in a fetal position and act like cowards and view ourselves as the victims. We are the victims. We are, have become a nation of victims, not victimizers, victims. That's typical behavior of bullies. Uh, and I'm part of it. You know, I, I don't owe any taxes. I'm part of it. Uh, you know, uh, how does the mind get to this place? We're all there here in America. How do we get to this place where we know that we've killed thousands upon thousands? I'll give you the numbers in a second. Thousands upon thousands of innocent civilians overseas. We know that. And we just say, eh, well, what are you going to do? Out of sight, out of mind. Is that not evil? But what's the difference between having a, a brother who puts Jews, gypsies, Catholics, and homosexuals into an oven and not questioning him. What's the difference between not questioning, doing that and not questioning your military when they bomb innocent civilians overseas? The difference is we don't dirty our hands. We don't have to know about it. It's like the mice in my walls. As long as I plug the holes in, in my apartment, I don't see the mice out of sight, out of mind. Uh, how do we get to this point? You know, Hannah Arendt has talked about the banality of evil. I live in a small apartment building here in New York City. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not sharing my apartment with anyone. I don't want to share it with a mouse, a cockroach, or the homeless family that's trying to live in the lobby, period. I care about all living things, but uh, not a mouse, a cockroach, or a homeless family that wants to share my apartment. It's an ugly truth about myself, but that's how we get to where we are right now as a country. I have convinced myself that I don't think it's asking too much 
to live in a tiny apartment in New York City and to be left alone. Now, I care about the homeless family that wants to come out of the cold and sleep in the lobby. Uh, I don't want to see a dead mouse or a dead cockroach. But I don't want I don't want any of that in my apartment. Now, I still tell myself that I'm somewhat caring and compassionate. And when I have time, I will perform philosophical gymnastics trying to convince myself that I'm not evil. Uh, okay, I think we can all agree that most Americans, most of the world would think the way I'm thinking. But now imagine a billionaire who's not trying to hold on to a small apartment uh, that he doesn't want to share with a mouse, a, a cockroach, or a homeless family. Imagine a billionaire holding on to apartment buildings where he charges as much for rent as he possibly can. Imagine this billionaire holding on to insurance companies, you know, stocks and in insurance companies in big pharma, a stock in energy and uh, hospitals, uh, and of course, weapons manufacturers, right? Think of it writ large. And remember, you don't get to be a billionaire if you don't try to protect all those holdings with the same intensity as I do my shitty little apartment. Same intensity, probably more so. That billionaire performs the same exact philosophical gymnastics that I do, the same reasoning that I do to justify profiting off people's misery. And a, a homeless person living on the street with one power bar who doesn't want to share that power bar with somebody else performs the same gymnastics to justify not sharing that power bar because we're all the same. Deep down, we're all the same. We're humans. But here's the difference. That homeless guy would not be homeless if the billionaire was forced to share. It's that simple. I have a small apartment. I have nothing to share other than paying my taxes, giving to charity, donating my time. But the billionaire, the homeless wouldn't exist if billionaires didn't exist. It's that simple. Now, you'll tell me I'm being reductive, but it is that simple. You get rid of billionaires, you get rid of homelessness. Now, nobody is asking the billionaire class to build housing for the poor. That's nobody would dare ask that. In fact, nobody is even asking billionaires to pay their fair share of taxes. We know they won't. All I'm asking, all AOC is asking, she introduced some legislation and, and it was passed in the House. 
all the left is asking is that the billionaires allow the government to build more housing. AOC has introduced legislation to overturn the Faircloth Amendment. I have talked about the Faircloth Amendment. It was passed in 1998. Think about this, what I'm about to tell you. ABC News suspends Whoopi Goldberg. Do they talk? Does ABC News talk about the Faircloth Amendment? Do they talk about why there's the real reason there's homelessness? No. Let's distract because Whoopi on ABC News said the Holocaust wasn't about race. This is news. The Faircloth Amendment passed in 1998 and approved by Bill Clinton. It forbids the building of new public housing in the United States. We have outlawed the building of new public housing in the United States. The federal government has frozen the number of available homes for the poor in the United States. It is against the law for a public housing agency in America to take federal dollars to build new public housing unless that agency agrees to demolish older public housing. They have frozen the number of housing units for the poor since 1998. But ABC News suspends Whoopi Goldberg. That's what they're talking about on The View, not the Faircloth Amendment. 40 million Americans are rent insecure and face eviction. Americans are being evicted right now. Since the 1990s, your federal government has demolished 250,000 subsidized housing units and they haven't been replaced. The move since Clinton, since the Faircloth Amendment, is to turn low-income housing over to private developers. Not to turn low-income housing over to low-income families, to turn low-income housing over to private developers who don't have any interest in providing housing for low-income families. They do this through zoning, layer upon layer of deceit. States, cities create what are called opportunity zones. This was introduced to us by Reagan. Opportunity zones, enterprise zones that give tax incentives to real estate developers to build low-income housing. But they don't build low-income housing. What people like Jared Kushner did in New Jersey, I believe it was uh, Jersey City, you uh, build luxury apartments in these opportunity zones and you gentrify the neighborhood. You pay off a politician, a few building inspectors, and suddenly rich white people are moving into a poor neighborhood and the rich white people are paying exorbitant rent to Jared Kushner or a developer. And that developer doesn't have to pay taxes. He's being subsidized by the state and the city 
because the government thinks, based on the zoning, that he has provided low-income housing for the poor. That's how the Faircloth Amendment works. Turning it over to the market. The government can't provide low-income housing. Uh, when you, If you want to help the poor, it's the profit motive. The very same thing that causes homelessness, the profit motive, we're supposed to believe will solve it. No. But this is why we have homelessness in America. We have homelessness in America because nobody is asking the billionaires, nobody is demanding the billionaires to give up their property. That's out of the question. Nobody is asking billionaires to build homes for the homeless. That's out of the question. But we are asking the billionaires for permission to repeal the Faircloth Amendment so we can build more housing. And they won't allow that because it doesn't cost them tax dollars. It costs them property values. So the billionaires block the building of low-income housing because they want artificial scarcity of housing. They want there to be a shortage of housing. I will keep going over this. I will keep every show. I'm going to keep repeating this. There is a shortage of housing because people who own real estate want there to be a shortage. Fewer apartments, fewer homes, the higher the rent, the higher the value of the home. Period. It's not complicated. The adage has always been invest in land. They're not making any more of it. In America, they've figured out an addendum. Invest in housing. They're not making any more of it. There are homeless people because if we provided homes for them, property values would plummet and so would rent. And we have too many Americans who own their own homes, and that's all they own. It's all they own. So they want property values high. What they're not willing to admit to themselves is they are causing homelessness. Again, listeners complain I sometimes get repetitive. Uh, Joseph Goebbels says, if you repeat a lie over and over again, it becomes the truth. Uh, sometimes you have to repeat the truth over and over again until people know what it is. There are basic truths that must be repeated. Afghanistan did not attack us on 9-11. The Taliban did not attack us on 9-11. Iraq did not attack us on 9-11. You need to repeat this because the other side is repeating the lie that they did attack us over and over again. And today, Biden is repeating the lie that 
America is safer today because he took out the leader of ISIS. That is a lie. We are less safe because he also took out innocent women and children. That makes us less safe. Now, we've been here before. We have been here before. I, I said earlier, it, last August, uh, we had a parting shot. Last August in Afghanistan, we fired missiles at an innocent man. We killed seven children. And General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, right after that drone strike in Kabul, he said, gave a press conference, puffing out his chest, as we were leaving Afghanistan, humiliated, this was our proud moment to, to don't don't mess with us. Uh, he writes, he, he said, quote, the procedures were correctly followed and it was a, quote unquote, righteous strike, a righteous strike. And that was it. The Pentagon never investigated it. It took the evil New York Times to get their hands on the video of that righteous strike to prove that the Pentagon was lying. And then only after the evil New York Times presented the video, only then did the Pentagon investigate and admit, oh yeah, well, we killed seven children. Again, this is the truth that bears repeating. When you kill seven innocent children in Kabul, it makes us less safe. That needs to be drummed into every American's tiny, shriveled head. When our drone strikes kill innocent children overseas, that plants the seeds of terrorism. That makes us less safe. But the Pentagon wouldn't even admit that they killed seven children. And today they're saying that the children who died in Syria from the ISIS attack were killed because Abdullah blew himself up. We'll see if that's true. Uh, a Pentagon spokesman. And by the way, a Pentagon spokesman speaks for more than just the Pentagon. He speaks for America. He speaks for all of us. We pay for these bombs. We pay for the Pentagon. And the world knows that. And when we kill innocent civilians, it makes us less safe. When a Pentagon spokesman finally admits to killing seven children after denying it, that makes us less safe here in the United States because the world is watching. And sometimes they're not rooting for us when we kill seven innocent children and are forced to admit it. Now, they're not prosecuting any of the soldiers, any of the lawyers, any of the generals who authorized that righteous strike in Kabul that killed seven innocent children. This is what the Pentagon spokesman 
said, Kirby, this is what he said in December, after they conducted an investigation into that drone strike that killed seven innocent children, an investigation that they only held because the New York Times exposed it. He said, what we saw here was a breakdown in process and execution and procedural events, not the result of negligence, not the result of misconduct, not the result of poor leadership. Wow. Not the result of poor leadership. What are the odds that a spokesman for the Pentagon wouldn't accuse anyone in the Pentagon of poor leadership. He went on to say that not a single lawyer, not a single member of the armed services shall be disciplined. But we should not take that as a sign that the American government turns a blind eye to the killing of civilians. No, what we that sign uh, we saw when it took the New York Times to find out that you killed seven innocent civilians. Uh, so they killed an aid worker in August trying to provide clean water to the people who didn't attack us on 9-11. Uh, our Pentagon killed him, another adult, and seven children. Nobody is disciplined. Nobody is disciplined. 2.5 million Americans behind bars. We're so tough, you know, we're, we're so, we're such an eye for an eye country, but we sure take it easy on the people who have the power or do the work for the people in power. Innocent civilians, according to foreign affairs, Nobody knows how many innocent civilians America has killed since 9-11. Larry Lewis is a government scientist who has been involved in every Pentagon study examining civilian deaths. This is according to uh, Foreign Affairs, which I believe, I believe David Rubenstein uh, from the Carlyle Group, the war profiteer, I think it comes out of the same organization that he's the chairman of. I think I'm, I'll have to look that up. So this is what Foreign Affairs is saying, that according to this guy, Lewis, conservatively speaking, our Pentagon has killed, conservatively speaking, one civilian per week for the past 20 years. Again, that's a conservative estimate. He's working for the Pentagon. Well, what does the Pentagon admit to? A completely different number. When the New York Times looks into it, uh, listen to this. This is what the Pentagon is admitting to, according to the New York Times. Uh, the military admits to accidentally killing 1,417 civilians in airstrikes over Iraq and Syria just to combat ISIS. This, is, this doesn't include the invasion of Iraq. This doesn't include what our soldiers on the ground did. According to the New York Times, our military admits to accidentally killing 1,417 civilians in airstrikes over Iraq and Syria to combat ISIS. Since 2018, 
in Afghanistan when the war was winding down, right? This is after about 17 years, since 2018. Death from above. We're only talking about drone strikes now. Drone strikes have killed 188 civilians that we know of since 2018 in Afghanistan while the war was winding down. That's what the Pentagon it admits to. Not a single lawyer. You know, you can't do these drone strikes without lawyers. Not a single CIA official, not a single general has been disciplined. The, they were all honest mistakes. All of them. Nobody has been disciplined. It's pretty clear that our drones have killed at least three to five times as many innocent civilians as who died on 9-11. And every time you kill an innocent civilian, it makes you less safe. It puts us in danger. Nobody, oh, I'm sorry, somebody did, my mistake, yes, they have disciplined uh, someone for these strikes. He's a United States Air Force intelligence analyst. His name is Daniel Hale. And he's serving 45 months in prison right now after he admitted to giving over to, I believe it was The Intercept. Uh, he handed over to The Intercept documents revealing the number, precise number of innocent civilians killed by the U.S. military's drone program. He's 33 years old. He's probably 34 now. His name is Daniel Hale. He is, uh, he's been locked up 45 months. He pleaded out. He told U.S. District Judge Liam O'Grady that it was, quote, necessary to dispel the lie that drone warfare keeps us safe. He went on to say it is necessary to dispel the lie that our lives are worth more than theirs. That would be Nathan Hale, D Daniel Hale, Daniel Hale. I wonder if he's related. He went on to say, I am here because I stole something that was never mine to take, precious human life. I couldn't keep living in a world in which people pretend that things weren't happening that were. Please, your honor, forgive me for taking papers instead of human lives. And for that, 45 months in prison, Daniel Hale. But the big headline, ABC News suspends Whoopi Goldberg. Nobody's talking about Daniel Hale. So he was not forgiven. Prison. One person in prison for killing innocent civilians through drone strikes. And it's the intelligence analyst who exposed it. Uh, we are not safer today because Joe Biden 
phoned in an airstrike or a commando raid to pump up his his numbers. But uh, it's counterintuitive to how we're taught in America, like owning a gun. You know, it makes you less safe. People who own guns are more likely to use the gun on themselves, commit suicide, than protect themselves. That's a fact. In fact, there is no evidence that owning a gun protects you ever during a home invasion. It just makes you feel safe. You think you're safe, but you're more likely when you hear a sound in the house, you're more likely to accidentally shoot your kid than an intruder. You're more likely to kill yourself with that gun uh, that you have to prevent a home invasion. 75% of household suicides are with guns. The, the dirty, dark secret about guns is they do not protect you from home invasions, and they never have. Epidemiologists at a Harvard, yes, evil Harvard, have studied the medical records of people behind bars. They cannot find a single person behind bars who, before getting locked up, had been transferred from a hospital suffering from a gunshot wound inflicted by a homeowner or renter with a gun. Nobody can produce any evidence of a single intruder who was shot, injured, taken to a hospital, and then charged with the crime. Doesn't exist. Killing someone in the middle of a home invasion? Yes, there is evidence of kill shots. This is according to the Harvard School of Public Health. Uh, Owning a gun, it's like our military industrial complex. It only makes you think you're safe by getting these weapons. And you would think our police would be the first to jump on this. Police fatalities are 3.6 times higher in states that have fewer gun restrictions and more guns. Every study shows that the states and the, the counties that have the most guns have the most police fatalities. But the police unions have been bought off by the National Rifle Association. The NRA donates millions to police unions. They create work for police officers by hiring them to teach gun safety. The NRA did not like it when police chiefs stood behind Bill Clinton and endorsed the assault weapons ban. So they started donating to police unions, which is why whenever a cop gets shot, the union spokesman blames the, DE, the DA for not being tougher on crime, but never says, get these guns off the street. But every time a cop pulls someone over, they are terrified of getting shot. But the police chiefs, the unions have been bought off by the NRA. Cop gets shot, we're told we need to spend more money on cops. We need to get tougher on crime and bring back mandatory sentencing. That's why police are getting shot. It's not the guns. It's district attorneys who refuse to prosecute misdemeanors. Don't 
don't blame guns for cops getting shot. They get shot because liberals don't want to fill our prisons with nonviolent offenders. So we really have no idea how many uh, cops shoot unarmed civilians. The government doesn't keep track of that. Uh, we have no idea, no official tally of innocent civilians who've been killed by our military since 9-11. Uh, we do know that way more civilians were killed to avenge 9-11 than were killed on 9-11. Uh, so the lies continue. General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, still insisting the, the Taliban attacked us on 9-11. Wants funding. Gotta, gotta lie because it's a dangerous world and we need the American people scared. So our military has the weapons to protect us. That's how he sleeps at night by repeating the lie. And we just keep lying about everything. We lie about homelessness. We lie. We say it's a, a mental health issue or they're lazy or it's a government that made people so dependent on handouts they can no longer take care of themselves. Have you heard that argument? What they don't discuss is we need to build more homes. Never discussed. Uh, no, no. Can't discuss building more homes. Uh, yeah. Uh, nobody discusses the fact that it's illegal for any city or state to take federal dollars to build no, new low-income housing unless they demolish an equal number of older low-income housing units. That's never discussed because uh, we have to protect the billionaires. This is human decency. Other countries in the industrialized world can still practice basic human decency without getting rid of capitalism. We can do this without blood on the streets. We can do this with common decency and repeating the truth over and over to combat the lies that are repeated over and over. We need to take back the term common sense. It has been stolen from us by the billionaire class. Homeless people are homeless because they need homes. Common sense. People who own homes don't want the government to build homes because that creates too much supply and too much supply means less demand for my property, which means I can't charge as much for rent. Common sense. People who own apartments and homes want homelessness because homelessness is like a greenhouse gas. It's a dirty byproduct of manufacturing more wealth. Common sense. More guns mean more police getting shot to death by those guns. Common sense. But the National Rifle Association, 
like the military industrial complex, works for weapons manufacturers. So they cloud the issue. They spread the lie that there's so many guns out there, you'd be crazy not to buy a gun to protect yourself from all these guns that are out there. They promote the same exact arm buildup our defense contractors do, same playbook. NRA, Boeing, Raytheon create an imaginary enemy. For Boeing, it's the Taliban. For the NRA, it's, it's black people, people of color. Or, and this is a new one, the jackbooted police. This is what Wayne LaPierre, the, the head of the NRA, said. Jackbooted police kicking down our doors to take away our guns and our freedom. That's what the NRA is now warning about. So you better buy a gun. They warned the police are gonna be coming for your guns, so buy more guns. Every time there's a school shooting, the price of stock in gun manufacturers goes up because Americans have been trained to believe that this time, after this school shooting, the government is coming for our guns, so you better stockpile the guns while you still can. And gun manufacturers, they need to increase quarterly profits, and that's what the NRA does by any means necessary. You want to end gun violence? Common sense is get rid of the guns. Killing innocent civilians in Syria today created more terrorism. That's common sense. How many times do we have to go over this? I'm going to keep going over this. The only thing that matters is providing free health care, food, housing, education, and security to all Americans. Any conversation that doesn't start and end with those basic building blocks is a distraction. People say, well, what is news? News is who is hungry, who is homeless, who needs medical attention, who needs an education, who needs to be protected from bullies, who needs to feel safe. Everything else is sports, weather, and gossip. Everything else is ABC News suspends Whoopi Goldberg. Well, that was better than the piece of shit I talked about on Monday's show. <laughs> that was that was a fucking train wreck. Uh, what I try to pass off as uh, rhetoric. That was better. Uh, you're listening to the David Feldman Show. David Feldman Show. Dot com. Friend me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Don't forget, it's office hours and hours. Dan, right? Office hours and hours. Should we do community billboard? Let's talk. Sure. And I have some birthdays for you. Oh, can we see you? There we go. There I am. You'll be... Do you have a bird? Yes, we have three. You have three birds? What kind of birds? They're parakeets. They're little, little tiny, uh, tiny birds. I'm trying to teach them to uh, sing The Godfather by whistling to them, but they just get excited and start whistling back. Uh, they, they don't mimic very well. Wow. 
Now, parakeets don't talk. They sing. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot of tweeting. And just in the last couple of days, I've been uh, Googling which birds, you know, do it good. And they're like a grand a piece. I'm like, right. (laughs) And supposedly you're not supposed to train your your birds to curse because they outlive you. And then. Oh, Oh, boy. Yeah. Don't. So we have birthdays today. This is a new segment. Famous people's birthdays, right? That's right. And now um, we have. Uh, now I have to know. The question is: Will I know who these famous people are? That's the big question. How about Ferdinand Magellan? Ferdinand Magellan uh, ordered around the world at a strip mall massage parlor in Miami, and got eaten by. Hawaiians. Didn't Fernand Magellan like circumnavigate the world and then get eaten? Or am I, who is he? Do you have the, the dinger and the oh, buzzer? Yeah. Oh, hang on. You got it correct. Well, hang Ding-ling. on. <laughs> uh, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Uh, I got it right? Yes. So he must have been born. I'm going to go with if Columbus was 1492. I'm going to say Magellan was 1525, 1550. 1480. 1480 was the year he was born. Yes. And and was he, I'm going to guess he was, was he sailing for the British or the Portuguese? I, I do not know. Or the Spanish. I did not research it that deeply. Okay. I just know. Happy birthday, was, Magellan. Ferdinand. Happy Magellan. birthday. Ferdinand yeah. suggests Spain. I would agree with that. Yeah. We have Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor. The uh, New York Giants? Linebacker. Yep. I can't believe I knew who he is. What? Uh, and uh, he, I'm going to guess born in 1971. 59. He's been retired for quite a while. Okay. Happy birthday, Lawrence. Lawrence Taylor. Um, We have uh, Sean Kingston. Sean Kingston. And he was... I have no idea. uh, Yeah, he's like a... a Beautiful girl. There's a popular song probably between 10 and 20 years ago. Right. And... um, yeah, he was born uh, in 1990 on February 3rd. Unfortunately. <laughs> we have, uh... <laughs> I mean, I would assume we don't. Did, did you yeah. know who he was? I'm sure he's. A nice I, guy. I, I had heard the name, but I and once I saw the song, I kind of knew. OK. Um, Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. The actor. The Of course, I know who that is. Um, he was born in 1970. I have no idea he was, who he is. He was the star of Wicked. He's a, a little person, and he was also the star of the series mm-hmm. Leprechaun. Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, happy birthday. Warwick. War- Warwick Davis. We we have uh, Amal Clooney. Amal? Oh, I know who that is. Yes, you do. She is the wife of George Clooney, who 
I love. I think George Clooney's a, I don't know enough would, about him. And she is an attorney. She lives in Lake Homo. Is it Lake Homo? The, the notes I have on her is she's the barrister at Dowdy Street Chambers, whose notable clients include Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, right. and the former Ukrainian prime minister, Yulia Tymoshenko. And right. she is also an activist and author. And um, I also have written down that you broke up with her and she went with George Clooney between wife's three Oh, and well, I, Yeah, well, I did date, yes. How'd you know about that? Well, I have it on my list of things to do because I wasn't sure if we were supposed to send her a birthday card or not. No, no birthday card. You know what? She would love to hear from me, but George would be a little threatened by that. I think you're stirring up. It's like we we had a nice thing going, but then I made her choose between me and George yeah. and she made her choice. And she's, you know, she has to live with that now. She she could have been my fourth wife. Mrs. Right. Uh, Mrs. Miss, she would be Mrs. David Feldman Clooney right now. Amal Feldman. She would be Mrs. Amal Feldman Clooney Feldman. She But she picked George over there me. You go. So any other birthdays as we um, wait for... Ben Burgess. <laughs> I, apparently, he heard the show. <laughs> I think Ben is. Uh, I haven't seen Ben yet, so okay. we're okay. Um, we have uh, Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. Civil yes. rights activist who became known as the first lady of civil rights after she was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a bus in 1955. Do you have a guess for her birth date? Yeah, I am going to guess... I should say her birth year. I'm going to guess 1915. 13. I'd give you I'd give you a ding ding win on that within five years. That's great. A great um, woman. Knew exactly. I knew, you know, uh, I, I didn't know as a kid that that this was planned and that, you know she was like neil armstrong they 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 knew she she worked with dr king to arrange that they she knew exactly what she was doing uh go ahead we have business executive hunter biden hunter biden Yep. He's born Robert Hunter Biden. He's an attorney and CEO who is the son of U.S. President Joe Biden. He was both a CEO and chairman of Paradigm Global Advisors. And uh, left the... Do you have his... Yeah, have I'm going to guess... Here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess 1970 or 71. 70. Perfect. You get a ding ding. Your favorite. I like this. By the way, I'm working... I'm getting this information off his laptop. So, <laughs> um, Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper, I am going to guess Alice. Today's Alice Cooper's birthday. I am going to guess he was born in 1947, 48. You get a ding ding for that, too. That's a percentage error. Yep. You should do me on uh I'm I did. I, oh, well, not in public. 
Oh, uh, well, should, okay. sorry. You should do sorry. me on what people died from. I, I used to have an uncanny ability to remember what people died from, especially since I killed them all. It was the people <laughs> I killed. I could always tell you how I, no, I, I could, I'm pretty, up until about five years ago, I could tell you causes of death of famous people. Uh, keep going because we don't have a guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I read you this next one, look for the email I sent you two or three minutes ago with the, oh. the community billboard pictures. Okay. Um, we have, I had never heard of this person, but apparently she's, uh, she's like number one on Instagram or something. Hannah Stocking. Instagram Hannah Stocking. St Instagram star and model. She has 20 million followers on Instagram and 25 million on TikTok. Wow. Does it, does any of that mean anything? A TikTok is like, you know, did you read that uh, Facebook stock plummeted 25%? And yeah, Zuckerberg said that he's losing eyeballs to TikTok. He admitted that oh, wow. fewer people are, uh, the growth isn't there. And Spotify also plunged. They they increased new subscribers, but they have headwinds now with uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, they have the Rogan controversy going on. Yeah, the, um, I think Facebook has seen what's going on with uh TikTok type social media because they introduce reels. You can see every time you log on to Facebook, you see reels where it's just like really short clips. And that's just pretty much the attention span, attention span of people. So you're saying an eight hour podcast is not what people want. Is that what you're suggesting? No, I'm just saying it's the opposite. I'm not saying it's not what they want. I'm just saying it's the opposite. I look at, I could watch TikTok all night. 10 seconds, 30 seconds of a cat, or I love the hardware stuff, like carpenters working really quickly to mold something. But anyway, uh, let's do, oh, keep going, and then we'll- Well, uh, 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 seven hours times 60 minutes is 420 times two, because they're all about 30 seconds. You can get 840 TikToks or Facebook Reels per show. Yeah. When you go that direction, people, we 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 had a meeting yesterday about clipping the show into little segments, which I think we're going to try once again to to take the live stream and make it digestible, little digestible bites. I'm not sure how well that's going to go down in your stomach, but uh, we'll see. I, I don't. I I like the fact that we have timestamps and people can just click on the timestamps, you know, fast forward me to get to the guests. Any other birthdays? <laughs> um, no, we're done with birthdays, but okay. we uh, we're on to community billboard. Okay, this is good. Do you see this? Yes, I see that. And put it right over your face. But that isn't who I think <laughs> it is, who it says it is. Well, this is from Tom Weber, and that is Ian McKellen. Sketch this is a sketch of British actor Ian McKellen. It's a sailor brush pen. It's beautiful. And, uh, yeah. How do people buy a painting from Tom Weber? Well, they can go to tomweberart.com to check out uh, all of his artwork. He's got 
like several hundred up there. I point. love this picture. Reminds me, I have to call a plumber. What is this? <laughs> well, this is from Glenn Acostic. Yeah. What is that? Yep. This is bean soup. And he writes, uh, it's bean soup with potatoes, carrots, mushrooms, and napa tapeworms. cabbage. And tapeworms. And tapeworms. That uh, looks celery. like it, it looks, we need to just <laughs> home invasion. We need to move in with him. Yeah. Look at the, Look at those, that bread. Jesus, that's a work of art. What is that? This is also from, from Glenn. It's uh, Durham bread. It's uh, seeded Durham whole wheat loaves. Wow. Yeah, we're going to his house. We're going to dunk that bread in his soup and uh, kick him out in the snow. Yeah. The that, snow bank. And is this a painting from the... Wow, look at that. That Lane did that? That is from Lane... And this is CM Hall. I see him. I don't believe him. Whoa. I I uh, have written down here that he writes about this image that he built it in the seven that it was built in the uh, 1790 by Sir Ralph Milbank, the sixth baronet, and in 1815, <laughs> poet poet Lord Byron married his daughter Anne Isabel. He married Milbank. his daughter. Lord Byron married his daughter. Lord Byron mad, married his daughter, Anne Isabel Milbank, at CML, not his own daughter. Is this like, did he sing with the mamas and the papas? This isn't like uh, that. Is, is that from the 1700s? No. Like I, back I when think, you were a kid? No, but Mackenzie yeah. Phillips and Papa John. The fruit of their marriage was uh, Ada Lovelace, the mathematician and pioneer of computing. Ada Lovelace. Yep. I uh, knew his daughter. Bernice Lovelace. We'll, we'll leave it at that. She had a very raspy throat. I don't know why. I think she smoked a lot. Hey, speaking of uh, lace and love. Getting Saint, smoked. Uh, uh, what's it called again? St. Valentine's Day? Yeah, I've heard of that once or twice. Yeah. What's the secret to having relations with a human being? Well, if you're talking physically, yes. I would say that the best uh, situation would be to purchase a gift from josephbrintonjewelry.com. Yes, yes. Love is he's transactional. He specializes in earrings. Yes. And he's been a, a longtime listener of this show since the very beginning. And his website is josephprintonjewelry.com. You can get some uh, handmade earrings. Look how beautiful and, that is. Look at the hearts. I'm gonna, I'm, heart. you know, we have a lot of young people here. I'm just going to explain the birds and the bees. If you want to be loved, it's transactional. You must give an offering to the goddess of love or the god of love. You must sacrifice in order for the other person to give unto themselves. And the only way you can achieve that is by handing over moderately priced jewelry from josephbrittonjewelry.com. Give it to a man, give jewelry to a man, and he will give unto himself, he will give himself unto you and give it to a woman and she will give unto you, but you, it's transactional. I think it's from the Beatles. In the end, the love you take is equal to the love you paid for. 
by going to josephbrittonjewelry.com. I think the I got The of love right. was Aphrodite, and the god of love was Aphroditeoides. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> All right. Very good. Uh, who did th- this? Is fantastic. Yes. Um, this is from January 18th, uh, a Facebook post that uh, our very own Mary Ann Cummings posted. Mary uh, Ann if- Cummings? I. She did that. She wrote, uh, I sketched this yesterday, Martin Luther King in a Birmingham jail where he penned his famous letter. And that's our Mac. That is Professor. I'm going to cry. Yeah, that's really good. That is. Wow. I think I don't think she would mind if I just did this. She is amazing. That is amazing. That is so beautiful. Marianne Cummings did that. Yep. And she's a physicist. And she's a parks commissioner. I can't even come up with a flatulent joke. (laughs) And uh, here we go. Oh, this is good. What's what's going Uh, on here? uh, On the pictures, lastly, we have uh, an image from the website of Ralph Nader's Radio Hour. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have Ralph welcomes Donald Cohen, the founder and executive director of In the Public Interest and co-author of the book, The Privatization of Everything, to discuss the many different ways corporatism has corrupted so many of our public goods. And also on that show, uh, there was constitutional scholar Bruce Fine, Mm -hmm. who joined you guys to give uh, you his take on the constitutional ramifications of the U.S. involvement in the conflict between Russian and Russia and the Ukraine. Listen to the Ralph Nader Radio Hour on a station near you. If you're not, if your local station is not carrying the Ralph Nader Radio Hour, call your Ralph Nader, call your local radio station and say, I want the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. And you can listen to it as a podcast, the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. He is. Yeah, Yeah, I think that the time I was on, I was on there is, you know, out of the 10,000 like podcast and radio appearances I've done in the last couple of years, I think was the only one that ever impressed my mother. Is that Ben Burgess? (laughs) When did you show up? A couple minutes ago, you guys seemed to be on a roll. I, I didn't. Oh, didn't we were, <laughs> we were. Uh, normally, we just kill comedy, but the, now we were just <laughs> killing time. Well, you're here. I am, but you're. So I, I'm going to wrap, wrap or wrap yeah. up this. Um, we'll, we'll wrap everyone, up. go visit arahima.org. That's uh, Professor Adnan Hussein's parents' organization. Office hours. Yep. Let, let's. Now, one of the ways we, if you want to sell books, Professor Ben Burgess, is we should do an office hours with you. I think we could sell books, but uh, tell yep. us who's going to be at office hours. Um, I don't have the schedule right in front of me at the moment. We're going to be screening. Professor John is going to be screening two episodes of The Twilight Zone. It's going to be great. We, uh, we're both of them have William Shatner. Yes, so that so, will be fantastic. If you have anything you want to send into the community billboard, send it to dentfeldman at gmail dot com. Great, thank you so much, 
Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. Joining us uh, is the author of Christopher Hitchens, What He Got Right, How He Went Wrong, and While He Still Matters. Ben Burgess is a columnist for Jacobin. He joins us today, I believe, from Georgia? Yep. I didn't keep you waiting, right? No, 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 no. It's I, I, I was very late because my my previous commitment, like I kept thinking, was about to be over, and then it kept not being over. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I was only there for a couple of minutes. Like I said, I, I didn't want to interrupt, you know, to well, compound my sins by doing that. We have uh, limited time, so very quickly, let's talk about the article you have over at the Daily Beast. Mm -hmm. entitled Christopher Hitchens, hero to the anti-woke, would have hated bans on critical race theory. What is the argument against critical race theory? This is a long tradition of fighting a bogeyman that doesn't exist, like, oh, I don't know, uh, Al-Qaeda. Like, we invented Al-Qaeda. We gave... Osama bin Laden, the name Al-Qaeda. This, this critical race theory, it exists, but they're not forcing it down the, the eyeballs of uh, our students. Yeah, I mean, I think the actual connection between academic critical race theory and anything that's likely to be taught in um, like K-12 schools, for example, in Virginia, which was the last place that had uh, introduced a ban uh, when you know when I was writing the article uh, is probably pretty tenuous, right? You know, I, I don't see you know like I don't see your Derek Bell's or Kimberly Crenshaw's you know getting taught in a lot of high school classes in Virginia, um, you know. And but I don't want to emphasize that point too much because for two reasons, right? One is that you know people who are obsessed with this, you know, all of these like little petty cops like James Lindsay and Christopher Rufo. You know, who spend all their time thinking about this, they'll find examples of things that if you look at them in the right light, they sound kind of sort of like critical race theory. Right. And, you know, they, they can make a big deal about that. And I think that's sort of like taking your eye off the ball of the bigger issue, because even if we imagine that we were living in a world where, you know, Derek Bell, for example, a really important critical race theorist was being taught regularly in Virginia high school classrooms. And he actually, there actually are things like, you know, I mean, look, most high schools suck, so they're not going to teach it, you know, but like uh, there are things that Derek Bell wrote that you could assign in a high school classroom that are like relatively, you know, that are like accessible enough and things like that. Like people sometimes overstate this point and say like nothing that any of these guys say could possibly be comprehended outside of like, you know, graduate school or law school. And that's not really true, right? I mean, like they did, they did write some things that are, you know, I mean, Derek Bell wrote some like short stories to like try to illustrate some of his ideas. Uh, and and you could actually assign one of those to high school classroom. And my point would be, if you did, so what? Like if if you know, like like I, I think that like what somebody like you know Derek Bell or Kimberly Crenshaw believes about race and all of that, you know, I agree with certain parts of it. I disagree with certain parts of it. But my view is that the role of education should uh, should be to make people better at critical thinking, so they can. You know, they could engage with ideas and, and what figure are they, out what they think. What, what, what are these laws being passed? Are they banning discussions about the evils of slavery? 
or are, well, are you supposed? Seems- it seems to me that you're going to make a white kid uncomfortable if you talk about the Middle Passage. Yeah. So uh, in, in some cases, that? I think in some cases, I think they do shade into uh, to that. Right. So I, I could I actually have right in front of me a bill that was introduced uh, a a few days ago, I think, or at least it was posted about a few days ago in New Hampshire, uh, which is um, which uh, which says uh, this is New Hampshire, not the South. Not the old yeah, Confederacy. Yeah. No, no, this is not the old Confederacy. This is New Hampshire, right? So, so let me let me just read a little bit of this, um, and and some of this, I guess, is actually adding to an older law, but like quite a bit of what I'm reading is 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 like new stuff that you know that this this new bill that's been proposed would add to it, right? So here's here's how it starts. Uh, one, no teacher shall advocate communism, socialism, or Marxism as political doctrine or theory, which includes the overthrow by force of the United States or if this state in any public approved school or in any state institution to the, and this part, like that part was like partially old, partially new uh, Two, no teacher shall advocate any doctrine or theory promoting a negative account or representation of the founding and history of the United States of America, New Hampshire public schools, uh, which does not include the worldwide context of now outdated and discouraged practices. I guess slavery is a now discouraged practice. Uh, such uh, prohibition includes, but is not limited to, teaching that the United States was founded on racism. So, you know, that like some of this, uh, I mean, beyond just the fact that like the sort of general like spirit of it is is just like this kind of wild Neo McCarthyite, you know, authoritarian hysteria, uh, which it is. Uh, but like, you know, I, it's also. I I imagine myself like if this is passed, right? I don't think this law, you know, I think this is just introduced. I don't think this is passed yet, like this one I was just reading from. But like, if this is passed, and like if I'm a public school teacher in New Hampshire, then what I have to think about is not just like what the technical wording of the law is, but anytime I talk about anything that flies too close to the sun of these topics. Is anything that's going to come out of my mouth something that an uh, that if the wrong student repeated it to their parents, that an unsympathetic parent took this to the school board, would I get in trouble? Would there be a whole thing here? You know, would there be the possibility of disciplinary action or be having to explain myself to avoid disciplinary action? And I have to think realistically, most people in that position are just going to start avoiding these topics as much as possible because it's not worth the headache. Which is, of course, kind of the goal, right? You know, to 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 shut that down, and that's, and you know, I I think that it's I think it's terrible, from you know whatever you think about the motivations, and we can talk about that. But whatever you think about the motivations, I think the effect of this is going to be absolutely terrible, in terms of you know so many high schools are already these incredibly boring conformity factories that don't really do much to promote critical thinking, that don't really you know, expose students to interested ideas and interested discussions and, and help them, you know, and, and, and help them like expand their minds. And, and I think this is just going to make that problem way worse because, because of course, right. Like, like what you, you know, this is that, what does it mean to present the United States as having been founded on racism? Assuming that you don't actually use the words, the United States was founded on racism, that like nobody could catch you using those exact words. Then the question is, what well, are you saying? Something that could be summarized 
saying that the United States could be founded on racism. I would imagine different districts are going to interpret this differently. I would imagine that like different parents are, are, are going to seize on things, you know, and, and, and you're going to get at the very least a lot of fighting about this uh, that is going to have a chilling effect on, on teachers. And, and I think that the reason I, you know, I said in the piece, right. You know, that, that I was arguing that Christopher Hitchens, who, you know, you know, part of the reason I was talking, I mean, of course, I wanted to talk to him about it because I just wrote a book about him. But like part of the reason that the Daily Beast thought it'd be an interesting angle is that this is a guy who, you know, a certain kind of proponent of these laws, you know, likes, you know, you're like James Lindsay types. And uh, and I think that there, you know, even though, of course, anytime you play the game of what would somebody have thought about something that they never, you know, they didn't live to. Right. You know, there's always a speculative element. I think in this case, we could actually be pretty confident based on two things, right? One of them is his substantive views about the topic, that even in his worst political period, post 9-11, Christopher Hitchens was on record as supporting reparations for slavery. So I think that his reaction to the idea that you weren't allowed to say in a classroom anything that could be glossed is that the United States was founded on racism would have been pretty bad. And, And two... Uh, I think what might in some ways be the more significant issue, uh, which is the issue about free speech and open, you know, open and unafraid discussion of controversial ideas, because this is something that was very important to him. And, and he had, I think, one of the best is this debate that he did in Canada in like the last few years of his life. You can find on YouTube, you know, just search for like Christopher Hitchens free speech, uh, which is, I think, one of the best sort of most eloquently stated versions of this argument I've ever heard, where he starts out, you know, he does this classic Christopher Hitchens opening, you know, where, where I think the first word out of his mouth is fire. And he's like, okay, now you've heard it, right? Fire, not a crowded theater, granted. Uh, and he, he says, and he reminds the audience that the context of Oliver Wendell Holmes saying that you can't shout fire at a crowded theater was upholding the conviction of a group of socialists who had been passing out Yiddish language anti-war literature opposing U.S. entry into World War One, And the, the point that Hitchens makes is, well, look, um, you can make a good argument that these people were, in fact, shouting fire when there was a very real fire. You know, they, they were firefighters. Uh, and the question, as always, with these free speech issues is who gets to decide, right? Who is empowered to decide what counts as a real fire and what doesn't? And how sure are you that they're going to make the right decision? And and I think that, you know, when it comes to this stuff, I mean, like, I, I, I think that you have to say, like, I mean, you know, maybe this is naive of me, but like, I think that I, you know, I can remember being in high school and having a high school teacher. I can remember reading things I disagreed with. I can remember high school teachers saying things I disagreed with. You know, I think that like a good teacher presents ideas as like prompts for discussion, not like dogmatically, this is what you have to think. But I also remember, you know, teachers just asserting things that I didn't agree with. And I didn't just automatically start believing everything because a teacher says they would. And I really don't believe like, you know, I talked to some teachers. I don't believe that they, you know, that they are under any illusions, that they have that level of control over their students' minds, you know, that they, they present people with things and you know what they're going to do with that is is ultimately something that over the years is is you know like teachers have very limited control over but i'm much happier living in a society 
where things that like some like, you know, petty school board fascist could decide, oh, that sounds like Marxism to me. That sounds like saying the United States was founded on racism to me. I'm much happier living in a society where people are allowed to decide these things for themselves. And, you know, teachers can do what they think is going to be best for stimulating discussion in their classroom without people peering over their shoulders and and, and asking, you know, what what's, uh, you know, like, oh, wait a second, is that, does that suggest the United States was founded on racism? Is, is that, I don't know. I mean, did you say something about the triangle shirtwaist factory? That can be interpreted as Marxism. You know, like, like I, I, I don't, I don't want to live in that world. And, and I think that like a really crucial point about this, I also think there's a strategic discussion to be had here because overwhelmingly the response of the left to these laws has basically been to call people racist for supporting them, which I don't think is always wrong. I think, I think, some people who are really pushing this stuff are pretty racist, but I don't think that's necessarily the most politically salient truth because one, if that's your only response, it's not going to ring true to a lot of people because even though I understand that, like, if you speak online progressive instead of American English, you know, you, you know, you will define the word racism in such a way that you don't have to be like consciously bigoted to be a racist, but that's not how most people understand the term. And they know, they understand perfectly well, there are going to be people who support these laws who aren't consciously super racist. And also, I think it sort of contributes to the image of, of you know, the left and progressives as, as you know, as like being very finger waggy. I think the better way to respond to this is to say, look, these people are just cops, right? This is just like, like this critical race theory freak out. This is just the 2022 version of like people at like school board meetings in 1975 say that if you play Zeppelin records backwards, it says hail Satan, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just the latest version, you know, people in the 1980s saying that, you know, dungeons and dragons, you know, was, was, or, was, was, or was, we have, we have to wrap it up or it's the same people from 1975 who didn't want their kids bust in, in South Boston. It might, it might be more than that, but we have to wrap yeah, it up. There's, de- there's definitely an element of that. Yeah. Right. Uh, Professor Ben Burgess is author of Christopher Hitchens, What He Got Right, How He Went Wrong, and Why He Still Matters. He writes about this over at the Daily Beast. He is also a columnist for Jacobin and host of Give Them an Argument. I wish we had more time. Thank you, Professor. All right. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Bye. That is Professor Ben Burgess. We're running seven minutes behind. Uh, I'd like to welcome Dr. Philip Hershenfeld. He's a Freudian psychoanalyst. And Ethan Hershenfeld, who was on Bull on CBS. He's going to be on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. He's making a new one. And he's also on Red Notice. Uh, Is it Red Notice or Burn Notice? Did I lose you? What happened? I'm distracted. Let me he's, he's, he's turned off. That's he's watching. His, his sound is was turned off. There we go. Come back. Uh, well, Professor, there you go. There he is. There you are. I'm gonna let, let me get a clear head here because. We, uh, I had a vamp for 
Although Dan did a pretty great job. Our, uh, Professor Burgess was extremely late, and so we had a kill time. So let me gather my thoughts. Ethan Hershenfeld is a comedian, and Thug Thug Jew is the name of the special. And I am curious, can you unmute yourself, Ethan? Do you prefer... He doesn't hear me. He's still muted. Okay, I think he's frozen. Uh, is Judaism a race or is it a religion? Is it both? Is religion a, is, is race a racist term? Uh, you didn't no. think I was going to be asking you that question. Well, how could race be a racist term? It's a description. Is it though? I mean, Whoopi Goldberg said, "I'm, I'm giving. I, I know you. Let, let's see if we can get Ethan here. Unmute, hey, Ethan. Can you hear me? There we go. Let me. Yeah, let me. Okay, Whoopi Goldberg. I'm trying to dial in, but there's no instructions. I don't know what the number of this meeting is. Right, it's so. unlisted. As is my show. I try to. I'm a boutique. Don't like too many guests or too many listeners. No, no, no. On the invitation, it says dial in, but then it asks for the meeting number, but that's not listed. Oh. Do you prefer, Ethan? You're, fr you're frozen. Ethan, can you hear me? Ethan? Yeah, I just need to know what is... What is the meeting number? Dan, are you here, Dan? Can you, can you help? Why don't I do this? I'm gonna, we're running behind. Let me do this. Uh, let me, uh, let, let's play, hopefully this will work. We're gonna play new music, not new music. We're gonna play some music from Professor Mike Steinel, and then we will solve Ethan's issues. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. Office. It was always running behind. I know. I know. We'll be I just put the webinar ID in the chat for. OK, so <laughs> let, let's play some uh, music from uh, Mike Steinel. We'll be right back. Traveling light, got everything I need. Got a little bottle of Rolite and a little bag of weed. Got to saw Bello Novel, cause I really like to read. I'm traveling light. I'm a creature of the road, got no regrets. Gave up my postal code and cigarettes. I'm doing much better with a touch of Tourette's. I'm traveling light. Just need a clean room in a Motel 6. Not too close to downtown, but not out in the sticks. I need my pen and teller magic kit so I can do my tricks. Got my favorite pillow, which I call Mr. Fluffy. Four kinds of allergy pills in case I get stuffy. A pound of Epsom salts, cause my ankles get puffy. I'm traveling light. 
two pairs of socks and shorts in my little valise, a couple of passports, and my sex doll Denise. I'm staying real quiet so they don't call the police. I'm traveling light. Bike, so I have a place to hang my pants. My very valuable Hummel collection, a menorah made of fish heads, a Christmas tree. I like to keep my options open, don't you know? A shoe shine kit, a skill saw, a crossword book, a large supply of mechanical pencils, a year's worth of New York magazines I've been trying to get around to read, some scripts that I've been tweaking for those people in LA, and my enemies list. All right, all right. Welcome back, I hope. There we go. Okay. Joining Hello? us by phone is Ethan Hershenfeld, right? Hello. Can you hear us now? I, I apologize. Yes. You. Everybody looks yes. pissed off. Uh, I apologize. I, I can hear you, but then I hear I, me I with can an hear echo. You, but then I hear me with an echo. Uh, try this. Hang on. Let me mute you. <laughs> now try it. All right. How's that? That's better, right? Great. Okay. I can hear you. Can I hear? Oh, there's the doctor. Okay. Hello, everybody. Okay. Sorry. Hello, everybody. Hello. Let me ask, uh, how are you doing, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld? What would you like? I have some things I wanted to talk about, but what okay. would you like? You're going to have to talk about them fast because at precisely 730, I have to teach a class on how to be a psychoanalyst. So wow. I'm out of here. I apologize. I, 
Uh, no need. No okay. need. Uh, Ethan. Yes, sir. Whoopi Goldberg got suspended from ABC News. Because Wait, that's not a real person. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg, that's the name? That's Come your, on. That's your you name. You can do better than that. There's an actual person with that name? Yes. Come and, on. And, and she works for ABC News. Okay. All right, go on. I'm with you. I'm going to go with you in this hypothetical <laughs> weird universe. But okay. So there's someone named Whoopi, and her last name is Goldberg, and she works for a news. Okay. And she's sure. African-American. Okay. And her last name is Goldberg. Okay, so far I'm with you. I'm willing to go down this, this hypothetical. She is a host of a, a news program on ABC. It's called yes. ABC News has suspended Whoopi Goldberg from a news yes. program called yes. The View. Right. During which she said yes. that the Holocaust, are you familiar with the Holocaust? I, I've, I've seen the movie. <laughs> I, I have not read the book. But go on. <laughs> She said that the Holocaust was not about race. It was right. about man's inhumanity to right. man. You know what? I was honestly, she, she's right. Yes. Whoopi was correct. It's yes. just that unless you believe Hitler and you believe Thank that you. the Jews are a separate race. She, she, yes. But, but I, I mean, she uh, apparently, I didn't see the whole clip, but she said it in, in, not, in, in not the most delicate of ways. I also saw she literally it's not like the most elevated level of rhetoric and discourse on that show. I saw the clip where she says, it's not about race. It's not about race. It's not about race. It's not. about. In other words, there's no discussion. There's no room or ability on some level in that show for people to uh, go a little deeper and say what they mean. So you just get that sound clip repeated over and over. So. I, I'm astounded <clears throat> by the Anti-Defamation League, who called for, somebody called for her firing, and it's how insensitive yeah. she is, and she yeah. had to apologize for the, the hurt she's caused. Mm -hmm. It's not like she denied the Holocaust. She right. said it was man's inhumanity to right. man. It wasn't about race. If you think Jews are a race. Right, but the point is that that's what the, that's what the bad guys in that, in that movie thought. Right. So, yeah. it, well, it wasn't a movie. It was an actual no, it wasn't a movie. Oh. You don't know? Um, by the way, the thing about this is what I don't like about I've said this before about the World Series. It's not the, see, you, there's not enough teams. You got the American League and you got the National League. They should also include the Anti Defamation League. <laughs> they, should, they should be able to get a team into the pennant. And then we'd have a real a real match on our hands. I know. Uh, I'm sorry. Our game was called on account of Shabbat. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. Our Sabbath ra uh, rain delay. Uh, yeah, Doctor Hershenfeld. Yes. Without getting you into trouble. Uh oh. Yeah. The the idea of Jews being a Ge having a genetic property. Uh, that's dangerous stuff to, to say that any, that any religious group uh, shares the same physical traits, psychological. Well, the psychological, I'll say we share the same. That's but that's uh, the, the same personality, the same intelligence, the same. Well, listen, could, could we back up a minute? Yes. Um, you said you don't want to get me into trouble. Right. That's the problem that our society has reached. 
at this point. Instead of solving any kinds of problems like starving children and people sleeping on grates in the sidewalk, what, what we're now doing is policing speech. And nobody can say anything. And as you said to me, will I get into trouble? Well, first of all, I won't get into trouble because I've reached an age where I can say any damn thing I want, <laughs> and then I just claim I'm on the verge of senility. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, you don't have a boss. That's the other thing. You're, you're a private. You don't have a boss, right? So, I, I mean, I, I, I think it's a terrible, a terrible place that we reach. This whole critical race theory, I think, is related to to the same thing. Don't we have free speech? Can't you say whatever you damn please? My a guy in my building who works in my but very nice guy. He's a Buddhist, even. He was wearing a free Brandon or Go Brandon ski cap the other day. A Buddhist. Let's go Brandon. Let's go Brandon. Right. I'll get you one because I know you like ski caps. <laughs> uh, so I'm thinking whether I should talk to him or not. Well, if I do talk to him, what I would say to him is, Listen, you're entitled to say anything you want under our Constitution. But I've been treating mentally ill people for 55 years. They are people. They're like you. They're like me. They're good people. They're bad people. They're actually less violent than the average American. So if you tell me that some guy with a rifle shot one of them the same day he was discharged from a hospital, I would say this is no American hero. But but you're allowed to say. Oh, oh you're talking about Kyle Rittenhouse. Who are you talking about? I, I'm Brandon, Brandon, the guy with the gun. Who shot? Oh that, oh, that wasn't Brandon. That was Kyle. But Brandon is that's oh. that code where they're, they're trying to say something right. uh, nasty about oh, Biden. Okay, by so just I don't Brandon. know who Brandon is. I, I, I'm, I'm, it's because I'm too old to know who Brandon is. <laughs> so. about, yeah, he's support, <laughs> Kyle, in support of Kyle Rittenhouse. Yes. Right. Yes, I yes, see. Yes. Right. Yeah. Who shot a homeless person who was Jewish, by the way, suffering yes. from. Anyway, I think we should all say whatever's on our mind and then hash it out. Right. In right. a civil way, right. by the way. Right. In a civil way. No guns. You said something to me that is, is so important. I've asked people on the right, what do you think is the most important issue facing this country? And all of them say to me, free speech, censorship, uh, liberals not allowing us to speak our mind. And then I say, well, what is it that you want to say? And then you realize what they really want to say. But they don't care about the building blocks of society. And, and we're not discussing the building blocks of civilization. As you said, 
homelessness, person sleeping on your grate. Why aren't we, there, there are homeless people. Why aren't we, why are we not talking about homelessness? Educate, there are like four or five topics that should be chewed upon until they're solved. Everything else is noise, right? Yes, yes, agreed, yeah. I heard we, your opening. We yeah. have contempt for poor people, for weak people, for homeless people, for sick people, they they just don't fit in and in, into our society. Is it worse? Does it? It feels like it. It feels like they've gotten a hold of either through fear or brainwashing. Uh, to just say, you know, it's not my table. I know, I know that that person over there needs the Heimlich maneuver. But it's not my table. Uh, I don't want to get into trouble with the the waiter who's supposed to give the Heimlich maneuver because there's a big tip to be had if you give the Heimlich maneuver, and they're going to want to tip me, and he's going to be mad at me. Better I should let that person choke and wait for that my fellow waiter to come back and save them. I mean, that's where we're at now. Yeah, or we've always been there. Maybe it's just human nature. Ethan, what, what do, yes. you, do you think? I do think people were more civil to each other not so long ago. As long as you were a white heterosexual right. male. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. Ethan, do you prefer being a race or a religion if you had to choose? Um, a race or a religion? Is there a third choice? Can I get a third choice? <laughs> <laughs> Can I be a flavor of candy? Is there something? <laughs> I if I was a flavor I... of candy, I would like to be root beer. I love root <laughs> beer uh, sucking candy. I don't know why. That, that that to me is the height of of civilization and technology. A um, friend no, of mine. Was, I would I would yeah. rather be a, I would rather be a, I mean it's but in, you know it is obviously a complicated question. The race, religion, nationality, all of that with, with our people. It's not cut and dried what it is. Uh, I don't know what it is. I mean I know lots of us and I don't I have no idea what we are. Um, but so, we're not a race. Exactly. No, we're not in, a race. I, I mean, look, you can are. tell when. I'm sorry. In part, we are. There's we're a not a race. Component. We have nothing to do with race. Look, look at the Olympics. You ever see one of us in a race? <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? Who, Je Jesse Owens, Bruce Jenner? I don't see any of us in the 100 yard dash, unless it's to the buffet. There's just no. <laughs> You're not going to find us in there. Oh, my God. Uh, you, uh, yes, I would prefer to be a race. I don't think we are, but I would like to be a race. I, I think it would be empowering. And, and also, that for way, race, I have no there's choice. No, you don't have to go to services. For a race, there's no, you don't have to go to services. There's, <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I always think, I'm Jewish, but it's my choice. But it really isn't my choice. It was forced. It was forced upon me. So, if it were a race, I'd have. I could stop already thinking about. Did I, as though I had some kind of free will in this, Doctor Hershenfeld. It's a mixture. Um, there's a famous synagogue in New York City, and as a matter of fact, the last crazy gunman holding hostages, he put in a call 
to the rabbi of that synagogue look, for look, some reason. Look, my daughter worked for that rabbi. Okay, and she's a she's a Korean woman rabbi. So obviously she is not racially connected, but she's Jewish and she's a rabbi. On the other hand, anybody with the name Cohen just about is of the priestly tribe of Kohane. And they can do the, they, the thing with their fingers. They, what's that? And they can do that thing with their fingers. Yeah, you mean they're double jointed? Oh, look, you can do it. So you're a co are you a Kohen? No, I'm not. But but they do they have found genetic similarities in just about all of them. So what are you going to do with that? Um, the, you know, they're, they're, I have noticed one genetic similarity. Jews can shoot the three pointer, but they really can't rebound. <laughs> there's not there's not a lot of boxing out. But, I don't know if that's genetic, but it's 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 noteworthy. <laughs> Barry, listen, I'm going to have to leave this Thank fascinating you. conversation I, to you, to guys, because i got to go teach a course. Thank you. Goodbye, Thank and good you. luck, and sei gesund. Thank you. Remember, as it says in the Psalms, as you teach, you learn. Oh, I totally agree. Totally. Thank okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, Ethan, why yes, don't you sir. come back Monday and All right. we'll do, I apologize today. I'd love to. Yes. Thank no, you. Sorry. Sorry for my, no, 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 no. It's, my technical glitches and, uh, everything and, uh, got screwed up and uh, sorry for everything I say. I take it all back. Thank okay? you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks. All right. I'm, I'm a little discombobulated. There we go. Okay. You're listening to the David Feldman show, davidfeldmanshow.com. When we come back, we will be joined by the brilliant, the brilliant Emil Guillermo, host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Don't forget, Friday night is office hours and hours. And I think we're going to do a cooking segment tonight. I think if all goes well, Joe in Norway will be doing a cooking segment in the background. We will be right back. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comments too. To tell a dirty joke, he knows quite a few. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for right. Some days he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right, buckled in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Yes, it's time right now on the David Feldman Show. Get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming away. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. 
thank you. Are we back? We're, we're back. David. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you, David? Emil Guillermo joins us. He is the host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. He is also a columnist for ALDEF, Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. That's right. Right. And, and you know, David, I, I heard the previous segment and you know, you know how much I love the Jews. You were yeah. married to it. To yes, one. I was. I tried to marry into the tribe. I, I did everything. I I even stepped on the the light bulb in the sock. Yeah, no, I didn't do that. We didn't do that. We we eloped. But I tried every every significant person in my life. Has Am been I allowed to, without violating a trust? I but, think but, your wife's father she had something in common with ethan is that fair to say that's right he was a, a psychoanalyst and so and he said uh, he, he, he passed me he said i was not edible so i was worthy of his daughter mm -hmm. but you know david every every significant person in my life you know my my english uh teacher flossie lewis who was uh she was featured on the, the pbs news hour she she was a significant person in my life the the jewish park director from Flatbush who came into the Mission District in San Francisco and taught me stickball, even though we didn't have New York sewers. He taught me how to play every Norman Mailer. He was the right from Brooklyn. Th these are and you all significant, significant uh, figures in my life. But I, I've today I have to come out and today I have to say the U word. David, I'm I'm going to be partial to the U word. And what is that? Uyghur. Okay. We have to talk about the Uyghurs today. I, you know, I give short shrift to everyone. Gives short shrift to the Uyghurs. You know, everything. Everyone thinks, oh, we know about the Uyghurs. We don't know the Uyghurs. We got to know the Uyghurs, David. Especially as China is about to start the, the you know, the, the China No Olympics. Right. The propaganda Olympics. We we this is the only thing divided America believes in. Did you know that? I mean, Mike Pompeo, when he was secretary of state, said he essentially said the Uyghurs, uh, the Chinese were committing genocide over there. He said this on, on record. And now Biden is boycotting diplomatically the the games. Well, the, 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 as I understand it, it's not genocide but it is the rounding up of Muslims in Western China. In Jing, yeah, in Xinjiang. And keeping them in detention facilities, forcing them to work, re-educating them, putting them under a surveillance state, limiting their reproductive and right. education For sterilization, yeah. And... Yeah. But to call it genocide, again, is... What, it's a what debate. I Look, it, it, this has been happening since 20... Well, for a long time, but the incarceration in detention centers has been going on since 2017. They're trying to erase yeah. a, a people, is what yeah, I've read. It's because I think. of religious. It's religious persecution. It's, uh, it's being called... They were talking about one to three million people. And it's being called the largest mass internment of an ethnic religious minority since World War II. So this is this is not small stuff, 
but it's it's underplayed. And for some reason, the Uyghurs didn't get the same kind of treatment as the Kazakhs or, you know, the other peoples in in Central Europe. And every time they tried to form their own nation, they got, um, you know, the Chinese came and and uh, and so this and seems to me. Them. So let me let me ask you about this, because yeah. I'm not equipped. I don't have the intellectual firepower of The View produced by ABC <laughs> News, which just suspended Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. I don't have Joy Behar and uh, McCain and Whoopi to fill me in on this. This is, I consider the this story to be difficult because Henry Huckamacki brought mm. a columnist on from McLean's and, you know, the, the yeah. Time magazine, Good. pretty reputable, who was saying they are inflating the crisis. Inflating what's, what's going on with the Uyghurs? And I thought, wow, this is borderline Holocaust denial. I don't want to get, you know, and, and then I ask about Tibet. Yeah. Uh, Tibet, same thing. Uh, it's just that, look, here's the thing about China. China's iron grip on what's going on in there is so real. You know, we cannot, we can't get a straight answer out of China. We can't observe We've had, we I've, had I've had report, American reporters in Beijing on yeah. the show who, who were very cavalier about. About the Uyghurs. And I, and I thought, what is my responsibility here? What I, I do know that we want to go to war with somebody. All right. Russia I know. And look what we did today. I think right? Pompeo would prefer to go to war with China than Russia. I think the Democrats want to go to war with Russia instead of China. I think the Republicans want to go to war with China instead of Russia. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we this is why we saw what happened today with, uh, you know, the bombing of the ISIS leader. You know, Biden had to show some kind of force. And, you know, China's about to have their big games, right? Their big propaganda tool. Russia, you know, they're, they're doing their thing at Ukraine. And the United States has to expose today that the fact that they've uncovered that, you know, Russia was going to produce this really big um propagandistic film with corpses and actors, you know, to, to create a pretext for going into Ukraine, which is really funny. So this is, and, and it's really the same kind of uh, technique that Russia used, you know, with its uh, intelligence agencies to try to, you know, affect, impact the elections here in, in the United States. So they're just doing the same thing on a world, on a global stage with the, with Ukraine, with this propagandistic tool. Of course, in America, we're used to that because, you know, we have the existence of Fox. You know, they, they don't know exactly where this film was going to, is going to, was going to go out, but they exposed that they were working on this. And, but all they had to do is put it on the internet, right? To create that that uh you know that pretext is going in so we have all the world powers it really is the you know this is the w w the way it is and you know if trump was were if he were president today can you imagine the photo op at the chinese olympic games he would be there with putin and with xi and it would be like it, this would be the autocrats right 
that's what I think what Trump has in mind, that he wants America to be an autocracy just like these other two so they could be the three big autocrats. All right, for the sake of conversation. Yes. For the sake of conversation. Please. I don't believe what I'm about to say. Okay, go ahead. All except right. for, except for Soleimani, except for some airstrikes in Syria, and maybe, I, I was it, I, I don't know where, I apologize for trivializing his airstrikes in Africa. My, mm -hmm. I, Trump stood up to the military. He said, you're all full of excrement. Yeah. You're the deep dark state, the FBI, the CIA, the Pentagon. You're all liars, which they are. Yeah. And he, Look, and he didn't yeah. get us into a war. Now, he's a criminal mm -hmm. and he would get us into a war to benefit himself politically or financially, but he has made it easier for us to not get into, to, to be anti-war. I mean, I the way Gates- Yeah, yeah because he's pro-autocrat. You know, all the autocrats get together. They, you know, the world is great for them, but everyone else is like a Uyghur. That, that's the situation, you know, and, you know, yes, you're right. We've avoided war. Just think of Helsinki, the way uh, Trump and Putin got together. You know, can you imagine how how could that imagine where we are now? And then imagine what it was like when Trump and Putin were all lovey-dovey in Helsinki. I, I'm just saying that the the world is screwy. But well, why and, do why do we go to war? Why would we go to war in Ukraine? It seems to me and I don't know anything about this. It seems to me that Putin wants the natural resources, wants to be a trading partner with Ukraine. It's the, it is the breadbasket to mm -hmm. the world. It has the potential to feed everybody. There's raw minerals there that he could use. He doesn't want NATO expansion. He doesn't want the West nipping at his heels financially, coming in and being a bigger trading partner with Ukraine than Russia is because it's economics. And he has every right. Just, but also, you know, he's, this is, this war has been going on for, for, for eight years on a, at a low level. But I think he's, I, for some reason, uh, this, co the way it's co coinciding with the Olympics. And I think he's just, this is a big muscle flex. It's also economic, but it's, this is his time, I think. But and didn't we ruin Russia? Wall Street could. ruined Russia. Well, Wall Street could, right? I mean, if, if sanctions, if, you know, if, if they turned on the sanctions, it, it could. You know, what what would it do to Russia? You know, the same thing it did to the Iraqi people. I mean, the economic yeah. sanctions that Madeleine Albright loved under the Clinton administration, they say over, you know, 10 year period, I think half a million Iraqis uh, either died or came close to dying from malnutrition. Economic sanctions is a 
doesn't punish the oligarchs. It misses the it misses the mark generally, and you end up hurting the people who you want to protect. But is it better? It sounds like it might be better than. I mean, is it better than war? Is it better well, than why just do going we need? Out? Why do we need either? We don't need either, but we just need to keep talking. I think, I, or I, get I, out of his get out of his business. Well, at least right now, uh, Biden is. Um, if they've stopped using the word imminent, so uh, well, that's not imminent. So let's just take out this guy from ISIS, uh, just to you know to flex uh, you know the muscle. But I, you know, this is the confusing part about how how we approach our, our global economics because it all or our, our, our global politics, because it seems like the autocrats are, are teaming up on we're, we're, who's standing up for right. It should be us should be the United States. Um, I, we, we are diplomatically boycotting the, the Olympics, but there's Putin's going to be in China and Putin and Xi together in, in China that is going to be uh, that's going to be a good photo op for for people who want to see that happen. And we've got to stand up to it. And yeah. that means we got to point out about the Uyghur situation. And if people question what I'm saying, uh, check out to Smithsonian Magazine. They put out a, a you know a, a little primer on on the Uyghurs on you know the historical aspect of the Uyghurs and how many people have been held in. Uh, in these uh, detention centers, these incarceration camps. One of the things that surprises me is that a lot of Uyghurs have been contracted out essentially as slaves. So if you have a t-shirt from Xinjiang, um, it's probably Uyghur slave labor. Intel, I mean, just, huh? Intel had to apologize for saying they don't want any of their chips made yeah. in Xinjiang. Yeah. Well, a lot of the tech companies are there. Google, Apple, even, you know, I'm looking at my iPhone and thinking, wow, you know, what, what part of this, you know, is made with, uh, it, look, it's hard to be pure. You know, we, 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 we are so interconnected. It would be better to acknowledge that part of us is evil and part of us does something for the good by, you know, having all these inexpensive goods go all around the world but how do we reconcile the good and the evil it's well they I, I do what this is you know what they do they force us they they force us to compromise they give us unless you lead a very vigilant wholesome lifestyle yeah. they force compromise spiritual compromise on us so that we we say the things you're saying even a vegan diet yeah, yeah. is you're supporting uh if you're eating soybeans you're not eating the right soybeans then you're supporting the deforestation of the rainforests now granted they're doing it to feed cattle use the soy to feed cattle but it's also part of tofu and and beans that we eat they make us complicit in their own venality on purpose it's almost you have to work hard to live right that's part of the plan yeah it, it is it is uh, difficult i'm you know I'm, I'm just trying to figure out uh certain things like uh you know there's good there's bad uh it should and in in some aspects you could say oh isn't it great that a u.s citizen 
Eileen Gu, an Asian American from San Francisco, who is one of the favorites in freestyle skiing. Isn't it? She's great that she's on the Olympic team. She's just on the Chinese Olympic team. She's an athlete for China. I, you know, the Washington Post couldn't get a straight answer out of her about whether or not she's a dual citizenship or whether or not she got rid of her, uh, you know, her, um, her American citizenship or denounced or renounced her American citizenship, but she's 18. She's, she's apparently very beautiful. Uh, so Chinese, the Chinese love her and sort of make her, she's like a part-time model. Like that's only the reason I mentioned her beauty, but she's valued and revered by the Chinese. Eileen Gu, uh, the New York times did a big thing on her, uh, just today. Uh, she's going to go to Stanford after the Olympics. She's going to Stanford. So we should country? encourage this, right? When, we should what? encourage this kind of, cross-cultural thing but oh and then you got someone mentioned the state the tennis pro right ping uh ping shui you know you you think about the oppression you think about that country and what they do and you got to say you know how china bad this olympics bad but then you could also say the same thing about the philippines duterte bad Sure. sure. D D D Aren't there D Muslims? D Isn't he persecuting Muslims? Uh, well, you know, he was from Davao City, uh, from Mindanao, where the Muslims, he's, I, I believe that the, the martial law is still on in just that, uh, that region. But uh, it's, uh, but it's not necessarily the persecution. Well, it's not on the same scale, let's say, as the persecution of, of the Uyghurs by, by China. And, uh, it's, it's just when you, when you, when you really get into the Uyghur situation, like I said, read that Smithsonian magazine, uh, uh, primer, and it'll just sort of set the facts. And then you see that, well, maybe we, there, there have been political protests that have, uh, that made Russia boycott the Olympics and certainly uh, the world boycott the Olympics at certain, you know, times, you know, in, in history, Maybe this is one well, where... Let me ask you, you a know, question. Let me ask you a yes. question, a serious yes. question. When, yes. historically, when has a country merited our attack? When does a country become worthy, a worthy opponent? I don't know. This is not uh, the... Traditionally, <laughs> we, what, when do we go to war? Yeah. Well, look at uh, historically when we have. I mean, you know, the Pearl Harbor certainly was a, a moment that was used as justification. Uh, supposedly, supposedly. Yeah. Clinton's war to protect the Muslims in Kosovo supposedly was a more righteous use of military force. I, I think supposedly huh. uh, George Herbert Walker Bush's uh, lame duck, he had lost the election and then went into Somalia around Christmas time, supposedly to end starvation, if I remember correctly. You know, there, and that there turned, are all these But things. that turned into Black Hawk Down. But it was presented to us as... George Herbert Walker Bush saying, I won in uh, Iraq, I beat Saddam, we're the one superpower, and I lost the election, but Russia is 
is going and uh, we're going to use our our military for good. We're going to feed the Somalians. And he sent troops in around Christmas time of 92 uh, and created a, a relatively bad quagmire for uh, for Clinton. But it was yeah. presented as we're going to use the military to feed people. Yeah, this is the thing about wars. We don't usually find out the real reasons and the real answers until much later, if, if we're that lucky. A lot of times when they justify war, there's some kind of cover, you know, like when they went into the Philippines, the Philippine-U.S. war, right, which I think we're coming up to an anniversary. February 4th is when that, that war started and... Uh, in 1898, I believe. And, you know, the, it's always some, we're, we're going to save these people. We're, we're going to somehow uh, embrace these people. It's humanitarian. And, it's, it's a humanitarian. It's yeah. all, you know, war is humanitarian. Yeah. And it's just saying. cover. Yeah. It's just political cover. So I ask anyone who's dealt with any kind of politics, as long as you have cover, you can do just about anything because the cover provides you with the, your magic pass. See, it's this, it's that, it's, you know, and it isn't when you know the truth. We didn't go. We didn't fight the good war in Europe, World War Two, to stop to protect any of the people Hitler was exterminating. That was not why we went. We went there to what? We were we, we were trying not to for the longest time. Remember? Yeah, yeah, and. I think uh, I, I, for, I forget exactly what 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 made them go into Europe, but certainly well, supposedly we, Hitler we're dragged into the Japanese helped drag us into you know Hitler made, declared made global. yeah d Hitler declared war on America after Pearl Harbor. Yeah. The, the question is, had he not, would we have gone in there? Roosevelt wanted to go in there. Why? Why did he want to go in there to protect England? Yeah, which I, I, uh, I don't. I don't. I not don't a know. force for girl. You know, I'm not saying the British were as bad as Hitler, but a lot of British supported Hitler, and yeah. uh, and if you look at imperialism, if you look at the Belgium, Congo, King Leopold, what he did. I mean, you really want you really want to send American boys to die for Belgium, knowing what they did in the Congo? Are they, are they really worthy of saving? When you look at French, British, Belgium well, look, imperialism? Just think about what you're just saying there, you know, is, is it worth sending American uh, men and women, American boys and girls into, into battle? And just remember a few a few months back when that was what Biden was saying about pulling out of Afghanistan. I mean, where and, were uh, we when, where were we when uh, Great Britain was destroying India? Right. Where were we when Belgium was destroying the Congo? It's uh, those It's it's those imperialists. Those imperialists, and I, I, an I, argument could be made that. World World War Two. You know, had we let it alone, Stalin would have defeated Hitler. We maybe not yeah. on our timetable, but yeah. an argument could be made that 
because Stalin really did defeat Hitler. We, we sat out most of when you compared what the Russians did, uh, we sat it out in uh, northern Africa. That's what Churchill said. We'll, let, right. let Stalin do the heavy lifting. Let and him we be didn't the get picador. into it until uh, they bombed, uh, until uh, the bombing of uh, Pearl anyway, Harbor. What else would you like to talk about, sir? Well, look, this is interesting, but I, you know, the boycott of China is, uh, you know, kind of top of mind. But th there was a story on NBC News uh, the other day that talked about two thousand cases of espionage against. Chinese Americans or Chinese scientists or Chinese involved in some kind of corporate espionage. This is Christopher Ray, the FBI director, ta talking about this on, on NBC News. And it startled me because he was startled at the fact that there was like a, a he said, a new case every 12 hours. And I, I'm thinking, okay, this is coming at a time where we've got, you know, China has this propagandistic Olympics. Uh, Asian Americans are being targeted you know, for, you know, these hate instances because of the pandemic and the spy thing. This is just another aspect of people looking at this story and saying, yeah, look at those spies. Remember, remember when Ho Lee uh, more than 20 years ago, there were Asian Americans carrying around signs that say, I am not a spy. And now they're carrying signs saying, I am not a virus. And now they're going to go back to that old sign that says, I am not a spy. And this goes back to the, the fear and xenophobia that exists. And unfortunately, you know, the, this is what happens on a domestic level. But really, fear and xenophobia, that's really what spurs us on to war. And that's uh, how do we fix that? I don't know. Um, I, I, I suggested that all the world leaders meditate. Maybe that would help. Maybe that would help. Oh, one last thing. Oh, Dave, what would I, I suggest? And what would I suggest? Oh, what would you suggest? Instead of meditation, what should the world leaders? Oh, do? I know what you would suggest. Yeah, another form, an excessive form of self-love, which we won't get into now. Right. But one last thing, I know, because the the Reverend Barry is uh, is there. But well, in know, all I'm fairness, really in all fairness, fan. we're running about five minutes late. So okay. All right, now I'll, I'll finish. I'll finish this up quickly. Right. I know you're not a big football fan, but you know, in the absence, there's a a week of nothing before the Super Bowl. But it's good that it's being filled up now by Brian Flores and his lawsuit against the NFL because of racism. And whether or not you're a football fan, this is where sport is actually good, because sports, yes, sports is, you know, it's it's a dis distraction. It's a diversion except when it talks about the big things. And here, the big point, racism, is being made in a sport, in an, a thing that everyone understands. And if people understand this, maybe it brings us a step forward in terms of racial racial justice. I, I, I hope, because we know what Colin Kaepernick, what, what he did when he brought up issues about racism and about being... Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, when he was with the, the 49ers and how he was treated, but his case has kind of gone away. He never got a break to go back and try out for a team. He was one man. Mm -hmm. Brian Flores is now kind of middle management, right? Head coach is middle management, and he has exposed the NFL for what it is. It's a racist it, this is the old boys network, right? The old white boys. There's only one owner 
who's non-white. And he's a Pakistani-American of the Jacksonville Jaguars. This guy, Sabir Khan, I believe his name is. He made his $8 billion on auto parts. And so now he is the only one who is there amongst the white owners who collude and do all that what they do. And I'm just saying it's important for people to understand, look at this case, because if they can understand racism on this level, maybe they can begin to think about how racism impacts at the government level, at the corporate level. I mean, it's uh, it's important. And, you know, and, and with him, with, with Flores is he didn't get the job, but he, he was told he wasn't hired before he was even given an interview, which tells you that, oh, they had their minds made out. They're just doing the they're just doing racial equity theater to right. go through the motions. Right. Of giving this guy an interview ultimately. And then there's the other uh, issue of being offered one hundred thousand dollars to to lose games each game, one hundred thousand, because it would improve the drafting position of the team. This is what happens when you have essentially a protected monopoly, the NFL, doing its own thing and trying to pass uh, pass off what they call the Rooney Rule as their affirmative action, which then they then ignore. What so is the I Rooney Rule? Fans, what is the Rooney Rule? It just uh, the owner of the of the the Steelers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, name was Rooney. He said, "Well, you know, this is an abysmal record we have about hiring minorities. We got to have." Minorities be interviewed for head coaching jobs. And then it says that you have to have a, a multiple number of minorities being interviewed right. for jobs. And they didn't do it. Or they, they uh, or the, or the, this recent lawsuit says they fake it. They do the interviews even though they know they're not going to hire. Right. Yeah. And this is what happens to, to Filipinos in the media business who want jobs at network levels. And I went to New York and talked to some guy and he said, yeah, I'd like to anchor the radio news. And he said, you will never anchor the radio news on this network. Point blank. This is to my face. I got a good lunch at a nice New York restaurant and the kick in the pants. But he said point blank. And, and this is what happens to people of color. People need to understand that affirmative action isn't unqualified people rising to the ranks and trying to get a foothold in the door and trying to do things. It's, it's qualified people, but they still get knocked down because they aren't quite the Did right. Did you see JFK's application to Harvard? JFK, I didn't see JFK's, uh, but is, is this what, what his grandson released? Well, they, no? Somehow they got their hands on John F. Kennedy's application to Harvard. And yeah. it's why, it the essay. Yeah. The essay is, first of all, he was a C student. Yeah. And, you know, the application is, uh, what does your father do? He's chairman of the Security Exchange Commission. That's the first thing you see. <laughs> why do you want to, Why do you think you should go to Harvard? I would like to go to Harvard because my daddy went to Harvard <laughs> and it's a great place to get an education. And it just he got the accent right. I, it's yeah. good. Listen, he, I, I like the Kennedys. I think you need to yeah. have you need to believe in some kind of you know political gods deeply flawed but he didn't he didn't write his uh he didn't write profiles in courage which got a pulitzer why england slept i'm not so sure he wrote that he had everything handed to him but he knew he had everything handed to him anyway i don't want to get into it but but you know here's the thing though one one last point about another thing that happened this week 
Jeff Zucker. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, who could have been our Roger Ailes. He could have been our Roger Ailes. He's fat, bald and cheats on his wife. (laughs) I always thought he could have been our Roger Ailes. Poor Jeff Zucker. You know, here's the thing. I have always early on when he was still at the Today Show, I thought I, I should call him because we have something in common. See, this is the whole thing about affirmative action. It's not about, you know, unqualified people. It's it's about if you they give you a chance to have some of the credentials so that you can ask people who are credentialed and are in power so that you can take your chance at, you know, being in there in the in the club, right? But and it, it is social networking. But I didn't want to play that game. Oh, he was Harvard Crimson, right? He was like editor of the Harvard Crimson. Well, I don't know if he was. A, he, maybe he was on the Crimson, but he was Harvard. And then he went from CNN or he went from um, from to the Today Show to uh, to CNN. But, you know, all the other people that he hired at the Today Show, like a guy named Jim Bell, they were all Harvard guys. I think he brought and, and Henry this, Kissinger. This is the, this he is brought the Henry Kissinger of- into NBC and the kid. Huh? I think Zucker brought in. Henry Kissinger and his idiot kid. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the thing. It's, it's that kind of, it's that kind of, of, uh, if you, if you pass the, the school thing, they, they might begin to trust you, but if they don't like you, it's all based on, they don't, and sometimes they'll see your race and they don't like you. I mean, I, I just think that that's, um, that's it's an interesting aspect of affirmative action that people don't understand that it's still all about what country club where do you live who do you know do i like you because uh, can we go fly fishing together and can we bond and then when i need you i'll call on you and we'll help each other and that's that's why grades and merit don't play it's it's one big affinity scam yeah you know what an affinity scam is and affinity is like uh, we are we are we have these likenesses or we right have these. and you rip off your own kind an affinity yeah. scam is i'm filipino you're filipino you can trust me give me your money and then uh, i yeah. i rip yeah. you off and harvard is an affinity scam it's just people ripping each other off and, and that, we're, we're and why, we're being gentlemen uh, about is, it yeah well, that's why Epstein had all those Harvard people with him in his little, you know, soirees, right? Gates and Dershowitz. And what did what did Epstein have? He had money, but he and all he had was a Harvard T-shirt. That's all he needed. Right. He just need to put on the Harvard T-shirt. He was a college dropout. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen? And he was good friends with Woody Allen. Uh, who's exactly? Hey, um, have you seen Kamal Bell's? documentary about Bill oh god uh, yeah Cosby. you have, know have you watched it i, I haven't yet i know it's on uh, showtime i it I, is, I intend to i want to because it is so great so yeah. great it is the story of america where you have this man cosby who once one side angel one side devil he is in many ways, as important, I'm not going to say as Dr. King, but I, I would say that he put into practice what Dr. King and Rosa Parks and Jesse Jackson wanted, where you, 
he made a decision. I am not going to be black. I am going to be an American. He kind of, kind of, you know, the content of my character, not my skin, but underneath it, he was a militant and he did a lot of, this is, there's stuff in there that you go, wow, this guy was a civil rights champion. Hey, look, he, he touched, he touched me. I mean, in, 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 uh, yes, intellectually. I mean, I, I had all his records, right? He was the icon. He was, you know, Noah, how long can you tread water? Yeah, I but was the whole the, the Dr. Cosby stuff and the teaching and and the electric company, the, the stuff he was doing in terms of getting African-Americans hired, the the anger that he had about the way he was treated and the walls that he was kicking down. Uh, and he was a rapist. <laughs> Serial rapist. It's not funny. It goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's, it's you know, the, the story of the America. You know, it, it is America. It is the story of America. The, the yeah. you know, the originals. It's all there. The the the. It's it's. He's Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was a rapist. Yeah, and a slaveholder. But it, we're willing enabled, to separate the laws. I'm sorry, what? That he was enabled by the laws because Virginia said that if you're a slaveholder, you had a right to uh, an African, uh, you know, the, a woman's body. And you, you essentially were able to breed, you know, your your workforce. Right. Or have others breed a new workforce. I mean, that was in the law. And he just took another level. Our founding you know? fathers were racists and rapists and we're that's what's so great about kamau i'm mispronouncing his first name bells Kamau bell yeah about his documentary his showtime it it is perfect it is the story it is the story of america not a story it is the contained within this documentary more than huckleberry finn more than huckleberry finn All right. <laughs> okay. I like Huckleberry. A different, different kind of thing, of format. All right, David. All right. Emil Guillermo, host, PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Listen to it every Wednesday. And every, every Wednesday. And also, they can catch me daily. Daily. Yes. On uh, on Twitter, at Emil Muck or Emil Guillermo. Uh, YouTube channel or Facebook at what Emil Media. Emil what time? Diamond. What time do you do that? I do it 2 p.m. Pacific every day. And uh, so I guess 5 p.m. Eastern time. And I just go over the news. And you're doing it, it the, like I for call an it hour the micro on... talk show. I'm sorry? I call it the micro talk show of the AAPI and the AAXs, the Asian American X. And you do it live on Facebook and live on Twitter. And live on YouTube, yeah. And live on YouTube. And you can run a video on Facebook and Twitter for long stretches of time, right? Yeah. I, you know, I just put it on, uh, you know, we could talk about, you know, I, I just, I, I, from my, my gong closet, and happy Lunar New Year, Barry Lynn, or from Barry Lynn, I, uh, I um, yeah, I, I just recorded once and I sent it all, all these places, so. 
Come join me sometime. We can talk about stuff. I would love that. Yeah. All right. I'll invite you. Thank you. You too, too, Reverend Barry Lynn. All right. Thank you. Reverend Barry W. Lynn joins us. We're thinking of, uh, he is the uh, founder and and, uh, for 25 years, he uh, ran Americans United for Separation of Church and State. He's a barrister, an attorney, a member of the Supreme Court Bar, and he is also an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. We are, I don't know if Joe from Norway is here. Are you here? I just want to take care of some business. Joe, are we going to do a cooking segment tonight? The Reverend Barry, Joe was cooking during office hours, and I thought, really? What if we turn the sound down and just talked while watching him cook? But I don't know when he wants to uh, do that. So raise your hand when you're ready, Joe in Norway. And if you would like to attend a live taping and sit in our virtual studio audience, go to my website and sign up. All you need is Zoom. Hello, Reverend. How are you? Well, John Stewart. Uh, opined and said Neil Young and Joni Mitchell should not be taking their music off Spotify. They should be engaging with Joe Rogan. That what we need is more conversation, less censorship. And and John Stewart, he's right about everything. I, I remember in 2010, he held that big rally to restore sanity where hundreds of thousands of people showed up in Washington, D.C., and he just encouraged people to calm down. And, uh, of course, a year later, Occupy Wall Street started and income inequality <laughs> uh, surfaced. And maybe we don't need to calm down. What do you think? Should should people be yanking their Spotify accounts to protest Joe Rogan? Absolutely. Uh, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, a whole lot of other people, all of the other band members of uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young have also pulled. Some ple- people, some musicians want to pull, but their contracts don't permit them to pull right now. I hope every musician pulls his or her music from Spotify, but not simply because of Joe Rogan, but because Spotify is such a terrible business for people who actually make music. They pay the least of any streaming service. And I think that some of the criticism of Neil Young today was why did he just say, well, uh, get off of Spotify, go to Amazon. Amazon does pay a little better. But he didn't say, and by the way, Spotify pays its musicians very little. I I was so shocked a couple of years ago. I know I do know a lot of musicians, and I was shocked when they tell me, like, they got a check one month for $4.50. Right. And these are, you know, not superstars, but they're not people. They're people who have a dozen albums and who have clear audience uh, interests. But they get paid so little. So here is Spotify that is making a fortune owned by a European billionaire and they're not paying 
the artists enough to make a decent living. And what what Rogan, there's a connection between Rogan and the music, of course, because Rogan is basically saying, if you're a young person in relatively good health, you probably don't need to worry about COVID. That's the target audience for people to go to concerts, which are gradually, very slowly coming back. It's concerts where most bands, at least, make their most money. And they very few musicians are overpaid, just like very few comedians are overpaid, but they're making ends meet. And if they don't do concerts and they get, there's no way to sell CDs anymore. People don't buy them. The record companies don't even care if they're out there. They're too busy cutting deals because they get more revenue than the actual artists do by going on these streaming services. I don't know, John Stewart, I, I, I really do like much of what he does, um, but I also, I just think he's wrong about this. This is like saying to people who have no clout whatsoever, well, you should just argue with uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, like right. just, just yell at the television set. That and, 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 he's an, and John Stewart is anti-union. That's what well, I've he heard. But from well, he you is. He, and he fought. Yes. He fought the Writers Guild. Uh, yep. And he's a bully who intimidates reporters into not. He had so much clout that he intimidated the New York Times. Nobody would report on the union busting that he did as host of the Daily Show. The head of the Writers Guild told me he had never been talked to by anyone the way Jon Stewart talked to him. And it's that classic neoliberal horseshit. I, I'm for unions in principle, which means <laughs> someplace else, but not here. And then he punished his writers for forming a union. Uh, he's a, a classic bully and uh, at best an incrementalist when it comes to solving uh our nation's problem. Typical Biden Democrat willing to recognize the problem, but deflect away from the solution. Never, you know, hey, Fox News is right wing. I'll make a career at a pointing out that Fox News is right wing, but never go down and, and, and solve the real problem. And, you know, let's restore sanity while I'm making millions of dollars and not sharing it with my writers. Yep. He's a bad guy. No, it's, what he is. He's a bad guy. Yeah, I, I, yes, and I, I, but he's just, uh, I, I remember when I used to be doing this little radio show um, in the afternoons for the United Auto Workers uh, radio network, there was a guy in Alabama who used to call, like every week he'd call. And the thing that he was most upset about He'd, he'd see me on television the night before on Fox or on MSNBC, and he'd say, you have the capacity to speak to hundreds of thousands of people. And I'm sitting here in Alabama, and I'm really ticked because I think you're wrong, but I have no way to express it except calling you on this show every couple of weeks. And I can feel that frustration. And occasionally this guy from Alabama would call me at my office, and we'd talk about things, and we had a lot of things in common. He was very upset, for example, that at that time, 
they were trying to make sure that college campuses were not polling places. And he knew that those people would be more, students would be more likely to accept Barry Lynn's view than his view, but he still thought it was fundamentally wrong to try to keep people from voting at the place that was most convenient. Right. And uh, I, let's and go I, back. I let's go back to let's go back to Spotify for a second. Yep. And what does a multinational corporation owe its customers? And what do the customers owe a multinational corporation that is spreading falsehoods about a virus that has killed nine hundred thousand Americans? Well, I mean, uh, I, I think we know that multinational corporations, whatever they might in some theoretical sense owe people, they don't because they they have one bottom line and it's how much money can you make? And so even just today, Amazon Prime, which has a lot of good material, but they, they're raising their rate for new customers and for current customers. I think it's $5 a month. I didn't see any press release that said, oh, by the way, since we're getting $5 a month more, we're going to do a couple of things. First of all, we're going to make sure that we clean up the conditions at the warehouses. And number two, we're going to give 50 cents of that $5 to every employee of Amazon. If, you, if they can raise the money from their customers, then they damn well ought to be in a position to give more of it to the people who make sure that the company exists in the first place, the people who do the work. Right, right. Why, why do people uh, spread misinformation about, about the virus? What, what is in their interests? Now, Joe Rogan, as I understand it, is the co-founder of something called Onnit, O-N-N-I-T, and they sell alpha brain, memory and focus, uh, you know, yeah, well, fitness pills. Yeah. Is, is that how he makes, I know he makes a hundred million from Spotify, but yeah. like Noatropics, oh, verbal memory, alpha brain, uh, I mean, what, this is what he, he's- All of these things that are sold, remember half of the people that buy any product that's going to help your brain, that's going to uh, do away with restless leg syndrome. You right. notice all the commercials and, and they're all over every network, good, bad, or ugly. They all say at the end, these claims of course have not been FDA tested. That's a s significant hint because if they haven't been examined by the Food and Drug Administration, then they're not really drugs that are likely to have any pharmaceutical benefit. That is not to say that there's not somebody out there who has developed some new product that hasn't gone through testing yet, but they want to get it out because of some emergency reason, as they did with the emergency vaccines for COVID. But if you start going years and years and you never submit any of your results, to the Food and Drug Administration, then please don't say it's going to cure anything. Right. So it's, it's just a giveaway. I mean, it's an absolute giveaway. Now, maybe I'm it, wrong about this, but I'm looking at O N N I T on it. As I understand it, this is 
partly owned by Joe Rogan. They sell total nitric oxide, uh, creatine monohydrate, alpha brain for memory and focus, glutamine. They sell supplements, high performance supplements, multivitamins, CBD. These are immunity, uh, Quicksilver Scientific, uh, immunity boosters, antioxidants. Uh, junk. Super what they beat. sell is junk. But remember, there's going to be a number of people who, because of something called the placebo effect, they're going to take this stuff for a week and they're going to say, you know, I think I feel better. I wake up in the morning, I have more energy, whether it works or not. They're going to say, I, so much, I paid so much for this. I really want it to work. I guess it's working. So am I wrong? If this is true, if Joe Rogan is in fact a co-founder of a company that sells nutritional supplements, it's in his best financial interests to promote alternative cures to COVID, you know, you know uh, bo boost your immunity. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that, he, he would want people not to take vaccines and boost their immunity buying his supplements, right? eat better, exercise, sure. and take these pills. You know, since I, I quit Spotify a long time ago, so I don't, I can't verify whether he advertises those things on his program or not. I don't know either, but it seems to me that it's all about branding so that if you present yourself as open-minded, searching for truths, talking about exercise, you build your name out, you build out the brand, and then you can attach yourself to a product. People trust you and they start buying. I mean, Alex Jones is pretty blatant sure. about it. I don't know how, I don't think Joe is blatant about it, but he, he's, no, he's pretty bright. He's smarter than I am. Well, he is, well, and he understands. He's, he's arguably richer than you are. Well, I think a big he's difference in being I smarter. I, I think he's smarter, and he knows how to play. He knows he knows how the system works. So, uh, I can't help but think the only reason anybody would want to spread misinformation about vaccines is to boost one's financial portfolio. Why else would you do it? Well, the only other reason you would do it is as many uh, politicians know, there's a certain core of people in the Republican party. In fact, probably more than half of people who self-identify as Republicans do believe that vaccines are dangerous, do believe that there are cures that are not being talked about, that are being suppressed by the big media and uh, David Feldman. And as a consequence, there's an advantage there because it gives them power. You know, a lot of politicians are fabulously rich. That's how they got to be in politics to begin with. And they're getting richer as they maintain their right. political advantage. But there, there are also people who just say, if I want to ever break in to the political scene, I better go to the right. And there's an almost absolute correlation between whether you believe in stop the steal that there was some kind of stolen election and opposition to vaccines it's, mm -hmm. it's almost 
a parallel universe. So there, there is some advantage that doesn't directly translate into cash in the pocketbook. Right. My problem with Joe Rogan and Jon Stewart defending Joe Rogan's right to free speech and confusing cancel culture with the First Amendment and uh, is the 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 myth that the only solution to bad speech is more speech. What has happened in this country is since Citizens United and before then, money is speech. The more money you have, the more speech you have. The more mm -hmm. speech you have, the more you're able to drown out the speech that you don't want heard. So it's very easy for people like Jon Stewart to say, the solution is more speech. No, the speech in this country is gated. And it's easier to promote ivermectin in this country than it is peace. It's easier to spout ivermectin on our certainly on AM radio than it is to yeah. explain why Medicare for all would benefit everybody. Sure, sure. More money you have, the louder your speech. So you have to protect. I have a Madisonian view towards speech, which is you have to protect uh, majoritarian speech you have to protect the minority from majoritarian speech, which is is not you all you the idea of food not bombs. Yeah, you don't hear that. You hear no, ivermectin, you hear disc jockeys dying, telling us not to get vaccinated. I don't know what country you're living in when you say the the solution to bad speech is more speech. It's not. It's, um, I'll tell you, if I were to be, were able to fix something about the political system instantly, rather than reverse Citizens United, I would get rid of all of these subsidiary operations like political action committees, all of them. I would get rid of 527 organizations. I would get rid of even C4s, these, these uh, often collateral to uh, nonprofits that they're supposedly going to uh, send out their information only to their own members. I would get rid of all of them first, because that I think would make a huge difference in the amount of speech that's heard and the kind and quality of speech. And I think the ACLU was right on the facts of the Citizens United case, this very narrow facts to say that's probably protected political speech. Of course, what the Supreme Court did with it was say, oh, by the way, Virtually everything these corporate interests say is protected speech. And the ACLU, when I was there, and I, I believe it's still their position today, is you, you don't want to set a ceiling for contributions to candidates, but you do want to set a floor. You want to guarantee, at least at the federal level, that there are government supports for political speech. And right. uh, whether that would, but I would get rid of these phony 
there's nothing, absolutely nothing good about political action committees unless they serve solely as a pass-through. You give it to a political action committee and they immediately take your money and give it to people in the street who are working in their communities for effective change. Right. Let me, let me go Other back. Let's go back to you. You are a member of the Supreme Court bar. You're a, you're a, a champion of the First Amendment the way yeah. it was intended. Boycotts are protected by the First Amendment. Yes, they are. So uh, I have a right to correct speech. In other words, if you say something and I disagree with you, or if I, if I know you're wrong, the First Amendment guarantees me the right to correct your speech. Absolutely. And what do I do if 12 million people are downloading your speech that is incorrect and getting fake information? What what do I have? How do I reach the people, the 12 million people who are getting misinformation about a virus that is, you know, by the end of this year will have killed a million Americans? What? How do I reach those people? You know, you know, the sad truth is the one thing the First Amendment is, is not a guarantee that the best ideas are going to prevail. There may be nothing for you to do. But let me t- let me go one step further about this Rogan Neil Young thing. I understand Spotify's uh, stock price went down 12 percent in the last two days. This would be one of the very first examples of a kind of boycott that actually works for regular people. When I was uh, at the ACLU, there was a guy in uh, at the American Family Institute named Don Wildman. Mm-hmm. And Wildman always used to have these boycotts. He was going to boycott this. He was going to boycott that. They were going to boycott. Um... So one one day they, they hold a press conference, going to boycott some... Uh, motel chain. And so I was curious a month later or so, and I called the corporate headquarters of this, uh, this chain. I said, how many people, you know, called you about that? And this was like a vice president or something or other. And he said, uh, well, you're the third. I said, all I'm doing is asking a question. I, he said, well, the, the first guy was real mad that we were running some kind of, a, you know, adult movie on the you had to pay for in your room. And he said, the second guy who called wanted to sell me a movie. Right. So, and you're the third. So, so the effectiveness, and it, and it goes for the left too. When, when the left says, look, we are going to boycott this. We're going to, it works. If, if, for example, you've got a large number of Hispanic workers at fast food places in your neighborhood. If you stop going to that, you will have a financial impact. You might actually change the corporate mentality. That's what Jesse would get a few cents. Jesse Jackson in the 80s. God bless Jesse Jackson. He said in the 80s, black America is something like the seventh largest economy in the world. (laughs) Oh, my God, he's right. And he said, how you spend, you know, voting is important. He was running for president, but how you spend your money is almost as important as how you vote. And uh, and the LGBTQ community is perceived 
as having money. I don't think they actually do. People think, well, they're not going to have kids, no. so they're going to ha they have <laughs> they have a disposable income. Right. We better appeal to them so they don't boycott us. If you're a member of the LGBTQ community, you're persecuted in the workplace, so you don't have a disposable income. But people mistakenly believe they had sure. more economic power than they actually had. So yes, I think Joe Rogan should be allowed to say whatever he wants. And I don't believe that Spotify should cancel him. And I don't believe Netflix should, I, I think Dave Chappelle should be allowed to say whatever he wants, but his speech should be corrected. And there are many ways to correct bad speech, especially when it has a platform ordinary uh, people who are marginalized can't compete with. Yeah, but I mean, again, even with uh, even with the Netflix example and Dave Chappelle, just the complaints about that. I actually never saw that stand up thing that he did, but um, just the amount of ink spill over the controversy itself wakes some people up to what's going on and makes Netflix a little more likely, not guarantees again, but a little more likely they're going to be more sensitive to the kind of stuff they air. We're going to see more Dave Chappelle in the future. We're going to see more yeah. transgender people getting specials for from Netflix. Let me ask you a question. Um, am I wrong in thinking? Uh, I was watching Jimmy Dore the uh, last night. Everything should be discussed. To which I say, why? Yes, everything should be discussed, but why are you discussing it? If you believe in the First Amendment, as I, as I do, and inquiring minds, getting sure. to truths, why not have Holocaust deniers on your show, Joe Rogan? Why not have geneticists on the show who can prove that some groups of people are smarter than others. Why limit it to just vaccine skepticism? You're doing a show that's um, skeptical. You're, you're offering up something that you can't hear anywhere else. So why don't you put your money where your mouth is and interview that Irving guy, the, uh, you know, uh, the Holocaust deniers? Yeah. Let, let's see your belief. You believe so much in the First yeah. Amendment. Try well, Holocaust denying. Try people who want to rewrite the history of slavery in America. We, we, you know, let's get to the truth of that. Let's get to the truth of people's IQs, Joe Rogan. Why limit it to COVID? That ain't going to happen with him. No, it's not going to happen, but there are people capable of uh, putting on a Holocaust denier um, and challenging whatever she or he is saying. I mean, that is Rogan could do that again. But, I don't but, watch no, but him, so I don't really know what his style is, but but you, you can, you know, if you give the average person on the right fringes of America 
an opportunity to talk for five minutes, maybe they're going to sound somewhat normal. You give them a half an hour, they're going to start to fall apart and they're all going to start sounding like Lauren Boebert. And, uh, you know, they're going to, it's going to be obvious they don't really have anything to say. So if you're good at that, and most people aren't, they don't even bother to challenge. But I mean, if you challenge people, that's what I always like to do uh, when I was on radio. I mean, even somebody like Pat Buchanan, um, you'd get somebody, one of his goofy friends on, and I would be there to say, wait a minute, how do you know this? Uh, can you prove that? What do you want? You know, just to be able to challenge. And these people on the fringes, generally, unless they're so delusional that, you know, they can't, I don't tell right from wrong or even understand what they're saying themselves, you're going to be able to poke holes and make them look silly. And that is something that is very good. I, Humor I, I, applied I well is a very powerful weapon. I, I disagree with you. Okay. And it's, it's subjective. Uh, putting a uh, somebody on, like that guy Bell who wrote the book about yeah. the, the IQs, curve, yeah. Yeah, the, right. about the IQs of African-Americans. Uh, why are we discussing this? Like, why would I want to give any oxygen to this topic? To what end? Well, because you're not the only person who's acting in this playroom, because there will be other people who say the same thing that the guy who wrote the the bell curve, Griffin, whatever his name was. Um, he's just wrote a book that espouses things that people talk about themselves. They think they know something about it. If you if you can't talk about critical race theory and explain what it is, what it isn't, and if you want to get a you know some crackpot like this, the new governor of uh, of Virginia, he couldn't he couldn't spend ten minutes in an argument about critical race theory, because I'm sure he has no idea what it actually is. He doesn't see anything wrong with, like Ron DeSantis doesn't see anything wrong with saying, well, you can't use the word gay. I mean, that's too positive. These crackpot ideas, to the extent that they can be exposed, are really easy to expose. But you don't need them as guests on your show. You No, but, you don't, you don't, but if you want, again, if you're... You know, they just, uh, there's a guy, a long time, uh, uh, one of my favorite talk show hosts in the country was a guy named Michael Jackson from on yeah. KABC in Los right. Angeles. And uh, I used to do his show and then he, when I was out there and here. And, um, but he was smart. You know, uh, Tom Hartman is smart. Right. I mean, if, if you put one of these people on your show, you would be able to crush them, crush them. And that's worth doing, because if you don't do it and nobody else does it, those people are going to they're going to fester and their little uh, Bell juniors are going to talk about it. And it, it, you can't hide these goofy theories. Right. You can't hide them. I, I you know, Sam Cedar does a great job. He lo He's a boxer. He loves a great debate. Ben no. Burgess loves a great debate and a fight. I'm not interested in arriving. This is going to sound really. I better be careful here. 
<laughs> on this show, uh, I don't want to argue the truth. There, there are basic truths, and then there is there are falsehoods that I just don't want to uh, dignify on this show unless somebody is coming on who says, sure. Charles Murray says this about black people. This is why he's wrong. I, I rather have somebody come on. Of course. And not Charles Murray. No. And, and not a, a vaccine skeptic. I rather have somebody say, come on the show and say, this is what the vaccine skeptics are saying. And this is why they're wrong. Sure. That's a truth teller. I don't need so to then, hear. And that's good. I don't need and to hear wrong with that. Yeah, I don't need that's, to hear Jordan Peterson. I don't need. No, of course or, not. Or, or Candace Owens. Uh, the these intellectual pygmies who <laughs> uh, are not uh, who don't know who makes stuff up. Right. You know? Understand. I have no doubt. No argument. I just said that if you chose to do this show differently, you would be ex you would expect of yourself the ability to be prepared enough to know what is deadly and wrong about what those people are spouting. Right. I mean, now, uh, can we get to the Ukraine matter for a few moments sure. here? Um, By the so way, if somebody I, wants I to can't, if somebody wants to, yeah, go ahead. Days. Yeah, I'm sorry. What? And, uh, and uh, uh, one place, they actually had a, a, a good television, and I, I found myself watching a few minutes of Tucker Carlson, who is, uh, of course, uh, um, I like to say, I think his bottom line is right, but all of the steps that he's using to get there are wrong. But I am very much concerned that all of this war talk about Ukraine is going to have, as usual, with war talk and then follows ups to war talk, a terrible effect on this country, whatever it thinks it's doing. Because the kind of arguments that are being used now, if Russia goes into Ukraine, we have to have hundreds of thousands of troops or 10,000 troops today and 15 the next day, because that's going to protect the rest of Europe sounds so much to me like the early days of what was called the, the domino principle that we used in Southeast Asia. Here is Dwight Eisenhower in 1954, gives a speech, and he mentions why he's concerned about that part of the world, because like a domino, if you have a bunch of them spread out on the table, you knock one over, and then all of them go over. And I heard during the Vietnam War, people say it's not just Cambodia and Laos that will go. And arguably, they, they do have a Marxist-Leninist government now. But they would say, but then it'll go further. Thailand will go next. And I even heard a guy who said, and eventually, not just the Philippines will go. Japan will go next. India will go next. And then when all of that didn't happen, then people revised the domino principle. And they said, well, what we meant was it would serve as an example of how Marxist-Leninist groups can form and can take over countries all over the world. And then they'd, go, they'd point to uh, Grenada, Madagascar, and, and these are, those are real examples that 
this is it's like the dominoes they're not going to fall they'll cause a falling in a whole other continent because people will see what happened in vietnam and, and that'll be good and then now they'll they'll all be communists also mm-hmm. i don't like this i don't think we have any legitimate national interest in the preservation of ukraine not because there's a moral equivalence between ukraine and which i don't think has any uh, ambitions beyond its own borders and russia that clearly has ambitions that does not mean as the old statement was made in the 60s the united states cannot be the world's policeman and it's i feel badly that um uh that happens to be the same view bottom line view that tucker carlson has but that's just the way it goes right right uh where are we going to war in ukraine i think so i mean i you think that you think he's going to invade i mean doesn't it usually putin will invade ukraine isn't war a surprise isn't that the whole idea of war (laughs) um the most effective ones have been surprises but um no, I think that he he is not. I think he expected to get more out of this. I think that he expected to see, and the latest poll I saw is only 29% of Americans think we have any interest in the preservation of Ukraine. 29%. That's pretty few people. And I, I think he he's figuring if if they bring troops over here, you know, we're not going to rush right in. In other words, if there's an incursion, an invasion tomorrow, Biden's not going to say to the whatever there will be at the time, 15, 20,000 troops, oh, yes, go in and save the country. I don't think it's going to be that quickly. But the very fact that we're armed, you know, we're also, was also fundamental in the 60s and early 70s that we didn't become the world's arms merchants either. And that's that we ought to think about too. When we send all this military equipment to Ukraine, even if we didn't send any American personnel, I think you can make a strong moral argument and legal argument that that shouldn't happen either. And when they try to tie this with what could happen in China, which is the latest argument, well, it sounds like version two of the domino theory. There will be some people all halfway around the world who will take notice of what is happening and the Chinese will now attack Taiwan. You think Americans want to send their daughters and sons to fight for Taiwan? I really don't, A, think they do, and B, I don't think they ought to. Right. What is, uh, what do you think? I was talking about this at the beginning of the show. There are really five stories that politicians, the news media should be discussing, and then everything else is distracting from those five stories. What do you think are the five issues, the, the, the things worth discussing, worth fighting for? Uh, well, I think we have to have a credible understanding of war and peace 
you know, we have to understand those limited times when war might be necessary. I mean, I, I, um, I heard what you and Emil were talking about, and it, it's, it's hard for me to come up with a place where war would be the answer now, but maybe somehow there would have been. Um, I, I think we have to be careful. We, the dramatic wealth inequality. I, we were driving back to the Los Angeles airport the other day. On one side of one of the major thoroughfares on the way to the airport is a one block long a car dealership for Jaguars and Land Rovers, most expensive cars anyone can think of buying. Literally on the other side of the street, burned out, not burned out necessarily, but destroyed buildings, graffitied boards, and people living in tents. Now, if that picture doesn't send a wake-up call to anybody driving by, I don't know what does. So we got to deal with that. I really do think you need a separation of church and state. You have to make sure that religious figures are allowed to say what they want, believe what they want, and not interpose those views on the rest of the people. We have to have the fourth thing, a, a health care system that works for everybody. And I don't care what you call it. I care what it means, what it does, what kind of access it provides uh, to everybody living in the country. So the member is that four or five? What do I mean? Well, no, this uh, is important stuff. I mean, this is. Yeah. The, uh, and we and we well, I mean, the fifth is there has to be a sense that voting matters, that democracy can be preserved. And however you want to structure that, there might be multiple ways, but you have to do that. You do those five things right, and you change the whole nature of America. And then it becomes what Reagan and others called the shining beacon on the hill. Then you can go and try to tell other countries what they can do to make them as good as you are, because you are genuinely good. Right. U.S. Yes. Yeah. I... I I, I'm trying to cut through the clutter. And this is the question I'm going to be asking a lot of people. What do you think are the five most important issues? What should a citizen think about first thing in the morning and before they go to bed? And to me, the five things are taking care of the vulnerable. Are the kids okay? Are the kids okay? Are the old people okay? Are the disabled people with disabilities okay? Are we taking care of the most vulnerable? You know, what, what I was reading about fire and the human brain grew because of fire. The, the, once we were able to cook food, we didn't need these big stomachs. And so the energy went to our brain and we became smart. And suddenly babies had these big heads and women's vaginas did not grow with the baby's heads. Babies come out of a woman's vagina, right? <laughs> Last, well, there are a few people who think you find babies under cabbage leaves, but I don't think that's not worth discussing. Okay, I'm so pretty yes, sure the vaginal approach. Yes, you are I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and so as babies' heads got bigger, women's vaginas 
didn't grow to accommodate the size of those heads, we are one of the only species that cannot uh, give birth without the help of somebody else. It's, it's very difficult for a woman to go off into a field. It's been done, but yeah. we need each other. We, we need to take care of babies yep. and children. 52% yeah. of our kids are living in poverty. Yes. We have 140 million Americans living at or below the poverty line. Old people uh, are choosing between medicine and food. Yeah. What else is there to discuss? What else are we talking about? Why health care, education, eyes, ears, dental, mental health, food, yeah. shelter, wa water. We we don't even have potable water in this country. What yeah. are you talking about? And you know, I blame. The rel I remember saying to my rabbi who should rot in hell, what the F are you talking about? I remember that we were going to war in Iraq and he's, he gave a sermon about forgiveness, you know, like getting along with your loved ones. I go, do you have any idea how irrelevant you are? You know, 30 years ago, the rabbi here was getting arrested marching with Dr. King. Of course. And you're talking, we're about to go to war and you're talking about learning to forgive your parents and they're just trying to get through. What are you talking about? Um, uh, well, I mean, look, you're not going to get any argument from me, nor if you look at the data, Churches, synagogues, the religious communities have lost lots of members and lots of young people. And when you ask young people, well, why why aren't you engaged with organized religion? And they say, well, we're, we have spiritual interests, but we don't because they're anti-gay. Anti-gay. Who can deny that? The United Church of Christ isn't. I mean, it, it was the first to ordain a woman. It was the first to ordain a gay man. Um but these are entity. If you listen to Joel Osteen preach, if you can stomach it for an hour on a Sunday morning, you will hear nothing, zero, no commentary about any subject. So it's not just that he wouldn't leave uh, people come into his church who were trying to escape the tornado. It's much worse. It's what is he talking about? I have been told that Joel Osteen. What? Let me ask you about that. Uh, yeah. John Fugel, St. John Fugel saying, I haven't yes. seen him in a long time. Agreed. I wouldn't have met you through if it weren't for St. Fugel. That's true. Uh, knows his scripture. Grew up. Yep. Mother was a nun. Father was a priest. Yep. They fell in That's love. Right. He knows his scripture. He argues with these people. Sure. And he can kick their ass. You... Yes can argue with these people and can kick their ass. Have you ever won these arguments? We talk about, you know, bring these people on, these people who call themselves Christians. All right, you've debated these people. Sure. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know what, Reverend Barry, I'm wrong? 
Yes, I have. Really? Yes, I have. And um, it, it's an interesting thing. There's a um, wow. There's one example. I, I guess I'm wrong. Well, this was a very prominent person, not not well known as uh, Jerry Falwell, but I mean a very staunch. Uh, I focused in the religious, uh, a member of the religious right. And um, he started to have a change in his attitude about issues uh, maybe six or seven years ago. And uh, he's now, I can't say that he's changed all of his views, but he was, um, he was in prison for one night with a woman who need, was pregnant and needed an abortion. He was a preeminent opponent of abortion and uh, used to do things like bring fetuses in bottles into political things. What's the corkage uh, fee? Bring, let me ask you a question. What's the yeah. corkage fee at a restaurant when you bring your own <laughs> fetus in a bottle and don't yeah, go with so, it? It wasn't a restaurant, oh, but oh. Yeah, you've got a 50 cent discount. Jeez. Um, I don't know. Um, he's. Let me think about whether I would like to invite him to come and be interviewed on this program. Well, whoever you want to bring on. Talk. Yeah. Yeah. The closest I think we can get is to bring. I, I always think of Charlton Heston in Planet of the Apes being in a cage and they would examine him with clipboards. <laughs> I would put these people in a cage and just ask them why they think I, I want to do a show called the Inquisition where you come on <laughs> my show. We put you in a cage and we we just ask you why you think the way you do without arguing. Yeah. Just why do you think this? But if you know and very peacefully, I, I talk about this all the time on the show. I have tried yeah. this with. Yeah conservatives who used to be my friends, they get violent. Yeah. They, they, eventually, yeah. if you sit there and say, OK, but Saddam Hussein didn't attack us on 9-11. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Anyway, it's just go ahead. I, I don't even want to go no. down that path. No, we, ha mean, we have to wrap I, it up. Um, I, I go ahead, people, please. People. You cannot predict what will make a person change her or his mind, but it does happen. And I think it, it happens. That example I just gave is a, is a, it's make, perhaps makes me sound too bright or something, but I mean, it's it just, it's, that's a rarity. But when you, when you talk to people, you know, in writing this, this book, which is finally now being edited, um, I've had a chance to talk to people that I disagreed with dramatically 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And it's so much fun to talk to them. And it's so much fun to see how they have changed their views. And I, my views change too, but I think they become further to the left the older that I get. And I know that a lot of people go through that. But other people go... You know, they started out on the right, then they drift more towards centrist views, and now they're starting to endorse ideas like Medicare for all. I find myself drifting further and further to the left, to the point where 
I'm so far to the left, I'm a fascist. No, I, you know, you get, you begin to realize uh, nobody's getting out of here alive. And, and you can't, you can't take, I can't take these books with me. No. I'm just taking up space that doesn't belong to me. Uh, I can't control anyone. I can barely control my uh, bodily functions. Why not get to the place where you just surrender? You keep sur surrendering and surrendering to the point where you want to make sure everybody's okay. What, you know, how much do you need in terms of material wealth? Sure. You know, I'm happy with a billion. I would take a billion dollars. Will you? Yeah. And then, then I'm done. One and done. One billion, and then I'm done. I mean no, it, by the oh, way. I do mean that if I had a billion dollars, there would be a lot of pain in this world. A lot, of, a lot of people would be suffering right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean that. Yeah, well, and they know who they are. Look, there are. When I said I was, when I said I was not a pacifist because I, I, maybe somebody could convince me there was some time, some reason to actually go to war. I, I don't, I don't care if Bernie Sanders has four million dollars or eight million dollars. I know he's got a good heart and enough money to live on, and that he's doing good with that money. Right, and that's all I care about. I want to do, do bad. Care. I want to. I'm serious, Reverend. Yeah, I want to do bad. I want a billion dollars, mm -hmm. and I want to do bad with it. I want to hurt people with that money. I, I would. There are things I, I would go after, bad people, and make yeah. sure and make them force them. You know, peacefully humiliate them. Peacefully, peacefully right. humiliate their families. Hire detectives. <laughs> you know, have my own gossip new magazine. That's yeah. all true. Just hire, you know, just go after. Anyway. Um, yep. Now, Kira, you won't need a billion dollars to do that. You get a hundred million dollars, you can find a publication and private detectives. A hundred million. Just what you want. Those are just going to be my legal fees. <laughs> I, I'm going to be so sued by. Where's my religion, by the way? Weren't you going to give me a religion? I told you. Do you want me to write uh, by the next? Well, I'm, I'm kind of busy this coming week. Ah, oh, here, we go. here we go. Weeks, two weeks from now, <laughs> you, the I'm man. Gonna write you the letter to the Internal Revenue Service that you need to send them simply to become a Church of Feldman. I will do that. I know I've been delayed. I think the check you were going to give me about six months ago is a Oh, it's always about money with you. It's people. always about. <laughs> The money, isn't it? <laughs> okay, right. Go to barrywlin.com for a treasure trove of sermons, lectures, and appearances on all the great TV shows and radio shows. Thank you, Reverend. Stay out of trouble. Only good trouble. Thank you, sir. You're listening. Talk to you next week. Thank you so much. You're, You're listening to the David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Office hours is Friday night, office hours and hours. I'm going to invite the professors and Marianne to join me as we're doing that. 
why don't we go over with Dan, who is going to be at office hours? I have to sneeze. Uh, Professor Jonathan Bick will be at office hours, right? We're going to be screening some Rod Serling. Yes, sir. Yes, we're going to be looking at the two classic episodes of The Twilight Zone, uh, both uh, starring William Shatner. Uh, one of them is called Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which oh, the uh, classic. I think you'd have to put in the, the iconic uh, category when you're talking about The Twilight Zone. Most people know about that episode if they, if they haven't seen it. Um, and the other is, uh, I would say, at least equally good. And um, uh, I would be interested to see what people think of, of both of these and compare and contrast them. Well, by the way, I, ju I just want to, uh, that gentleman you see with the, <laughs> the hairnet on is Joe in Norway, since Professor Adnan Hussein couldn't make it. I thought it would be fun while we're talking to use Professor Adnan Hussein's square here on Zoom to watch Joe cook. So while if you know while I'm talking, you can watch Joe. Let's ask Joe. I, I Joe, what will you be preparing for us today? Well, all that talk about war has made me hungry. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe. I I think we should make borscht instead of war. Make borscht, so not cooking war. some borscht. Okay, better red than dead. Isn't borscht red? Okay, and this we've got beets, carrots, celery, potato, some pickled uh, cabbage. And how long does it take to make borscht? And a, few spice, a few spices. How long will it take to make this borscht? Uh, well, I'm going to be those using cashews? the pressure cooker here. Are those cashews? Instead of ours. Uh, I'll be making a vegetarian borscht, so I'll just add a little extra protein. And they'll be nice pink colored cashews. Okay. For those of you and listening. It won't, take, it won't take too long because we've got the pressure cooker here to speed up things. Okay. All right, I'm, sure. I'm going to mute you to the to people listening at home in order to see this. Please go to our YouTube channel to bear witness to Joe, Joe in Norway's borscht. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, it is uh, before we start, I'm going to embarrass Professor Marianne. Your your drawing of Dr. King is was is amazing. When did you do that? Uh, a couple weeks ago on his officially celebrated birthday, um, uh, Texas Tom had a beautiful drawing of Martin Luther King that he put up. And so I thought, hmm, you know, I should practice a little drawing. And uh, I like this. This was taken from a photo. He, this is the Birmingham jail. He had been just arrested. And uh, I read his uh, I, I read his letter from a Birmingham jail, and it's astounding. It, it's kind of when he became radicalized and 
and, and really resolute. Because you can see in this picture, he's a little younger. Um, most of the pictures you see of Martin Luther King, he's very, he's very centered. He's, he's very, it's, he, this is a man who is very clear on his vision. But in this picture, you know, things are uncertain. He's just looking out of the He's in a freaking southern jail. He could be dead mm-hmm. in a day or two. Mm-hmm. You know, it, he didn't know what was going on. Um, he was held. Uh, I think this, this was a photo uh, snapped by his lawyer, but he was in solitary confinement for several days. And the famous letter from a Birmingham jail was written on pieces of scrap paper and toilet paper and given to his lawyer. Wow. And the lawyer, he said, well, you know, at the time, I was really trying to get him out alive, but uh, he did take it. So I just always kind of liked this particular, I mean, this particular photo. The other thing was when I was just using it as a light and dark exercise, I'm looking at his shirt and I'm noticing, God damn, that guy, that's a custom-made tailor shirt he's wearing. Classy guy. Yes. <laughs> so... Wow. Yeah. Well, not to, not to embarrass letter, by you. The way, that, is quinci- that is quintessential Martin Luther King. Right. Uh, that is an amazing, like, five or six pages. Not to embarrass you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So that's where he really had an epiphany about things. And uh, right. very kind of radicalized him. Because, you know, he just decided in that jail, if he got out alive which direction he was going to go. And when you're facing death, you can get very clear about who your enemies are, you know, who your allies really are, who they aren't, who the real enemy is. I mean, it was, uh, I think everyone should read that letter, if nothing else. Right. Well, uh, this is the professors and Marianne, where we talk to Professor Marianne Cummings, Uh, Professor Adnan Hussein is not here tonight, but Professor Ann Lee is here and Professor Jonathan Bick is here. And we have Joe in Norway making borscht. And it's very distracting. One final compliment to Marianne Cummings. The the art is astounding. The fact that you're a physicist and a parks commissioner for Aurora, Illinois, is uh, impressive. The art is is just and uh, anyway, what is uh, we usually start with Professor Ann Lee. Let's start with Professor Jonathan Bick tonight. What would you like to discuss tonight, sir? Well, David, I'm uh, a little bit at a loss um, because your commentary tonight was spot on on every subject that you brought up. Thank you. And. I'm, I'm usually uh, at least have something to criticize you about. I appreciate that, too. And, yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. And, to, and tonight I just I, I don't have anything uh, to criticize you on. So uh, um, I'll tell you why it was so good, because I agree with you, because Monday's <laughs> was so bad. <laughs> I, li- I, it, it, I listened to it and I thought, how dare you? And I forced myself to to listen to myself. And I would just went, how dare you do this to people? And so I. I, I, I have to agree. Monday was not your strongest. No, uh, no it wasn't. Arguments. No, yeah. it was it was uh, bad. 
I it was well, John, give us your reader's digest but sorry I couldn't come on earlier so I was on zoom meetings all day long so oh well uh, David brought up the um, <clears throat> the news story about Whoopi Goldberg being suspended because she said that the Holocaust was not about race uh, and that is factually correct um, you know uh, Jew being Jewish is not being of a particular race um just like being homosexual is not being of a particular race just like being a uh a roma person is not belonging to a particular race uh just like you know being a socialist or a communist uh, was not being from a particular race and those were all categories that the nazis uh put into uh either concentration camps or death camps um, so I, it's kind of perplexing to me why they would suspend her uh, for saying an obvious truth. It was the Nazis that categorized uh, Jews as a race. This is not true. They belong to a, a religion, not a race. Yeah. Uh, well, we can talk about that. What else would you like to talk about? Well, I'd like to uh, also talk about Ukraine. By the way, my being, my doing a good opening monologue uh, makes the Holocaust all worth it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was always, I look back, I, I always thought, all right, I was, that's a variation on a, a joke that I wanted to do when Schindler's List won Best Picture. I wanted Steven Spielberg to go tonight. It was all worth it. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be there. <laughs> so I kind of read. I never thing could that your do. Your audience knows you, David. Yeah, just I never that. could do that joke. So I just kind of snuck it in just now. Uh, okay, so we'll talk about race. Okay. And uh, Ukraine also, I think, is an important uh, topic. Yes. Do you think we're do you think we're actually going to see a hot war in Ukraine? Uh, we could see a hot war. I don't think it's going to involve uh, U.S. troops or U.S. Uh, intervention directly because of the catastrophe that could result from that. And Biden has said that he's not going to do that. Uh, I hope I certainly hope he keeps his word on that. I don't see that uh, ending well in in any way. Right. Um, OK, yeah. that's good. Professor Ann Lee, uh, I'm looking at your notes. Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Kariyashi blew himself up. Do you believe that? Yeah. Do you believe that? Actually, I do. Okay. I, they, 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 the Pentagon uh, briefers spent a lot of time trying to emphasize how careful they were being. On the other hand, uh, you know, the comparisons are always still made to uh, the raid on Osama bin Laden. So there, it, it was pretty clear they wanted to talk about. I mean, it it it, it took two hours actually to complete the operation. Um, they gave 
they spent 30 minutes trying to talk them out and surrender. And, and he just blew himself up after 30 minutes, essentially. Um, and we have video of that. I'm sure there is video. There's there's uh, because I think they're very careful. They're really careful about this now. But it was, uh, you know, I, I would like to say that it had more dimensionality to it in the sense that. Uh, Biden uh, talked about it, but he what was scheduled today was a thing for uh, uh, Eric Adams in New York. So essentially you had sort of offsetting uh, news frames. In other words, uh, it's certainly and, and this is, I think, to to just project on this. I think Ron Klain is is kind of triangulating the, the news frames, the media frames so that um, uh talking about American police and policing comes at exactly the same time as an exercise in counterterror. Right. So I, I, I do think that these things were right. measured against each other. And they're also meant to send a message to Russia as well. So this is a lot going on. So I, I think there was a lot of reasons to do everything they did. Um, but as is, I said, I Russia think it's, on, it's much more nuanced. Putin and ISIS, he's in Syria. Is yep. he are we allied with Putin when it comes to fighting ISIS? Oh, no. I mean, yes and no, in the sense that we probably have mutual policing interests. But, uh, you know, the 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 Russians are very unha- I think they still remember they they refer to it occasionally uh, when they they sent troops in to try and nail a, a Ford operations base in Syria w- without air air support, and they just got their asses kicked. Uh, you know, they lost four hundred people or something. It it just was a well, it was a massacre. I don't know if they ever refer to it as that, but it, it's it they, it's clear there's no. Um, no love lost relative to Russia's policies in Syria. What and, is and, geopolitically? Uh, I remember when Assad went past the red line and used uh, nerve gas and Putin agreed to take the the nerve gas from Assad. We were kind of know. sort There's of a lot of information and disinformation on on that kind of ordinance. And I think it's been confused with the use of uh, by, by the Syrian military of chlorine barrel bombs, which the, I mean, the, the reporting is still out on this, in fact, about whether it was chlorine barrel bombs or coming out of helicopters or so I, you know, I'd, I'd hate to speculate on that, but it's pretty clear that uh, there, there's no love loss between uh, uh, Russia and uh, the United States and Syria. So I think this had that other purpose in it uh, rather than than waste more time rattling sabers. Uh, they, they decided to, uh, you know, do this attack. And and the advantage, of course, is from a news point of view, they also released today the, the thing about uh, about whether there was going to be a wag the dog thing by Russia, that uh, uh, the Russians were going to do a whole news thing that would have probably been shown on Newsmax and OANN and Fox, Fox News. So 
there's a lot there was a lot going on today and as i said i think it goes back to ron Klein as chief of staff uh triangulating a lot of a lot of news simultaneously they're much better at this than that idiot uh previous guy when you say wag the dog putin is in trouble and needs a win in russia well there this is from an earlier set of reporting that uh that uh the, the claim was, and this is, of course, a, another part of the whole disinformation problem, is whether there really, really is or was a false flag that Russia was going to create in order to justify or rationalize an attack across the border. But, I, you know, with uh, uh, Jonathan and I, I, I think we both agree that it's uh, if they do attack, it's it's going to be fairly serious because they have to be. Um but the fact is, I don't think they're going to do it. A lot of this is simply for um, for some domestic consumption, because if he actually attacks, he's going to have some real resistance within Russia. And Josh Hawley. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Hawley. You know, I I well, what I appreciate is Jen Psaki is just a really good press secretary. She knows exactly. I mean, she's incredibly good at this about uh, uh, pointing out that Holly was simply, you know, par- as she says, parroting Russian talking points. And clearly it was a Russian talking point. Um, you know, it, it, it's just interesting to see how, how this is sort of. And, and I, I, I discovered a little thing about how uh, in Kansas City, uh, for some weird reason, uh, uh, RT and Sputnik have have a sort of foothold in the broadcast spectrum there for some weird reason. There's there's a right wing kind of channel that that kind of pops up, uh, reiterating Sputnik, you know, Russian propaganda stuff, and it, hmm. it, it's just fascinating how all of these things are sort of happening at the same time. But it's sort of necessary, considering that we have Tucker Carlson doing his usual thing. Was I right earlier today when I said the Democrats want to go to war with Russia and the Republicans want to go to war with China? Or is that too simplistic? Well, they would. I think that's a matter of preference. Uh, I, I think from a diplomatic point of view, it's better to be in a war with Russia than it is with China for a variety of reasons. Being in war with Russia helps with the the prosecution of the insurrection, uh, you're not, you know, because any time they start talking about China, it reinforces that, you know, perverse uh, uh, a narrative that they, that that is that uh, Sidney Powell, the you know, the Kraken uh, thing that, uh, you know, that the Chinese were really behind the insurrect or the the vote vote so called voter fraud. Right. So I think it's better to. I mean, I think you could divide it that way. But the reality is there's, you know, there's really been no beef with China on these kinds of issues. This is, is clearly about Russia and about and, and also there's other weird deflection going on at the same time. In other words, there's less action actually today relative to Russia because of uh, Boris Johnson showing up and uh, doing whatever the hell he was doing, proposing a Polish uh, UK alliance. I, it, it was just. There's been a lot of PR. 
There's right. just a lot of PR going on he, he and needs, a lot of deflection from domestic issues. Yeah, Boris what, needs a wag. What Boris Johnson is doing. He needs a wag the dog. Well, uh, he have four of his ministers resigned, so he's really in serious trouble. Yeah, needs to come to the aid of his parties that he shouldn't have been <laughs> having. Very quickly before we go to, that was a bad joke. Uh, before we go to Professor Marianne, I don't know if you saw... Emil talking about the Uyghurs. Um, do you want to comment on that and information that we're getting and how reliable it is? What do you think? I, I think it's uh, I think the information that we get is relatively unreliable, although it, it's interesting to see the, the degrees of reporting or the, the types of framing that goes on. So, for example, not enough contextualization is made about, you know, uh, and, and I'm not defending the, the PRC position on on domestic security, but it, it you know, they, there there was, and, and this is a while ago now, but this needs to be fully contextualized now. China needs to say how much terrorist activity the Uyghurs really do represent. And, and they, this needs to be upfront in the coverage. Uh, and, and they don't talk about how bad it was for a while. There, there were a couple of, you know, serious terrorist events, ones that would have been serious in the U.S. as well. So but that was fair, fairly a while ago. And then they went through this entire thing, which resembles the reeducation campaigns and a whole variety of other kinds of things. And it seems, you know, from the kind of things that we've watched on, on your show, you know, that there is repression going on. Um, uh, I just don't know what, how deep that is. It, it's very clear that they've restricted people's movements, and it's clear that they're discriminating against Uyghurs. But the fact is, I don't think that it's it's as serious as people are making it. But and, that's just me I, not having been there. It, right. It's it's the same problem with the Wuhan issue. You know, it's like we have a lot of different stories going on, and there's a lot of flack in front of us. Right, and and. The Economist, which I consider to be a reliable source, says it's not genocide that we're do, doing. Uh, Professor Marianne Cummings, what well, would you, you like? Well, you know, I, I really had to have hand it to Grace. I don't know where she's been, but she had on, she did some I just want to really say it's nice that Grace has, it's Grace that, it's great that Grace has not been on the show but we haven't had a falling out, which is always a rarity when somebody. Oh. Okay, uh, no, but she did have some, and I do not remember the person, the, the person's name that she had on. But they would spend a good almost hour mm -hmm. talking about the Uyghur situation, and and the part of part of the problem is like anything else, you know, we get our news highly filtered. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just not in the camp that thinks RT America is, you know, some big, uh, one, one big psyop. I mean, unless you think Tom Hartman is, and Tom Hartman had a show for several years on RT America I used to watch. And I, uh, I think Chris Hedges is still on, and uh, Mike Papatonio had a show. Um, I think that, you know, you just have to, be grownups and understand that it, when you get a news source from one country, it's 
there there are interests, there may be biases, but you will get some information if you keep that in mind. I think the most important thing about a variety of news outlets, which most Americans don't access, is that there even is an alternative you know, viewpoint, that there can possibly be anything other than the story you're fed, either in your MSNBC silo or your Fox News silo or wherever you happen to hang out. And, and that's what we... We kind of lack critical thinking skills and, you know, just basic who, what, where, when. Um, and, I, you know, so anyway, which brings me to Russia. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, uh, the wag, the person that probably needs a wag the dog scenario more than anybody is uh, our own president. I mean, the, the poll numbers, for the, the prospects for the Democrats going into the midterms are abysmal to say the least and unfortunately um the one way a flagging uh a, a flagging administration can up its poll numbers is to go to war have an outside enemy i mean people forget that the bush administration bush too bush the lesser was in serious decline in mm-hmm. terms of their favor i mean the the wheels seem to be coming off that administration in the summer of 2001 and then we had 911, and I remember the instant this happened, it was like this is going to be bad. And you know, it, I don't know what it is. I, I think though, I did catch a little bit of a press conference with a spokesperson from the State Department, and he was trying to like push them. Well, Russia's got these plans, and they're trying doing these you know psyops and this and that. And the AP reporter had had enough and the AP reporter just basically took him to task like do you have any proof are we just taking your word for this because this seems like we've been this way before I mean I I've never seen this is the first time in this administration I've seen a mainstream reporter kind of really take off after the administration so Maybe this time around, 20 years after, you know, uh, weapons of mass destruction and people really having real economic fallout from COVID, from two years of COVID. I don't care what the stock market was doing or this is the biggest boon in, in, in history for the economy. The fact is more than half the people are not feeling good about their situation. Right. And we ain't over. Oh, and speaking of which... Does anybody know that the uh, House uh, in Human Services is no longer, as of yesterday, is no longer requiring that hospitals report to HHS the the COVID death rates or the uh, day before death rates, which is what, yeah, I went to their page and that's the truth. That's fields that are no longer required. And one of them was previous days COVID deaths. Now, I went to John Hopkins and, and, and some other places because uh, they, not all places get their information from, directly from the HHS. And I think that there are, is reporting done directly to the CDC, but I'm thinking they're scratching my head going, wait a minute, what was the purpose of not reporting the COVID death rates? I mean, this is far from over. So I don't know, maybe out of sight, out of mind. I think I know that the feeling overwhelmingly in the country is that people are done with COVID. Um, 
if, if anyone, I, I honestly don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. If, I'm not even saying that there's some nefarious reason behind it. It's just. It, it's just a real head scratcher. Right. But, there, do, there uh, does feel yeah. that it's a capitulation to the states by the federal government that Biden is saying. You know, I've, I did my best. I'll give you the vaccines. Here are the tests. Here's, here's some masks. I you're on your own. I, I can't we can't I can't get you to agree on this. I'm done. Well, I think overwhelmingly the forces are, of course, the pressures are the same everywhere. People, they want people to get back to work. Um, and this is flown in the face of I mean, the. Biden had has has an excellent COVID advisory board, and one of them was the guy I've been following, uh, Michael Osterholm of the uh, is director of the Center for uh, Infectious Disease Research and Policy up at University of Minnesota, and they haven't been listening to him. And he's been I mean, he's a guy that does not want to get involved in the political fray at all, having been advisors to all the presidents since Reagan. But even he has been fed up with you know some of the things coming from on high and he um i just think that we nothing's changed we still have a chronic uh hospital shortage and matt and and matt stoller has written about the essential uh monopoly on icu beds and how that isn't changing and it's just in time there's still consolidation of hospitals we're going to get another pandemic so we're going to get another bad flu season probably not in the not too distant future. And we aren't ready for it because nothing's fundamentally changed. There's been no movement, serious movement in the area of public health, any kind of public health infrastructure. Um, you know, they are, they are uh, subsidizing the health insurance companies even more through like you know, through the exchanges and our premiums are continuing to rise through the exchange. So I don't, and they think that's basically everybody in the consultancy class is just happy with that situation. Right. I'm sorry, I'm punchy. I no, just, that's had, all right. a, I, I just I, had a discussion with a congressperson today. It's... <laughs> our congress, per, our guest is not, a, Professor John, you were about to say something. I, I just want, I wanted to say, you know, how irresponsible it is for the government to be taking this position. Uh, I understand that that uh, there are a lot of people out there that say I'm done with COVID, but unfortunately, COVID is not done with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pretending it's not there is not a good way to deal with it. It's, it's not going to be a sustainable way of dealing with it. It's going to cause enormous damage to the economy over the long term, to people's health over the long term, uh, to our society over the long term. Instead of doing something to address uh, this pandemic, and as Mary, uh, Marianne said, future pandemics and other health uh, concerns, we need to radically reorganize our public health system in this country and the entire healthcare system itself. I mean, everyone knows that we have a terrible healthcare system. It's the most expensive. It leads, still leaves tens of millions of Americans uninsured. And those who, many of those who are insured are underinsured or 
don't really have can't really afford to get health coverage even with the um, insurance coverage uh, actual health care because the deductibles are so high or so on and so forth right um, well, it, the, the politics have just made the polarization has made this really much more awful with uh, you know much more serious resistance at this local and state level on, on the issues of uh, you know, masks, mask mandates and stuff. All of this is just, you know, total crap. But, you know, frankly, the, they're mobilizing more around these resist state resistance uh, issues, government resistance issues, to the point where we now have uh, the, the GOP in Iowa is proposing to put in surveillance cameras in, in classrooms. For, for what reason, I don't know. I mean, what is it going to prove? What is it that the litigation alone is is just insane? That that's because they believe in limited government. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, and and uh, they don't want a surveillance state. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so w when you take a breather and ask why, why? Earlier, I was talking about Joe Rogan owning a big piece of ONNIT, this this supplement corporation, and he's selling immunity boosters and he's selling vitamins. So it makes sense that somebody like Rogan, I think he is a partner and a founder of this supplement company. It makes sense to me that Alex Jones would poo-poo the vaccine because he's selling immunity boosters. And so all is well in the universe for me. I'm I'm able to explain away bad behavior. When I look at Jimmy Dore, I'm thinking, well, he's just doing clickbait. He, he's trying to f give people what they're not getting elsewhere. Why would the Republican Party in Iowa be videotaping teachers to make sure they're not enforcing mask mandates? What is the what is the, you can't do that without somebody being the marionettist, pu pulling strings to make to create this kind of behavior. It doesn't just materialize out of nowhere. It's some kind of astroturf, isn't it? To what end? Well, I think, you know, ever since the Patriot Act, I mean, we've been normalized to increasingly more un hideously unconstitutional intrusion into our lives. And, you know, the course politicians, you know, lie about this. They talk about they talk about one thing when they're running and they do the exact opposite. And and members of both parties want control. I mean, you know, democracy is the problem for all the incumbents because they could lose their job if real democracy happened. They want people scared. They want you thinking that, yeah, I think it's a good thing to that. I mean, if, if you don't have anything to hide, why do we need a warrant? Why can't your phones be tapped? Are, are you right. hiding something? You know, th th this is <laughs> we're getting I'm just astounded that even people who I have regarded as fairly left wing are going along with, you know, just generic. Not, not this particular instance. This is just an instance instantiation of their particular, you know, political picadillos. But I mean, just in general, uh, you know, uh, we have we have allowed. I mean, I remember I'm old enough to vaguely remember the church committee. Remember that mm -hmm. after the 
you know, after the abuses of the Nixon administration, and one of the things they found out was, oh, wow, you know, the CIA is infiltrating like various news outlets and newspapers. Well, now flipping MSNBC just hires these, you know, these spooks <laughs> to be their national security consultants. These guys don't have to be clandestine about it at all. They can plant, you know, any kind of propaganda they want. At James Clapper, you're going to have James Clapper or any of the, or Brennan, or any of these liars on your show, and they have an ounce of any kind of trust in them, I mean, this is, they, they have not a shred of credibility, or they shouldn't right. in our circles. Anyway, that's my rant. But, I'm uh, looking at the chat, yeah. I'm looking at the chat in YouTube, Guy Shaw talking about the right wing, they hate cancel culture, so let's ban books. I think that's kind of, isn't that brilliant? <laughs> I just looked that's at the right. I just it's just the insane to, to ban books in the age of the Internet. How yeah. incredibly stupid. I mean, I mean it's just I, it makes no no damn sense at all. I, I, that's, that's well, so, I mean, we had the first book burning in, in Tennessee today. Really? Woo-hoo. Was it mouse? What were they burning? Fahrenheit. Uh, I can't recall. They're they. <laughs> So that guy Shaw, I don't know who he is, but that's effing brilliant. It's like we're opposed to cancel culture, so we're banning books. Yeah. That is... We're opposed to totalitarianism, so let's put cameras in in, uh, every classroom in the country. Wow. Uh, I I would point out that this is consistent with another objective of the Republicans, and that is to undermine public education. They want to make teaching in public schools as uh, intolerable as possible, you know, to make it difficult as imaginable for teachers to do their job. And even though they, you know, uh, enjoy their work, uh, they're good at their work, uh, they want to help children. You know, all of these terrible things. you know, things that we're imposing on school teachers and public schools, it's just there. It's meant to to undermine their viability and the unions increase charter schools so they can bust unions, vouchers for private schools, religious schools, homeschooling, get the state out of well, out of the business of teaching. There's a way you can kids. fight that, guys. There's a way you can fight that. Run, Run for office for school board. I mean, this sounds so trite to some people, but I'm going like, look, you know, you don't show democracy isn't going on autopilot. You know, people can complain all they want about all this horrible crap. Someone like my friend John Lash, who you had on the show last year, actually did something about it, ran for school board, actually helped organize school boards all across the state to resist this push for charter schools, giving up chunks of the public school budget to these private companies and he was successful um yeah i mean you'll have to expect a little bit of drumming drums in your life but you know and intimidation look if nobody shows up if nobody from the left shows up i mean they want to bitch and then they want to go back to watching you know whatever two news shows comforts them but if they don't want to go out there and do something themselves when you know we get this. The intimidation, Professor Ann Lee, that you see 
at school board meetings, city council meetings are legendary now. Is that AstroTurf? Is, do you think somebody is, or, or just it's a, a fever? I think it's a fever where people have realized this is better than calling into Sean Hannity. I can really scream at, get, you know, get it out of my system. Well, yeah, there are no, there are no screeners. You, you get a uh, two or three minute, uh, you can spew for that much. There, there's nobody who's going to cut you off. And, and what's worse is people who have no particular stake in it. You know, people with, with no kids or, or their kids are already fully grown. They're just there to meddle. In my town, uh, for the school board, uh, there are party slates. And unfortunately, on the ballots, you can vote for clear across for Republicans. And so and in fact, that's what they did. They're they're slate voting. And and it's a fully GOP uh, school board in my town. Uh, I, I have to confess. It, it makes it problematic. I have to confess that I acted out at a city council meeting once. Uh-oh. I knew it was being televised. And <laughs> I don't even remember what it was, but I flipped out. And, <laughs> and I acted out at a uh, PTA meeting. I, I saw I saw people were what I can speak. Well, I'm going to set everybody straight here. And I made a promise to my kids and my ex-wife. I will never come to a PTA meeting again. This was all about me. I made it all about me. So I do understand the fever of seeing these people talking about the Nuremberg codes and masks and, you know, wanting to just no, vent. Yeah. You know, people get understand that when you're on the YouTubes or, or the Twitters or something like that, I mean, there's a billion people on there. You're seeing, you know, one little, you know, you're seeing some isolated incidents right. just blown up going viral. The reality is most of it is just kind of dull work. But, you know, you have to go through it. You have to, like, see. I mean, as I said, if you're pissed off at somebody in local government, chances are they're working, and some of them working quite hard. It's they're, they're, They may be caught in a corrupt system, but they're doing the best they can. And the only antidote to it is people who are not connected to, you know, the payoffs or the old boy network or old gal network to show up, you know, with nothing to lose. Like, they can't fire me from from the park district board. They couldn't fire John from the school board. I mean, they had to, he, he was there where we were both in unpaid positions that, that were elected. And, uh, and so it gives you a sense. I mean, it gives you a sense of how things work. And I think it ultimately makes you more effective because it's not that you will never rant or I will never rant in public, but I know what will be a little more effective than not what what is the truth then in terms of the polarization and the intimidation Prof professor jonathan bick we're being told that election officials are stepping aside they've just been trumped out of office they're just too frightened to deal with these people Do you, is that the truth 
I think that is happening. Uh, it's a question of, you know, how big a phenomenon it is. I don't know if anyone's tried to measure it, but there are many disturbing uh, instances of it happening. And the police don't seem to be taking an active role in deterring it. I mean, death threats are illegal. You know, those rules should be enforced. You know, intimidation of public officials carrying out their duty is is a crime. So I, what is going on here? You know, these these laws should be enforced. It's because it is the it, it is, you know, the, the fabric of our democracy. You, you've got to have people willing to do what Professor Marianne was saying, run for school board, uh, sit on, you know, help to run the elections in your town, uh, mm -hmm. to, to take on these positions to make sure that elections and that local government and state government is is able to do its job. Let me just say Would something you, about that. Uh, I think all of us have been uh, debilitated. I, I found January to be exceptionally debilitating. And I noticed a lot of the people I know settled into a lethargy. They realized, you know what? It's been a year of this hump and he he's not going to fix things. And this and it's been and then when we have candidates on, personally, I get inspired. When we have anybody who's running for office who we agree with, the fire that they exude uh, lights me up and it gives me hope it, it, because they're moving forward, they want to lead, and they, cl they clear out the cobwebs in the brain. We have a thing called office hours, and I want to invite anybody, especially the people in our chat room, to bring on any candidate who's running for office, anybody who's running for parks commissioner, for PTA, for judge, district attorney, local, state, federal, if they share our politics they're welcome here they'll be scrutinized during a town hall but i i want to make our office hours available to anybody who's running for office and if you can hold up under scrutiny we'll we'll donate we the 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 we have a small show but the people who listen they buy books they do they buy books they don't read them, but they buy them and <laughs> they donate to candidates. <laughs> they just do. They donate to the candidates because we vet them here. So if you I'm, I'm speaking specifically to the people in our Zoom room right now, I don't care how local it is. The, the more local, the better. The, the mm -hmm. more local, the better, because on a granular level, uh, Marianne Cummings is a particle physicist, but you can explain that the 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 deeper the the more microscopic on the atomic level you get, the more insight you gain into the universe. Is that a, is that fair, Professor 
Help me uh, out here. Yeah, I'm that, dying. That, that, I'm in way over my head. That almost works. I'm sorry. That, you know, it's an analogy that almost works perfectly. You, uh, you but certainly for local office, what I mean, you don't need money to run for the most local offices. I mean, maybe a little bit, you know, for some of the school boards or if there's a competitive race, but really not much. And um, I say now is a great time. I mean, I'm tomorrow. What am I doing? I know what you mean about, you know, being a bump on the log in January, but I force myself. I've signed up for Rachel Ventura's going out door to door tomorrow in the Arctic snow and getting signatures tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> I don't know why I did it, but I right. did it. We have and, to have her on the show. Yeah, we'll have her on soon when we can. Um, by the way, I do want to say, because I'm always uh, kind of uh, very, very disappointed with uh, with politicians in general. And of course, the California Democrats just revealing how bad they are. Oh, with, my God. Know, the failure to even bring their version of single payer up for a vote. That is so depressing. Uh, but uh, I was uh, I, w- I was on the uh, Twitters and I heard somebody the other night who was just amazing. Uh, I guess he was on this KRTD chat. His name is Amarsh uh, Shergel. He is the chair of the California Progressive Democrats, and he lowered the hammer on the Democratic Party and because he was explaining to this woman and he wasn't being ranting or anything, but he was explaining to women, to the to this gal who was interviewing him exactly what happened. He said the California Democratic Party is nothing more than a money laundering operation. Hmm. Wanted, and then this is how he explained it. He said somebody wants to give money to a certain candidate, but they can't really do it because there's these campaign laws. Okay, so you make a pack, and then the pack gives to the Democratic Party, and then suddenly the Democratic Party, you know, suddenly decides that hey, that little district is a one of a concern for us, and that might be competitive. So here's a bunch of money for the kid. He said he just went and explained it bit by bit. I'm going, oh my God, he's just torn. He's just he's just torn the lid off of that entire rotten operation. And, uh, you know, so that got that got passed around quite a bit on the Twitters the other night. I think it was just last night. And, um, you know, I think that so there was a whole uh, section of questions because it was up on YouTube. And it's like, well, call them out. And he says, well, you know, he, he actually answered me on Twitter. He says, well, you don't know. It's really hard for a lot of these people to run. They need the money. They're good people. No, they're not good people. Not when they're dependent on bad money. They're tools. You, know, you, right. need, you basically told me that your entire system is corrupt. You have to start behaving in an uncorrupt way, and you have to start calling individuals out. He said, yeah. I said, or, you know, or just live with the status quo. Then just, you know, resign yourself that nothing's ever going to change. Right. Unless right. you're willing to be polite. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about Whoopi Goldberg and The View, something light and tasty. Uh, Is race a thing, Professor Anley? 
is there such thing as a race? One of the things that I, I'm ashamed to admit that until Professor Adnan Hussein and Professor Gerald Horn came on this show, I am ashamed to admit that I thought race was a thing. Uh, but race is a social construct. It's is, am I correct in what I learned in that race was invented as a way to divide people so that they could be segregated and exploited? Well, it, it's pretty obvious how much of a construction it is when you look at, for example, the history of apartheid uh, in South Africa. You know, it, it's clearly designed that way, that it 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 is a, a, a construction of power and not unlike uh, uh, the the kind of critical proposal that still needs to be made in, in a sense that it is uh, it, it opens up the discourse and that is the problem of of white uh, so-called white studies or the white race you know whatever the the hell that is uh, it is it, once you start sort of opening it up you suddenly realize well it is a total construction and that even when you look at um, uh, indigenous literatures, you know, they're not talking about the color of the skin so much as they are talking about origin. You know, they're talking about, well, it's Europeans. You know, they're, it, these kinds of issues are, are less problematic when you see the entire scope of history. The, this whole business of, of white race, whatever the hell that means, is, is so arbitrary that it, it totally gets contradicted anyway. And the, and the contradictions are so immense, you know, that we've seen all of them. You know, the the selection of the perfect Aryan baby during Nazism. Well, she was a Jew. It was like really like totally bizarre. That's interesting. Yeah. And, there and were a lot of surprised blonde haired, blue eyed Poles. Catholic Poles being shepherded to Auschwitz, you know, they're like, what the hell, us? I actually looked it up. Um, somebody from Antioch University did this study a few years back, and uh, 1.9 million Polish Catholic civilians in total were killed by the Nazis. Some of them were outright shot. Some of them, a lot of them were sent to, uh, sent to uh, prisons, but also a lot of them were shipped off to concentration camps. And I remember watching when I was younger on PBS, I mean, there were people that were waving as the Nazis came into Poland, thinking that, oh, okay, yeah, like, hey, we're with you. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> and I, you know, I think it's unfortunate. Uh, well, on one hand, I'm thinking movie Goldberg, Goldberg, like, well, live, live by the sword, Karen Johnson. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, this, if there was any more thoughtful discourse, I mean, you could easily say, well, look, here's an example of this very dangerous ideology when you're always dividing the human race between us and them. It's no one's safe. I mean, somebody is going to, you know, sooner or later, you're going to stop being one of us and you're going to end up being one of them. And mm -hmm. you're going to find yourself like with your other blonde haired, blue eyed neighbors being marched into Auschwitz. I was like, what right. the hell happened? Just like those saps on, you know, January 6th when they were getting arrested. What, us? 
wait, wait a minute. We're real patriots. We're not like these hippies or these Black Lives Matter people. I mean, you know, that's the, that's the problem, but we can't have this. So you know what I think needs to happen? I think Ruby needs to do a two and a half hour podcast with Joe Rogan. Yes. And we can start discussing <laughs> all yes. yes, that's what she should do. I, I really uh, had trouble believing that there's an outrage machine. I didn't want to, but there really is, Professor Jonathan Bick, th this idea that we we have to go after Whoopi because of the hurt she inflicted by saying it was man's inhumanity to man instead of racism. I mean, I, I, I looked at that. I thought this is this is a level of stupidity like Whoopi's right. And ABC News doesn't know she's right. The ADL doesn't know she's right. How can everybody be so stupid? How come maybe Whoopi does belong on ABC News? She's the smartest one there. If they suspended her and nobody's stood up for her, how can people be that stupid not to understand that Whoopi's right? I, well, yeah, it's that's an, a tough it's question. A, yeah. I mean, well, people should think uh, I, before they speak. Sorry. Well, there is was a discussion I saw uh, uh, yesterday about how, you know, there's this the origin of the term BIPOC came about. So it's black and indigenous people of color. And there were discussions in certain circles about, you know, like many Jewish people felt, well, we're not entirely white. Then they've got a point. I mean, if you there was a Harvard mathematician who was son, or there was a mathematician who was son of a Harvard mathematician. His father was a professor, but because this professor married a Jewish lady, it made the son Jewish. And as late as like the 1940s, you couldn't get a faculty position on Harvard if you were Jewish. Isn't that weird? That, that was just weird. So there might be a little tension, tension there, but- um, Right. Uh, all the whole, I, I think the view is such a silly show. I think it's just an, inst I mean, it, it's, it's a bunch of, I think, probably smart women having some of the dumbest conversations I've ever seen on, on the TV. So I, I don't, I. Now, <laughs> more importantly, it, I am thinking, well, it, oh, go ahead. Well, it's just more about audience. I mean, you know, they had to suspend her. I mean, in the sense that, you know, there was re institutional resistance to her. So. ABC had to had to uh, cave in. To but it's only confusing people. Do you understand that? I think this is just kind of confusing people. Even though she's right, we must suspend you because the the ignoramuses have voted. I, I don't. I mean, she could have gone out and said, hey, look, I see racism as black and white because that's my personal experience. But other people may have different experiences. Maybe she could say something like that. I, you know, I see I think this is like the most ludicrous point argument in the world at the moment, considering we're facing massive climate extinction and you know, I agree. I agree. more plagues. Uh, this is crazy. And Jeffrey Zucker's way, and Jeffrey Zucker's mistress coming on, and I do have a question for Alan Minsky. 
I mean, what's up with Pramila Jayapal, like giving a boost to Nina Turner's opponent? Um, you're, asking, you're asking about um, because of the signing on to Medicare for all. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, that too. Yeah, of course I am. You know she doesn't agree with Medicare for all. She's like so well, freaking corrupt. I, I, who knows what yeah. these people agree with or believe in? I mean, the point is, is she she seems to have done it because Nina got in the race, right? I mean, that seems to be the causality. She she campaigned on the position that. She would vote for it if it came to a floor vote, but her preference was to support some, you know, uh, elaborate BS like a public option. That was in her last campaign. Hey, maybe she's seen the light, you know, and uh, oh yeah, uh, she, she's going to run just like Justin Trudeau ran to the left of the of the Canadian left party when he won election. Uh, but um, yeah, no, it's um, I don't know. I think it's in the job description for Pramila Jayapal to praise somebody when someone signs onto her bill. So. You know, that's what I attribute it to. I mean, seriously, that's that's what happened, I think. Let, let me wrap it up. Let me give Professor Jonathan Bick the last word, and then we'll thank Joe in Norway for doing an amazing job cooking tonight, borscht, and cutting the basil. That was artistry. I don't know if you caught him. Professor Ann Lee, did you see him cutting the basil? It was... It was Fantastic. Last word, Professor Bick. I just wanted to say uh, uh, Joe's selection of Borscht tonight is not necessarily a political statement. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, uh, look, well, uh, uh, Professor Harvey J.K. is about to join us. He's a gourmand. He has food shipped from around the world to his home. Uh, that is a thing of beauty. It really is. And we have to do this all the time. It's fantastic. And you did it in an hour. Hi, Joe? Yes? You, you, it, you, you did it in an hour. Well, that's the uh, magic of the pressure cooker. Cooks it in about a third of the time. So it works for beans as well. Really? Very practical. Should I get a pressure cooker? Because I don't have an oven. I was thinking of getting an air fryer. But then I was told that's a convection oven. There's no such thing as an air fryer. I would personally go with the pressure cooker. Because it's also a regular pot at the same time. It looked really great. It was like ASMR. I found it very calming. Beautiful thing. And, and is that cashew... What, what what is what is the I, white? I topping? added some cashews in, in it because they get nice and um, they have a nice texture. But so what, did you did you whip uh, the cashews? Swede, yeah, a few cashews. No, oh, but they look like they've been whipped. Oh that's no, that's a, co that's a coconut yogurt. Oh, oh. coconut yogurt. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Professor Ann Lee. Thank you, Professor Marianne Cummings. Thank you, Professor Jonathan Bick. How do people read you over at the Daily Coast, Professor Anley? A-N-N-I-E-L-I uh, -E -E at dailycoast.com. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Professor Jonathan Bick, we will see you tomorrow night. You are teaching us about the great Rod Serling, and we appreciate what we're going to watch. True enough. Two Look episodes of The Twilight Zone. Thank you so much. Well, you know what time it is? 
Misky and K, they go together like PB and J. Like Thelma and Louise, like Mac and Cheese, like Sacco and Benzetti, like meatballs and spaghetti. Allen's in LA, Harvey J's in Green Bay. When they get together, they got a lot to say, cause they're Misky and K. about democracy. That is the music of the brilliant Professor Mike Steinel, jazz trumpeter. You can listen to his music by going to Origin Records and downloading Song and Dance, the Mike Steinel Quintet featuring Rosanna Eckert. We are always grateful for the work of the brilliant Professor Mike Steinel. Joining us are Professor Harvey J.K., author of FDR on Democracy, Take Hold of Our History. Alan Minsky, Executive Director of Progressive Democrats of America. Professor Harvey J.K., January is over. Are you more optimistic? Let me paint for you a a year from now, where the Republican landslide never materialized, ah. that they kept stop the there. <laughs> the, the Democrats picked up some seats. Uh, the in the in the Senate and in the House, they kept the House. We overestimated the the Trump threat. Possible? Yeah. Well, I, I, of course it is. I mean, a lot of things are possible this year. I mean, the economy could, could boom all the more. Number one, number two, the, uh, the war in uh, Ukraine can have been avoided. Um, the, the president 
Joe Biden decides that he's fed up with all this shit and he signs off on student debt relief. I mean, you know, there's the, there are those possibilities. Alan Minsky, executive director, Progressive Democrats of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, blue blue landslide coming. Um, social democracy eminent, free health care, distribution of wealth. Soaring, soaring GDP, no inflation, just utopian party coming soon, courtesy of the of uh, Chuck Schumer. And the cabinet is completely reorganized, filled with PDA appointments. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, sure. PDA appointments. Um, yeah. Mike Fox would be great as the as the, um, uh, you know, the person who takes the press conferences. So, yeah. What happened to universal health care in California? Medicare for all. What, what were they calling it? Why did it disappear last week? Um, well, I mean, come on. Why did it disappear last well, week? Well, tell us what it was first. Um, okay. It was a very elaborate process. There were about 15 steps that were required, and we were all the way up to step number three, having cleared the first two hurdles. Um, a few years ago, back in 2017, uh, they passed the Senate with the bill, uh, Sheila Kuehl's bill, uh, and then it was uh, it didn't pass the second chamber, which is the assembly. You know, in Rhode Island, they have like over 100 members in their state assembly. California, we have 80. So, uh, you know, that's a lot, of, lot, lot more people in Rhode Island than California. So that's a good idea. Um, so it passed the smaller body last time. It didn't get to the smaller body this time. The Democrats have, I think, larger majorities in both houses than they did back then. Um, the guy who who wouldn't let it go to a floor vote last time, the Assembly Speaker Rendon, said it was clear to go for a floor, for a floor vote. The author of the bill, um, Ash Kara, um, there was a lot of excitement. That sort of movement to support it was growing, especially after it cleared the Health Committee and the Appropriations Committee. And you know, I was on a call with with uh, with Miguel Santiago and Ash Kara on Thursday of last week. Um, and they, were, they weren't as optimistic as the movement was, but they weren't that pessimistic. But between that call and Monday, apparently momentum broke down. Um, he was not getting uh, uh, assurances that people would vote yes. In fact, they were, I think it was clear that they weren't. And he was about, he needed 41 of 56 Democrats to vote yes, because even though there were some assembly members missing, three Democrats had actually left the assembly and then gone on to do other things in California. And so the assembly was down to 77 members, but you still need 41 votes in California to pass anything. That's their sort of mini little mini filibuster type of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a pure majority. They need always need 41 votes. And uh, so they couldn't lose more than 15 Democrats. And apparently they lost about 25 to 26 Democrats. So it was was maybe a bare majority of Democrats that were going to, were committed to vote yes for it. And then we don't even know that number because the guy pulled the, pulled the, um, bill and it never was voted on and the reaction was um really intense from the movement the progressive caucus um had a call that evening with ash kara who introduced the bill and to his credit he took the heat for about two and a half three hours actually actually left went away did a podcast and came back and he still was taking heat and um you know there were the criticisms were really pointed uh, why didn't he put it to a floor vote? You know, sort of have the ghost of Jimmy Dore here with force the vote, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
uh, people wanted to know the names of who were not supporting a bill that is, you know, us very uh, you know clearly in the California Democratic Party platform to support single payer universal health care. Now, the bill, of course, the main reason the rationale was given by Democrats to not support it is it didn't lay out the the funding, um, and that in large part was because the funding mechanisms don't get set in place until you get a federal waiver to pursue single payer. In other words, step outside of Obamacare, right? You can get a federal waiver. Um, now, Rokana has a, a bill that would make that simpler, but their executive but can, can you step out anyway. of, this is, I don't mean to get too deep into the weeds. You can step out of Obamacare, but can you take Medicaid expansion? Okay. What is relevant for, that's a good question. And I'm not sure, I, I don't know where, where that stood. Um, in terms of California, I think you could still take that. Yes. And um, but um, the the big issue is how much federal funding will then, of course, be handed over because the state's going to run a single payer system. And there's the Medicare payments, the Medicaid payments, et cetera, and, and how it all plays out like that. So what's the funding going to be isn't really determined until then. Well, he's created a second bill to answer that question. He thought he had d- done it adequately. But let's be real. Why did this not pass? In California with the Democratic Party, um, you know, the powers of be, uh, including the health uh, insurance industry, the pharmaceutical industry, um, the reactionary forces in the medical establishment, other than those two uh, elements, and finance capital in general, they don't want to see this stuff pass at all. And the Democratic Party, this is a single party state. So guess who has effectively got a good chunk of Democrats in their pocket? you know, enough that it's going to be very hard to get a majority for anything like this. And, um, you know, so, you know, the, the progressive champion uh, assembly people who everybody knows are not a majority of the assembly, uh, probably not a, not, they're not a majority of the Democrats in the caucus, they, they were all for it. Um, but I think most of them saw the writing on the wall. One of the places we didn't see that much enthusiasm was from, you know, the progressive wing of the people in the caucus. They weren't like, you know, anticipating a big victory. But I think some activists, after cleared appropriations, there got to be a lot of almost euphoria about the fact that this would go through the assembly, which hadn't passed it last time. And um, but you know, there's a long way to go to actually become law because there's all these hurdles. We you know the way the federal government, the federal government could have sat on the waiver, which, you know, sure, was one. if it had gotten that far, that's that was where I said, if it gets that far, first of all, it'd be Newsom probably already in coordination with how it would get blocked. Um, Politically you know, speaking, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, Newsom, you know, Newsom, you know, you can get clips of Newsom. Somebody played a long clip of him. You know, it's more forthright than Buttigieg or Harris ever were in his, you know, sort of fully voicing the support for single payer. But, you know, he's fucking Gavin Newsom. Nobody believes he's going to do that and go right. against the establishment and, you know, become an actual fighter for progressive causes. Professor you know, K. We're told that the 50 states are laboratories for democracy. We saw Romney care in Massachusetts, which I guess is kind of like is the prototype for Obamacare. Vermont chickened out on single payer, I believe, about 10 years ago. They almost pulled the trigger on it, but not so. Why haven't we seen a state go to single payer. Why do you ask me? How do I know? 
Well, I. How do I know? How can I possibly explain because this? Because you're Professor I mean, honestly, Harvey J. K. I mean, all, all I know, look, how can, I mean, really, it's 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 striking. It is absolutely striking. The, uh, you know, because I was listening to Alan, I was thinking New York State and, and California, you know, the two liberal states do not have single payer. Here we are, the 21st century. We're 20 years in. 22 years into the 21st century and we don't, and we haven't seen it. Okay. I assume there was a lot of money and a lot of phone calls to make sure that it didn't pass mustering, you know, didn't pass in California, but you know what, as, as we were talking about this and then you said laboratories of democracy. So today, um, this afternoon, I was in a conversation with, uh, younger prof- professor, a colleague of mine, now chair of my de- the department I was in, and also a labor activist. And he said, have you stayed on top of what's going on in the legislature? His There's wife, I believe. On the part of the legislature here in Wisconsin. I mean, this is- this He's is married to an assembly person, isn't Sorry? he? He's married to an assembly person, I believe. Right, Christina Shelton, right. right. And they're, they're, they're moving, the Republicans are moving to, uh, and by the way, whatever I'm gonna say right now will be vetoed by the governor, but this is the election year and he's not exactly a dynamic figure. And it's not out of the question that he could be beaten because of his lack of dynamism. Okay. But the, and the legislature, there's not a chance in hell it'll shift to the, to the Democrats because we've had a report, you know, some years ago, back in 2000 and whatever, they redistricted with the state and they really did lock it up for the Republicans. Okay, so what I was going to say is that there's a bill that's going through that would require professors. This is an anti uh, critical race theory bill, basically require professors to post online their syllabi. Okay, and for the purpose of being available to be challenged by students and members of the community. Basically, it's an anti academic. It's an it's an anti academic freedom situation okay now this is at public is universities effort. but not private universities the public universities right. right well that's a good question yeah because this 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 oh and by the way if found guilty of these things it basically empowers the legislature to withdraw monies from from their own universities how's that okay so how then, do you it's and, it then, is, and then sorry and then there's another bill they're, they're seeking to destroy higher education it's it's fairly obvious i mean it's clear that's the ambition it goes back to walker and uh the the think about it this way if this governor loses re-election they will have complete control of the state and these bills will fly through and we will literally be turned into maybe the maybe well, then I also expect that uh, Roe v. Wade will be <laughs> will be blocked if it hasn't already been taken taken apart by the Supreme Court by then. That this Republican legislature will find a way to utterly disempower women from the right to choose. I mean, it's just so when I hear about California, and I think, you know, that that's that's a tra- that's tragic. But on the other hand, we've got a state like Wisconsin, which was, by the way, the laboratory of democracy. So that, you know, ideas like Social Security, et cetera, although we can trace them back, as as I've said many times to Thomas Paine, a lot of the most progressive ideas that became 
practice in the 20th century through legislative action emanated from the state of Wisconsin. This was the state that first empowered public employee unionism. I mean, it's, it is absolutely amazing and scary what is, what is transpiring right now. I, I just, Alan Minsky, you spent a good portion of your life working in public radio. As Professor Kay was describing how they want to destroy higher education, it reminds me of how they destroyed local radio, that Wall Street, it drove Wall Street crazy that there were local radio stations, local news organizations where people worked nine to five, got vacations, raised families. There were unions. People off local radio and television got rich by family-owned local radio and local television and newspapers. And they financialized newspapers. I, I don't want to hear about Craigslist. That's a myth about newspapers being destroyed by Craigslist and classified ads. That's not true. It, it drove Wall Street crazy that people were living a good life in local radio, TV, and newspaper markets. And they came in, bought it all up killed the unions, killed the assets, and just consolidated. And it's driving Wall Street crazy that you can have a PhD, live a nice life, teaching at a public university, and have a union and a pension, and and have a nice life, and they want to destroy that. They do, and in the name of finance, in the in the name of efficiency, privatization, and getting their hands on our children's minds. There's money to be made in higher education. Those endow they they have to be salivating over these endowments the same way they salivate over Social Security, right? Wall Street wants I mean, the, the lot. It's true that the public universities are a little bit like they look at them a little bit like um, Milken looked at the um, classical um, U.S. corporation before the mergers and acquisition uh, era, where you sort of break it open and start, you know, separating out the the various parts of the big corporation and selling them off and downsizing them and. Um, you know, figuring out just doing what you need to do with them in, in this case. But actually, there's the selling them off, there's the mergers of acquisition. And also, you know, if you want to get into the hedge fund package, you have to downsize, you have to lower your labor costs. Now, that's not quite the way it is, but it's more like breaking it up and, and you know, analyzing the assets. And um, yeah, I mean, it's completely financialized um, and it's put upon the backs of the individual households to pay to, to be ordered to attend. It's taken out of the taxes of the state. Um, you know, in California, there's a program called the $66 fix. Yeah, it's expensive to keep these um, incredible, um, massive, uh, spectacular um, California universities uh, running, right? But um, the, the bill, the program for funding it fully and funding it better than it's funded now um, is called the $66 fix for um, uh, California. And while it is done on a progressive income um, 
like the tax uh, schedule, it's the average person who's paying taxes would pay $66 a year. It would cover all costs for Cal State University system, the uh, University of California system, and the community colleges. And that's because there are 40 million people in California. And yeah, there are a lot of students, but there are a hell of a lot less than 40 million. So you spread that around. And again, this is a, it is a rather progressive uh, income tax uh, structure in the state of California. So if you're a little bit above that, you could be paying as much as 400, 500 pretty quickly per year. But it covers the whole damn thing. Spread it around, take it off the backs of students. And, and, and by the way, everything about the United States of America that is really you know spectacularly impressive about this country um, is really now related in an integrated way to our really unrivaled in human history um, higher education institutions. And the backbone of which, of course, the public universities. There's nothing that's ever existed. The only country that ever came close in terms of scientific research capacity was the Soviet Union, and um, you know, and that's completely collapsed now. Of course, uh, China's going to try to lift up their uh, system to be competitive with ours. But you look at the like the great universities of Western Europe. Certainly, in terms of research capacity and physical plant, they're they're you know, University of Bologna is in the center of Bologna. You know, there's a bunch. They basically have. Uh, some buildings which have like uh, you know tables and chairs in them, and then a library. You know, it's nothing like university campuses in the United States of America, and their capacity to analyze how our physical universe works, and then um, you know, do build all the things we build in the 21st century. It's all in the United States. On top of that, even beyond that, to this day, even though they're trying to destroy the system, it's the absolute backbone of uh, you know American prosperity and influence around the world. Um, it, the university system, and Harvey can attest to this, it's like the European soccer leagues. They're the absolutely elite schools in the world. If you're a top academic in the world, you want to be on an American faculty. I mean, there's a few others in that case. You have, you know, Oxford, Cambridge. Obviously, English language is the, is the lingua franca, so to speak, around the world. And uh, the universities in America are still the elite. But they are really putting it up to the precipice to take this thing that's been just an aspect of American society throughout all of our lives, one of the biggest assets in this whole society, and just destroy it. Yeah. Harvey, if you want to pick up on that. No, nah, it's, it, 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 I mean, at least you would have thought that the old fashioned version of patriotism might've prevailed in terms of uh, funding universities I mean, you know, for, for, for quite, a, quite some time now, the Chinese have sent students to the United States for the sciences and, a host, and all the other sort of economically significant disciplines. And, uh, and when, what Alan's saying is true. They're, they're, you know, their ambitions are such probably to turn China into that, those kinds of, uh, that kind of higher education, to possess that kind of higher education, our kind of higher education system. But I, I was just, I, I spent the afternoon just dumbfounded trying to figure out, you know, state legislators are often just small-minded people. And they're just trying to, and, and in the age of Trump, they become all the more small-minded. They don't have to know anything. They just have to basically go after everything from experts to teachers. And, that, you know, they, they've targeted us for years and, you know, the Democrats have utterly failed to defend the life of the mind, um, have utterly failed to defend working people. I mean, I don't even know what the hell the Democratic Party is for. 
It's okay. for Nancy Pelosi's son to get favors from uh, building inspectors for his girlfriend. Yeah. Have you heard about that? No, no. I come on this show because I need to hear things. It's not being reported <laughs> in the American press about Paul Pelosi Jr. Uh, writing a check so his girlfriend can get a waiver from a San Francisco building inspector. So, you know, I'm reading a, I'm reading a book right now. You know, we, we, we've asked ourselves this for years. I'm reading Ryan Cooper's new book. He's He has been the uh, an editor journalist with the magazine. I think it's called The Week. He's now going to be the managing editor at the American Prospect. And the book is titled, so he works with David Dane now. His book is titled, How Are We Going to Pay for That? Which is basically, you know, what you hear every time anyone proposes any kind of progressive right. initiative. And it's actually, and I, I do want to recommend it to people. I'm not terribly far into it, but it, so far it's a, just a basically well-written doesn't demand a high level of sort of uh, education of economic theory to understand right. it at all. It tells some good stories. So, you know, that's the way we're going to pay for it is we're we're not going to raise taxes. We're going to turn it over to a corporation who will run it for us. They'll buy it from us and run it and they'll turn a profit by providing a lower quality service and laying people off. There's never been an example of uh, the, the privatization that has worked better than public. What would be the other term? Than public ownership, than, than a public, public control, than public yeah. regulation. Right. You turn the water. You, you turn a, a water utility over to the Carlisle Group, which they have gotten into, and you will get poisoned water and they will make money. Has it ever worked, Alan Minsky? You know economics, right? Has, Pardon, the question? Has privatization what, what, what? ever worked in terms of it delivering a better service than the government could? Is there any example of turning something over to the private sector and they do a better job? No. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. But, the, you know, obviously the question, you know, if, if that's the case, it's because there are instances where the government becomes, you know, incredibly wretched at running things in certain places around the world, but not. Nah, right. This is a wretched strategy. Okay. Utterly wretched strategy. Let me, I want to I know what you want to talk about, but let me get back to this stone, this pebble in my shoe about politicians campaigning on a promise for cities, states, and the federal government to start buying, to start investing in publicly held companies. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to bring up soup kitchens again. Well, the soup kitchens was two weeks ago. <laughs> but why can't we have politicians who say, next bailout, next, next time they need a bailout, they get a partner, you and me. No more, no more corporate bailouts without voting stock. You know, th this you is, got this no whole idea for me. Yeah, go ahead, Barry. Yeah. I was going to say is that you know we've we've got to remember that it's now probably fifty years 
of serious campaigns against government. I mean, straight out, serious campaigns against public enterprise and government. And and what's really amazing, I mean, it, by the way, t- extremely well-funded from the beginning, okay? There was no massive grassroots initiative that led to this. This was a decided, corporate-funded, p- Republican and Democratic parties alike had their particular antagonists to government. And, it was a PR you know, campaign. Can, it, it is tantamount to convincing Americans that Coca-Cola, even though it's salt, will quench your thirst. If you can yeah. convince people yeah. that Coca-Cola will quench your thirst, even though it's filled with salt, you can convince Americans that government bad, corporations good. It's just an advertising campaign. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked before about the Trilateral Commission, the speeches by figures such as David Rockefeller himself, the Powell Memorandum. And, you know, it's it's it it seems so long ago, except maybe to someone my age. But that was, you know, just around the time I was becoming, you know, an adult and politically committed. And, and I mean, I couldn't even have imagined in light of what I was witnessing ever voting for a Democrat which I ended ended up doing regularly because I always thought you vote defensively because that's all you got left anyhow. Um, so and 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 then indeed it, in '76 and thereafter the Democratic champions, you know, it seems funny to even call them that. You know, Carter, right through to you know Dukakis on to Clinton, Obama. And Biden um, made no made no effort whatsoever, to, as far as I could tell, to actually raise up the human, you know, the popular imagination to see the degree to which government, which which, by the way, Lincoln and FDR celebrated and enhanced while it, the two greatest presidents. And how is it that we don't find even look, why wouldn't somebody such as Obama, who wanted to be Lincoln-esque, okay, and then was portrayed as FDR-esque, how come he couldn't make it a point of praising the likes of Lincoln and FDR and their public initiatives rather than basically saying in the in confrontation with the Republicans, I'm willing to put everything on the table. I mean, it's the deference when, it, when it's not enthusiasm for bringing down government as exhibited by Carter and by Clinton, punctuated by Reagan, who was the champion of, of, of that. It's usually the case that it's, you know, kind of deference to the idea of government is is the problem. Right. right. OK. I mean, and that and, and by the way, I'm not saying that people get automatically brainwashed or convinced. But when there's no prominent opposition, when there are no when there's no serious force against it contesting it and challenging it it you're just not going to be able to rally and mobilize people and after a while okay as i said back you know when you think back in the 70s tax cutting wasn't what people 
wanted. It's what they were what they were more than willing to take because their wages were being right. You know, <laughs> we can't give and you a get, job. How many years? We're talking about fifty years. This country's only. It's not even reached 250, right, as a country. But so 50 years of it has seen this war against the the, the democratic, small d, democratic achievements of generations. In particular, you know, our parents' generation, who may not have seemed like champions in necessarily of public initiatives. But I can tell you that my parents had a rule, okay, if there was a there was an educational referendum and no matter what the cost you vote for it. Right. Okay. I mean, they would never have trusted a corporation over, I mean, they could have been cynical about politicians, but you can bet they were even more cynical about corporate bosses. Right. Right. What is happening? Alan Minsky on wall street. We saw Facebook lose a quarter of a trillion dollar in its capitalization today. The earnings disappointed. It's not like Facebook is going out of business. Facebook completely crashed. There seems to be, certainly on the right, Professor K reviewed Josh Hawley's book about big tech. There, there does seem to be an appetite for destruction, creative destruction, the government breaking up Facebook, Google, um, Apple. The California legislators are all coming out against against that ambition because big tech is California. Right. The liberal progressive state of California will defend the powerful tech companies. Right. Right, Alan. Yeah. No. Um, uh, Jackie Spear and issue um, in uh, in the House. They will. Um, they will absolutely. Uh, Rokan is from there, and he's, you know, good on this stuff, but not as great as you'd want him to be. And uh, yeah, but over to the markets. Yeah, so it was a huge. How, how much did Facebook lose today? A quarter David? of a trillion. And what percentage is that? Twenty-five percent, twenty-six percent. Yeah, twenty-six percent of its market well. value. I don't use it much anymore, so uh, I never really used it much at all. Bezo, but, uh, Bezo said, I mean, Zuckerberg said that uh, TikTok is stealing eyeballs from him. What is Facebook? It, it, it's everyone I know uses it, but I'm old. Right. We're old, right? What is it? It seems ethereal. There's nothing you can touch. It doesn't, it, they're now moving into metaverses, more ethereal, non-touchable assets. Could Facebook just disappear? Uh, yeah, yeah, or do you like MySpace or something? Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't uh, shed a tear, um, but uh, I imagine a lot of people would, I don't know. Isn't it, um, isn't it the okay, money? Obviously, but... obviously something would, would, would move in very quickly and, There'd be new social media. It'd be great if we had an opportunity to recreate it in a way that wasn't uh, such a vulture. See, but, to me, uh, to yeah. me, because can I, can I just say, sometimes I, I, you know, sometimes I don't even turn on the chat. But tonight, I, I can I quote my friend Marianne coming. <laughs> Facebook is it, a yeah. place to go find out that half your family and friends are a holes. <laughs> Right. I, I'm not. I mean, I, somebody set up uh, an account for me on Facebook. I, I don't use it, so it's just there. I have no idea. 
it has had this explosive growth. It it is it does turn a profit. The growth is opaque. We we don't know why Zuckerberg buys these companies. The innovation is financial innovation. He has VC venture capital funds behind him. They invest in these companies. It's it's called good money. Venture capital. We we invest in Facebook. We also invest in this. We want to pay off on this investment. So Facebook is going to buy this company. And it really is a, a venture capital Ponzi scheme where they invest in other companies and then use Facebook to buy these companies that they invested in. And they just keep growing Facebook until it no longer makes a profit and starts crumbling. That's how it works. There's no transparency with venture capital, angel investors. We we don't understand who's really backing these these companies. Uh, yeah, I'm, and, you know, and they're the, destroying the our lives. Guy talk to, the, the guy to talk to about this is a guy named Matt Stoller. I don't know if you've yeah. ever had him on. No, I, I've heard um, a lot about him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great on this stuff. I mean, yeah, Facebook. I mean, I do have. I do have to say, I've got a little bit of a better understanding of the, you know, um, of, of the big American companies, the, the massive tech giants. Um, it is one that I don't fully, um, you know, I, I just have never been drawn to it. I obviously use Google a lot more, um, and uh, you know, but why Google had to develop into this kind of monopoly, uh, it just did, right? And then, of course, it came up with the, the strategy. I think they were the innovators, right, in terms of coming up with the strategy for the payments, um, you know, selling of the of the of the access to the audience. Um, but uh, you know, and I of course understand what Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, uh, their business model better than I do the other two. But they, a million people are better than me, so I'm not the person to ask as to why this thing is going to collapse and plummet. Because it did seem like Facebook, you know, it had sort of reached a level where it was a social service and people talked about it being nationalized, right? People in my kind of political orbit because it was, uh, uh, you know, people needed it to live. And I didn't quite get that because I don't use it too much. Never have. Didn't, um, we, we failed to nationalize the oil industries in the seventies and we failed to nationalize the whatever tech. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously these things also have a huge carbon footprint because they have these massive supercomputers or I don't know, not supercomputers, they're banks of computers, right? The cloud. And then, um, right. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't there. Who was the cloud initially? That was Google, right? Again? Uh, it's so what, Amazon, uh, Google, and Microsoft. It? They're all in the cloud now. Yeah. Um, but I can't even remember which of these, uh, you know, interfaces Facebook owns. I know they own the, the, one of the top, if not the top, um, What's VR, uh, Instagram, yeah, companies. Yeah, it seems to me they're saying regulate us. Nick Clegg, who was the former, uh, was part of a coalition government with Cameron, the, I, the Liberal Democrats. Yeah. He sort of sold out the left uh, to form a government with Cameron. Yeah. And now he's. Oh, yeah. That, right. Thank you. That's he, right. Now he's working over at Facebook. And I saw an interview. <laughs> and I saw an interview with him and he's talking about how we need to regulate 
social media. I read an interview with Tim Cook from Apple saying we need regulation. They're, they're almost like, well, I don't know about this. Are they like children who are begging the parents for discipline? They Are they saying we'll get away, we'll just keep getting away with this mommy and daddy until you stop us? I'm just gonna keep eating all this sugar until you take it away from us? You know, this stuff is hugely, hugely important about, you know, social control and to understand the political possibilities of the 21st century. And, you know, at times I, I dig into this stuff and think about it for a while. And then, you know, I, I refer people to Matt Stoller. Um, but, you know, the, the algorithms. And I, I think, again, this was Facebook and Google primarily. They came up with, if you like this, you're going to love this, right? And there's a beautiful sequence in, I think, the film Hypernormalization by Adam Curtis. And there was a, mm -hmm. uh, right, a psychologist who um, came up with a program as a joke that the people would engage with the program because it would just repeat back to them what they had said. They would sort of reorganize the words of what they asked it and then ask the question back to them. And, and people would, that, that he would discover that people would write into the computer just engaging this program as if it was their therapist, you know, the, the guy, the guy who developed the program, I think gave it to, you know, clerical workers to play around with it and they would just be on it nonstop. And what it was is the mirror reflection back. You like this, you're going to love this it becomes the logic of everybody who's looking into their little phones. And of course, what happens then politically is you get, keep getting channeled into your own, uh, you know, uh, the, the right, you're going to get more, uh, you're going to, you're going to eventually, you like Trump, you're going to end up watching a lot of, uh, very likely you're going to end up watching some pretty horrible um, right-wing uh, propaganda, uh, even proto-fascist propaganda pretty quickly. And if you're on the left and you like Bernie, you're probably going to encounter some about socialism more than you would have uh, before this existed. And, and maybe the algorithms are one of the reasons you have uh, democratic socialism and socialism now become very popular among right. the you. Interesting. Well, we have to wrap it up. I'll give you gentlemen the last words. Anything you want to get out there? Any any hopeful thoughts, anything that will help us get through the weekend? You don't want to ask me that question right now, David, actually, because I'm, I'm so involved with so many campaigns across the country. And, and many of them are really quite inspirational. Well, bring um, them on. I'm yeah, actually, I did want to talk to you about that. There are quite a few candidates. I'd love to have you bring them on. In fact, I, I you know, and let me actually say this to you. This is good to talk about this. One of the things that's really missing still from even like, the rising, um, it always was missing on Democracy Now! and, and quite missing on Pacifica. It, but the, when I was at Pacifica, we didn't have a, a vibrant left wing of the Democratic Party. So left media has got to fucking bring these people onto their platforms, introduce them to people so people get enthusiastic and believe there's an alternative. But Greg Kassar down in Texas is an alternative. Bring okay? them on. That's it's all I want on candidates. What? I want candidates, professors, authors, teachers activists, um, anybody who's running for office. And we'll do fundraisers here. That's the other thing. We have office hours that goes 24 hours. And I, I said that we'll do fundraisers on office hours for any candidate who uh, you want to promote. Well, right now, you know, the two Texas candidates that we're really promoting, they're already in their home stretch. And, um, you know, if you turn a good um, result, because, you know, you know, you should test it out on people who aren't 
aren't vulnerable to the fact that they can't lose a few hours, you know? And so, so Cisneros and Casara are in their home stretch, but I look into Doyle Canning out in Oregon four. Um, she's a radical environmentalist trying to fill DeFazio's seat up against the labor commissioner of Oregon. And she has a communications background. So she's really articulate, excellent leftist, very nice person, Doyle Canning, uh, Senator Vincent Fort down in Atlanta, there are bunches of them, though. Kassar, by the way, from Austin, who could win on March 1st. You'd love him. He'd be great on this. Great. Well, let's talk course, tomorrow. There's also the risk if they're in the home stretch that they appear on Feldman's show. And again, with all these, you know, uh, you know, you know, serial killers that you have in the chat room, the associations would be destroy their campaigns. You know, <laughs> it'd be over for them. I don't think that's true. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Alan Minsky, executive director, Pratt, progressive Democrats. Let Harvey have his final word. I just blather yeah. down there too much. Yeah. Professor K. I've just spent too much of my day. I was thinking back, as you know, David, to, to two years ago. It seems much longer than two years ago, actually, two years ago, when we were, when you and I first met on the Friday night at the Bell House in Brooklyn with Michael Brooks' show live. And, uh, and I was thinking, wow. These past two years, it seems it, it just seems in one sense terribly long ago because Michael's not around. Right. And we're in a we're not necessarily better or worse off politically right now, because I, I actually I mean, I, you know, in good part because of Alan's progressive Democrats. And I'm learning about all these candidates around the country who have a chance of winning seats. And then I, I've been in contact and conversations with Sarah Nelson of the airline flight attendants and Nina Turner, who's running again in, in Cleveland. I keep thinking, you know, there's all this activity happening. And that's why I think Alan's right. There's so much left media, not on the scale as we know of the big networks or the, you know, the pseudo news channels, but if there was just some way to get this all amplified that's I, i've thought about this for a year and a half more than that maybe a year and three quarters first well, time I'm, i I'm, was on with nomaki const i said you know what is this we've got this incredible basic infrastructure of left media but it's just well i partly it's because it's so divisive also at the same time yeah well this show we don't fight we don't argue I try not to fight. I try not to argue. Mm -hmm. I sometimes get a little agitated and spirited and attack people who aren't here, but I don't attack anybody. You know, I, I'll, I'll go after our enemies. I uh, There's plenty of time on this show to raise money for candidates. One of the, thing, I, one of the things my listeners do is they buy books and they... They give money to good candidates. So uh, I I can do, we do some, some of it we do here on the show, but there's also office hours uh, that starts Friday night at 8 p.m. And there is a very active community, Professor K. You haven't been there for a while. It's a right. very vociferous. I, yeah, no, no, I, I appreciate that. It's, and, you, and it's the monster you created. I've noticed Andy Le uh, Lynn is saying Andy Levin, Minnesota, Michigan 11, so pro-labor. Harvey, you should like him. I like, I love Andy Levin. I wanted him to be Secretary of Labor, to be honest about it. Right. And uh, and I think we would have been better off with Andy Levin as Secretary of Labor. Said Marty and, then, and then also Rodrigo says, I'm never going to bring Nomi on, Nomi Kia. 
I'm happy to bring Nomi Keon. Bring her on. Let's. She's not a candidate right now, but happy right. to bring her on. But she does run this organization called Matriarch Pack. Matriarch, that right? We are, that we are we are um, trying to lift up too, uh, in that they provide support for uh, women candidates, but in particular, poor and working class women candidates, which is what we need. Okay, you want me to invite Nomi Key for next Thursday? I don't know what her schedule is like. Whatever you want me to do that. Yeah, whatever you want. It'll. Well, I, I forgot that Alan and, and Nomi Key have uh, sort of helped them get into this conversation too. Right. So I'll, I'll contact you right after we get off, and I'll say you're free next Thursday night. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay. I look forward to this, and everybody else does. Thank you, Minsky. Thank you, Kay. David. Misky and K, they go together like PB and J. Like Thelma and Louise, like Mac and Cheese, like Sacco and Benzetti, like meatballs and spaghetti. Allen's in LA, Harvey J's in Green Bay. When they get together, they got a lot to say, cause they're Misky and K. Watching on YouTube, uh, that picture I showed you was from Triumph, the insult comic dog. Hello there. Hello there. You're all. Hello, David. Hello. I've been shoveling. Are you having a blizzard? We're having a blizzard up in Rochester, New York. What? I, you know, I haven't looked at the air shaft. How bad is it? It's rough out there. Uh, we expected it to start at like 10, 11, 12 last night. And it didn't really happen. Right. But at like five or six this evening, it was coming down. I've been shoveling out there, shoveling. I go out every half hour for like 10 or wow. 15 minutes just to keep the driveway clear so I can get to work tomorrow. You're, you're going to work with your, your Mershon. You look like the Grim Reaper tonight. I have to wear a part. It's. I went out. You keep talking. I just want to look at the pants. I want to see the air my, shaft. Hang on for one second. 
Nope. Not happening. Nope. Nope. We're not you got getting nothing there. in New York City. No snow yet. Oh boy. We're, I've shoveled probably eight to 10 times for 15 to 20 minutes. Like I'm doing a third of the driveway every be, be once in a while. Be careful. You can get a heart attack. That's why I'm doing it in little batches. Yeah. Okay. By the way, thank you for updating the website. Yeah. I got it done eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I was supposed to do it three days ago. That's, that's all right. Okay. I know the feeling. Uh, we will talk. Great. And thank you for uh, filling in for Professor Ben Burgess. <laughs> it was great. Well, I was cursing you at first because we were going to do it pre-show, the birthdays. Oh. And then you blew right by it. That's why I was hanging out like, are we going to do it? And you're like, turn your video off. I was like, what the oh, fuck are you forgot? <laughs> uh, we started. To save the, ultimately, it saved the day. Yes. I knew that Ben Burgess was going to be late. <laughs> the question now is, can you remember what happened today? Yes. And... Before we, did you see Joe cooking? Did you do? He made the borscht. Did you yeah. see that? Wasn't that amazing? It was amazing. Yeah. And he, he got up at like three in the morning to do that. It, like we're like watching it, like whatever. Right. But he's doing that at three in the morning. That I want, I, I, I want to see that. And he did it in an hour. It was great. I, I want that every week. I want him doing that every week. It's great. And then he made pressure, pressure cookers are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's science. Hey, I want to thank a couple of people who helped put this show together. The Invisible Ninja and Andy Brown, who hold down the fort in the chat room for us, along with Dan Frankenberger. And I appreciate that. We are growing out the YouTube channel and can't do it without Andy Brown and the Invisible Ninja. And, of course, Sarah Bush who might do her own cooking segment, perhaps, maybe. Uh, and of course, Professor Jonathan Bick and Joe in Norway, who have been instrumental along with Dan Frankenberger in keeping office hours and Hannah Feldman keeping office hours running so smoothly. We also have the mods and I'll get a list of their names all the all the people who keep office hours running 24 hours of office hours go to my website right now although it's not showing up the the link for office hours and hours we need to put that in <laughs> um we need to put that in uh, and if you would like to attend a live taping of this show, go to my website and there's a link there that will take you to uh, our next taping and you can participate in the chat. Uh, let's go to very quickly. You want to talk to Rodrigo, Dan? Yes. Rodrigo. How are you? Hi there. It's snowing in Rochester. It's not that cold here. Okay. What is on your mind, sir? And then we're going to wrap it up. 
Oh, he's got to go. Let me do this. Let me do this. Hang on, Rodrigo. Let me see if I can remember the show. I want to thank Dan Frankenberger. Ben Burgess, Professor Ben Burgess for showing up late. Dr. Philip Hershey. You destroyed, you destroyed him. I won. He chickened out. Yeah. Uh, He's a liability when it comes to punctuality. I know. I know. If he, uh, Ethan Hershenfeld, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld, Emil Guillermo, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn, the professors in Mary Ann, Joe in Norway on the pressure cooker, Professor Ann Lee, Professor Jonathan Bick, and Professor Marianne Cummings, Professor Alan Minsky, Professor Harvey J.K. <laughs> and Alan Minsky, and you, right? Yes, you got a ding dong, ding dong, not a burn. Right. So I came good close. for you. All right. I love Forget you, brother. One one last thing I want to mention before I go is. Um, Valley Vox is doing a cool thing on the 12th where they're showing um, a Warren Beatty show from 1981 Reds. And after afterwards, they're uh, hooking up with our friends at the Weekly Marks. Ricky's going to be there for the Q&A. Reds. And we'll have, the movie Reds yeah. with Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson about John Reed, author of the seven days that shook the world or I, I, I forgot the exact number. But yeah. He was I've got a whole read here, but I just want to bring it up. because I'll, I'll yeah. be reading it next week, but it's awesome that Valley Vox and the weekly marks are going to be hooking up to uh, put on a super awesome. One show. of the first jokes I ever wrote was reds. It was a very long movie. They should have called it hemorrhoids. When I was a kid, I wrote that joke. Hemorrhoids. I didn't say it was funny. I just... You wrote it. That's I wrote a, it. That's good. Yeah, I wrote it. Well, I just shoveled some shit, so you shovel some snow. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye. Be you careful. You can sit there on that you. by yourself. I love you, brother. Thank you. Rodrigo. Hi. What is on your mind today? Uh, I forgot on Monday that uh, the Ottawa homeless shelters uh, need donations and food. Uh, as you know, there's a convoy there with some leftists and a lot of anti-vaxxers. And some of those anti-vaxxers took food from the homeless uh, not because they didn't have any money but because they didn't want to wear masks to order from restaurants hmm. and where is this ottawa in canada oh in ottawa i see okay all right. And uh, I've often been asked uh, why would the CIA start a leftist party in the United States, and I'm going to try to list some of the reasons why they could. Uh, one, they rob us of the ability to think of actual alternatives. For example, in politics, you have the incrementalists 
who honestly believe the system is fundamentally sound and stable and it just needs a little tinkering to the right or the left and the accelerationists who as it happens also honestly believe that incrementalism as implemented by neoliberals has robbed us of decades of real progress, which is true, but also that the only reasonable alternative is to leave the Democratic Party and join the CIA party started by a former OAS intern. What's left in the middle is our ability to join the Green Party or the DSA to work for somewhat proven projects. Uh, two, they provide intellectual cover for pe the people who offer very radical but very unspecific change. I know that there's honest people who very enthusiastically joined the CIA party in 2020. It's been two years since then, and they still haven't fulfilled the requirements to run in a single election. If you ask them what they've been doing, eventually they will tell you that they urgently want to replace the squad, a group of women who routinely receive death threats from the far right. Any attempt to make them admit that voting Pelosi out will result in a different neoliberal becoming speaker will turn into these people ranting about how the real enemy is the squad who should have done this or that, and who certainly aren't as leftist as the moment demands, but also have far less power than the people who constantly rant about them are prepared to admit. Even after we saw that when the squad actually stands firm, Republicans are found that are willing to vote with the Democrats, Excuses are found for why forced the vote would have worked. The objective here, again, is not to generate real power for the left, but to rob actual leftist actors of their ability to get things done and to acquire allies. Three, they are constantly, consistently arguing that we should work with neo-Nazis and the Nazi-adjacent because we happen to want one or two things at the same time, often for different reasons. But if you read between the lines, you will notice that when Matt Binder was demonetized for a month on YouTube, or when people, other people with larger audiences got their accounts banned from Twitch or YouTube, None of these left libertarian types came to their defense. Now, however, they're pretty much in sync, telling us that Joe Rogan isn't that big and banning him from Spotify won't make that much of a difference. They're also telling us that the left shouldn't be backing up censorship. Usually, censorship is when the government stuffed a leftist from having their voice heard, but now we're being told censorship is when people boycott a capitalist enterprise to demand that the most popular podcaster on the internet stop spreading quote-unquote alternative facts about COVID-19 and vaccines. 
This is a very selective use of the word censorship, and anyone who more or less pays attention can remember whole decades when actual socialists were not allowed to go on any of the broadcast networks or any of the cable channels, but whenever the right needs to defend someone they consider of their own, the same group of left libertarians will tell us that censoring Joe Rogan will lead to more censoring of actual leftists in the future when leftists have already been censored for decades. And at the same time, supposed leftists are telling us that Neil Young, Johnny Mitchell and Nickelback have joined the establishment by putting their money where their mouth is and withdrawing their music from Spotify along with the laws from royalties. This is what fake leftists do. They pretend to have an ultimate solution for the problems of the left while A, making us forget about other people who have been long in this fight, longer than many of us have been alive, who have the wisdom to reject the quote-unquote solutions of the fake leftists, and B, using leftist language to defend things like the free speech of a guy with a with a $100 million contract. Instead of letting people know that the United Nations was calling for waiving the patents on COVID-19 vaccines in May 2020, almost two years ago, I'm regularly accused of being a quote-unquote vaccine Nazi. Even Even though none of these people I find myself arguing with we're saying a word about Big Pharma using its imperialist powers to make us more, de- more dependent when the anti-vaxxers started con- to complain about vaccines causing autism for the last two decades. And finally, uh, at any given time, there's half a dozen genocides and three dozen ongoing humanitarian crises, and much as I believe it's not a waste of time to point out that the extremely brave Washington Post and the even braver New York Times have refused to send a reporter to verify the plight of the Uyghurs since 2017, we must realize that worrying about the one or two crises that the State Department wants us to worry about when the State Department wants us to worry about them distract us from realizing that today, when the neoliberals tell us that capitalism is the best system we can have, climate change is killing thousands of people directly, hundreds of thousands indirectly, will kill hundreds of millions in the coming decades, and, most critically, they don't want us to realize that at least half of this humanitarian crisis could be stopped in the if the United States committed to no longer laundering money for the people who steal hundreds of billions every year. Thank you. Thank you, Rodrigo. That is our show. Thank you, Rodrigo. I'll see you at office hours tomorrow at 8 p.m. I will be there for, it's 24 hours of office hours. I'm David Feldman. Remember to, uh, how does it go again? Stay strong and protect the weak.
The AIDS diet plan helped me lose 28 pounds. AIDS helps control your appetite so you lose weight. Yet AIDS lets you taste, chew, and enjoy. And the appetite suppressant in AIDS is not a stimulant. AIDS helped me to lose 18 pounds, and it doesn't contain anything to make me nervous. Question, why take diet pills when you can enjoy AIDS? AIDS helps you lose weight without making you jittery. Traveling light, got everything I need. Got a little bottle of wool light and a little bag of weed. Got to saw bellow novel, cause I really like to read. I'm traveling light. I'm a creature of the road, got no regrets. Gave up my postal code and cigarettes. I'm doing much better with a touch of Tourette's. I'm traveling light. Just need a clean room in a Motel 6. Not too close to downtown, but not out in the sticks. I need my pen and teller magic kit so I can do my tricks. Got my favorite pillow, which I call Mr. Fluffy. Four kinds of allergy pills in case I get stuffy. A pound of Epsom salts, cause my ankles get puffy. I'm traveling light. I got two pairs of socks and shorts in my little valise. A couple of passports and my sex doll Denise. I'm staying real quiet so they don't call the police. I'm traveling light. Sedatives and my antipsychotics. A high speed parallax motor, cause I'm into robotics. And my little red speedo, I like to do aquatics. I'm traveling late. Got my CPAP machine and my George Foreman grill. A copy of Lolita and my little blue pills. A Navajo blanket. The old blender, a 50 tequila, in case I go on a bender. My attorney's number, in case I want to change my gender, I'm traveling light. Star Wars bedspread, I'm traveling light. I 
I got my rabbi costume in my portable dark room. My hair plug lotion and my expensive wrinkle cream. My Emmy statue for my self-esteem. I'm traveling light. I got my podcast mixer and a fancy microphone, my exercise bike so I have a place to hang my pants, my very valuable Hummel collection, a menorah made of fish heads, a Christmas tree, I like to keep my options open, don't you know, a shine kit, a skill saw, a crossword book, a large supply of mechanical pencils, a year's worth of New York magazines I've been trying to get around to read, some scripts that I've been tweaking for those people in LA, and my enemies list. Don't forget about my enemies list.